Hello again, friends! And you are, my friends, and welcome back to another edition of the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! I'm going to feel that one in the morning. <laughs> and this, of course, being our annual special edition, opening day Star Wars, or in this case, opening week Star Wars, as we discuss the happenings in wrestling and baseball. And we begin this show with an illustrious panel. First, one of the foremost experts in the Jerky Boys, obviously, Mr. John McAdam. Uh, my expertise never ends. Brian, thank you for having me on. We have such a, a nice little springtime tradition here. How long have we been doing this? That's a good question. I should have Jace on the show to answer that. It's been four years, I think, maybe? Four or five. Four or five. And a man who's joined us on a few of those, a man who knows his wrestling and a man who knows his baseball, the host of the Mid-Atlantic Championship podcast, Mike Sempervivi. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic, guys. Hope springs eternal. It's one of the best times of the year, even if you're a Nationals fan. That's exactly right. And for anyone wondering why I referenced the Jerky Boys, it's because for some reason, right when we called John before, he busted into a perfect Jerky Boys <laughs> impression on us. And it turns out everyone knows the material. So it's that kind of day. It's that kind of call here. Guys, what are your thoughts? We're a couple days into the new baseball season a little later than it normally would start because of the lockout. Don't call it a strike. I just saw someone on CNBC say that the other day. It was a strike. It was a lockout. What are your thoughts a couple weeks into the season, or a couple days into the season? Excuse me. John, let me go to you. Well, Mike, first of all, what Washington finished last year? Like 60 and, 60 and 102? It was something like that. It was, they weren't that bad. They scored a lot of runs. I don't, I don't think that team is going to be that bad again this year. Well, the funny part about 60 and 102, they weren't that bad. Let me just stop right there and say that. No one ever says that about the 62 Mets. But anyway, well, go ahead. Hey, but look, it, it, this is a case where I am content losing 100 games this year because I believe in the plan and they have drained their farm system. They have made some missteps, but there is a lot of good there. Now, a lot of it revolves around whether or not they can sign, re-sign Juan Soto and how much he's actually looking for. But there is hope in the farm system. And when you're looking at the Braves and the Padres and the Dodgers, who not only have money, but have been able to feed their farm systems, you know, it was either now or never. And with Soto coming up, uh, you had to make a decision. So I am, it's amazing that I, I know it's going to be the same way. I mean, it, there's a possibility they lose less, but I mean, look, if, if they lose a hundred games, I'm going to be satisfied as long as things move forward. And as long as Juan Soto doesn't want $500 million, he's going to want well, $35 Juan million dollars a want. year for 10 years. That's what he's going to want. <laughs> Well, he I, turned down 390, right? That's That was the last one. And now it's like, well, okay, what, what did Trout get? 420? I mean, did he get that much? Well, what, what, was did, the, what did Stanton just turn down? Because that's going to really be the story. It's not going to be about Trout or really any of the contracts from a few years ago. It's, it's going to be... I mean, Judge, excuse me. The Judge just turned down. And this is going to be a big story because the Yankees immediately leaked what the terms of the contract were, which is yeah. kind of interesting <laughs> there. But that's going to be the story because everyone's going to be watching what happens with him because if he gets that money from some other team, what does that say? That means the money's yeah. out there for other players. 
how many years does Juan Soto have because before he becomes a free agent? I don't know off the top of my head, but I two. think oh, just two. I thought it was three. I think I think it's two. If, if it may be three, but I think it, it's it's only two. But still, it's it's one of those things too that you know he could win the MVP this year, and then then what? <laughs> and you know, it's just this. That's and that's fascinating too. In the fact that they could lose hundred games, he could still end up the MVP. That's how good he is. It's amazing. Hey guys, let me just answer the question. Soto turns twenty sixth. Twenty sixth turns twenty six in October twenty twenty four, and that's when he becomes a free agent. Okay, so we are probably looking at a 15-year, $750 million contract. Wow. Because that's how it goes nowadays. The guys want to get – it might even be more than that. I could see a 17-year contract. That's the market right now. These guys want to get paid into their early 40s and – I mean, it's it's either that or let them go. I mean, I I loved Mookie Betts, um, but when the when, when it came time, I mean, I didn't want them signing him until he was forty two, like the Dodgers did. And maybe I've changed my mind a little bit, thinking that hey, if you know, unless you want every Mookie Betts to walk out the door, this is what you got to do. Well, it's a test for learner because the Braves aren't going to stop spending. The Mets obviously aren't going to stop spending, nope. and you know, in a couple of years, if it looks like they have guys like Vaccaro and who's 17 and he's, you know, still got a long way to go. But if they're pitching because Strasburg, obviously, and Corbin are on the way out, they have pitchers there. They have stuff there that if that continues to develop, which it looks like it is, man, <laughs> you know, it's like you want to win, right? And if this is what it takes in this day and age in baseball, if this is what you want to do, Mr. Lerner, then, I, you know, then you're going to have to spend like the Dodgers and the Mets and the Yankees and the, and the Red Sox. If that's where you want to be, if that's the how it works, then that's how it works. And that's what you got to do, because, you know, you're really taking a chance. You can't do what Milwaukee does and what other teams are able to do and get the most out of it. I don't think you can do that in Washington, be successful, draw fans and have a scrappy team that might make the playoffs. You've already 2019. It's a front running town anyway. And 2019, I mean, that is still a shiny trophy right now, but it's not going to be. So they're going to have to do what they need to do. And if it's that much money, then I guess it's going to be that much money. It's just it's amazing. We're getting these types of numbers and guys getting paid out. I mean, you know, then again, Bobby Bonilla will still be getting paid out by the time Soto's deal ends. How many innings has Strasburg pitched since he signed that contract after the World Series? Not many. Not many. And, you know, they've got him on those string of 10 days right now. It's like you just put him on 60 now. And, you know, and, and that, you know, <laughs> wins the MVP is is his contract year. You know, this is why I think Trey Turner is going to win the MVP in the NL this year. It's just because it's his contract year. Yeah, and Scott but Boris is his agent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but it's, you know, it's, it's unfortunately, I, I may hate to say it, it's not over, but it's like, you know, you can't rely on him the same way you've been able to rely on Max. And in the same way that, you know, in our minds as fans, we want to actually believe that, you know, <laughs> we want to believe in him and it's just not there. Let me ask you this on the other side of it. We're talking about these contracts and some of the teams like the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers, they're going to spend and other teams eventually will. When you look the other way, and Mike, let me go to you first. 
personal feelings out of the picture, looking at it from the business of baseball, from the business of the commissioner's office. Should Peter Angelos be stripped of the Orioles? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, here's the, ah, you know, Daniel Snyder and, and Peter Angelos are just beltway nightmares to the nth degree. And at some point you really do have to look hard because it's not like a situation like Pittsburgh where there just does not seem to be, they don't want to spend money. They don't develop the farm. It's like, it's, it's almost like they just don't care. And with the Suns being involved and I don't pay attention to the Baltimore media, like I did, you know, especially in the last couple of years, as far as really keeping up with what's going on there, but it just doesn't I mean, there's such a huge apathy. Nobody wants to go to the games. It is dangerous, as dangerous as it's ever been in Baltimore, which is not helping matters there either. And it's just to go see a flat team and there's, there's nothing. And I don't, I don't know if you can do that, but he would be, you know, high on my list of guys to pull that trigger because you cannot keep spending as little money as you do without any results in the farm, without any plan, without anything. And if you're going to, and the threats of moving the team to Louisville is a separate issue from, you know, that we may have talked about even last year, but that's still something that sticks in my craw and the, the attitude of, well, if you don't support us, well, God damn it. Well, when are you going to actually attempt to do something? You know, you haven't done it in literally in 30 years. It's been since the goddamn nineties that you've done anything with that team other than run everybody off literally from the organization's past and fans of the future. No one's moving from Baltimore to Louisville. Of course they're not, but still <laughs> what a douchebag thing to, but that's the whole oh! thing is what a douchebag thing to say. What a thing to do. Oh! And to even threaten. Alonzo oh, just hit a grand slam against the nationals, Mike. You Yes, he did. What, yeah. what was the name of this picture you were just bragging about to me before off the air? Joanne Don. Grand slam, Joanne Don. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I had to. Uh, I had to. I just had to. He's going to settle in in long relief, just so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man, you actually saw the guy last night, Josiah Gray, uh, the guy, one of the guys they got from the Dodgers, you know, him in uh, the Carrillo, who's going to end up making his way up because they have nothing, <laughs> you know, both of those guys and uh, the catcher, Kybert Ruiz. You know, that's the they may not be the one and two pitchers, but they look like they're going to be part of the rotation for a couple of years. And if Ruiz, I mean, he's what, 23, I guess it is. He He's looked really good in this series and has made me actually feel good about that whole deal, which, you know, you, you we should have gotten a lot in it. And it looks like, you know, again, this is why I don't have a problem with what the rebuild has been as opposed to like, let's say the Orioles rebuild, you know, that we thought was going to happen in the early two thousands. Well, here's I don't think things are that bleak for Baltimore though. I mean, they have some guys in the system. They have Mount castle who had a really good season last year. I think there's light at the end of the tunnel for Baltimore. And let's face it, you know, once they get a foundation, they should be able to get a free agent or two. That's a money team. But it's that's it. The whole thing is if they want to and they do. I mean, look at the, the, the amount of picks they've been able to rack up because they have finished so poorly. But it's like, you know, <laughs> this Grayson Rodriguez, you know, do they end up getting rid of him? 
because they don't think he again. I don't know. That, that's where we'll have to see how it goes. Because how desirable of a place is it to play in you know, to be in Baltimore, especially if you are a pitcher? Well, that's the thing. I mean, as soon as the team gets respectable, that's the time to start uh, bringing in free agents, kind of like the Cubs did maybe six, seven years ago. In the last, let's say since 2000, so you can't go to like the Yankees. Since 2000, what would you say has been the most successful rebuild? Is it the Astros? I mean, all things considered, even with the scandal of the cheating in the World Series, and now Beltran's talking about that. What is the most successful rebuild in baseball? That's certainly the most high profile one. That's the one that comes to mind the most. You know, that the fact that, you know, they put it on the cover of Sports Illustrated and this is what we're going to do. And damned if it, you know, if, if they they did it. Granted, how they got to doing it was interesting, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on the field was a little controversial. That's one that, that sticks out in my mind. I can't think of anyone but the Astros. I mean, they got so many good players in the draft. They not only, you know, I mean, you stink, so you get good draft picks, but they maximize their draft picks. So, yeah. And then they picked up guys like um, uh, Verlander, et cetera. So it's, it almost seems to be the model rebuild. I want to see how Verlander's going to do this year. I'm very curious if he's going to – I shouldn't – I hate to say with a – Hall of Fame pitcher like that, I hate to see what he has left in the tank, but I hate to, I'd love to see what he has left in the tank. He hasn't pitched in two years. Yeah, since he had Tommy John surgery. So he's older now. What is he, 39, 38? He's got to be 39. I mean, the oldest pitchers in baseball. I mean, Scherzer's one of the older pitchers in baseball right now. And him. And how old is uh, Kershaw? Kershaw's getting up there, too. Let's see. Hey, let me ask you this, because I thought about this question. I think a couple years ago, it would have gone one way. And I think it's clear-cut the other way now, but I'm curious if you guys agree. Who's more of a clear-cut Hall of Famer, Kershaw or Scherzer? Scherzer. Kershaw. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got some bias there, but, you know, I, I you know, I to me, it's Scherzer. I, I don't know. To me, it is. I mean, I mean, both guys are Hall of Famers, I think. Yeah. But right. I, Kershaw had had the, uh, the, the bitter prime, in my opinion. Verlander just turned 39 in February. And he hasn't pitched in two years. Yeah. Let's That's see. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. 2020. One start and that was it. I want to see how he's going to do. I want to see how Syndergaard's going to do for the Angels. That's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting team for him to be on. How long is DeGrom out for? <laughs> they're, they're saying until June, but you know what that means. There, he's just, just just shit in your Cheerios. <laughs> he's yeah, yeah, fuck you. He's um he's shut down. It was I think as of opening day or as of a week before opening day or the that week it was thirty days he was shut down, not even like picking up a baseball. So that means he, at the best case scenario, it's June. I love Jacob Degrom. He's one of my favorite players of all time. I've gotten to watch him in his prime, and he's been amazing. And he really changed the way a lot of people saw baseball because back-to-back -back Cy Young Awards, no wins. People looked at the other stats. So really, just an amazing player. However, I 
I don't know. I, I genuinely fear if he'll ever pitch a full season again or if he'll even pitch a half a season again. So I, now it's the Strasburg thing. I actually said to a friend of mine the other day, I said, you know, part of me thinks the Mets should kind of do a John Smoltz and make him the closer. <laughs> Just let him shut people down for an inning every few days. Uh, it's going to cut into all his value. By the way, we've got Chris Sale up here, so the three of us have something to talk about. <laughs> Mike, who is your favorite baseball player of all time? God, I, oh man. Hey, the, the most iconic one is is Cal, obviously, because that's where I was. Cal and Eddie, you know, that was growing up. Like, it's they are joined at the hip to me. I will always think of them as Orioles. I know Murray had so much success everywhere else, too. You know, but that's uh, it, it's pro- you know he's not my favorite, but he's the most iconic one. When I think baseball, Cal actually is the first one that always comes in my mind. You know, growing up though, boy, I loved watching Gooden. I loved you know Doc Gooden is right there too because I just loved him so much, and he was such a phenom when I was a kid. Uh, but sheesh, boy, I, I don't know. You know, Valenzuela was another one. I did. There's just, I don't know. There's like, a lot of guys I like, but I don't know if there's ever been one I really have gravitated to. Like, that's my guy, David Cohn for a while with, he was at the Mets, you know, he was, you know, one of my favorites, you know, one of my favorite players while he was there. But, you know, I don't know if I have that guy who I could stick in my wallet with the Mickey Mantle card. I, I just, I don't, I don't think I have that. How about you, Brian? Oh, I got that. Keith Hernandez. I always have a Keith Hernandez <laughs> baseball card in my car. I always have one on me. Like, it's good luck. Usually it's a 1986 Fleer, but it could be all sorts of different ones. <laughs> the problem is some of those tops baseball cards, for some reason, it's his ass. They just did a photo of his ass, like, running the bases. No one wants that. But there's a few where he looks cool. He's got his batting stance or he's in the field. But he's my favorite. And his last season with the Mets was when I was nine. So it's a different kind of favorite. I remember him from when I was a kid. I was watching games with my dad from, I remember games from 84 on. And that's when the Mets got really exciting. And I want to talk about that in a second. I am old enough to remember when the St. Louis Cardinals traded Joe Torre to the Mets because they had this hot uh, prospect in Keith Hernandez. And then years later, I'm reading in the sporting news that the Mets got Keith Hernandez for basically nothing. For Neil Allen. I was like, Neil Allen, yeah. Was it was it just one guy? Well, it was Neil Allen and, and a few other guys, but it was just because Whitey wanted him off the team. Right. I didn't realize that <laughs> yeah. at the time. I was just like, yo, what's going on here? And I, I think the Mets won that trade. Yeah, no one really says, Keith Hernandez, nah, you know, I think I'll go with Jack Clark. Like, that's just, that's not something I would say. But Keith Hernandez is just because of uh, when I was a kid and also... He's been a commentator with the Mets for years. I love listening to him talk baseball. You go back and you watch. And I there's a guy who uploaded a bunch of Mets games from the 80s. And so, I mean, all sorts of teams, but he has a lot of Mets stuff. And I'll put them on sometimes because I have multiple monitors in here. And I'll just have it on. I check it out and I watch and you realize, you know, it isn't just talk. Oh, he was great in the field. He was a field general. You watch those games. It's incredible how he was leading that team from the field. A team of rookies. Look at the 84 team. Hubie Brooks, third base, had his breakout season. I mean, it was a young team, and he brought them together, and that started everything. So that's Keith Hernandez. But in terms of players after that, when I could really appreciate baseball, there's been a few. John Olerud, even though he was only on the Mets for three years, I loved 
I loved John O'Leary. He's one of my, f- he's just, I'm going to say one of my favorite players of all time. Obviously, I'm talking about that. John Olerud, R.A. Dickey, another guy that was only here a brief period of time, but the I University loved him. of Tennessee. That's right. That's right. DeGrom. DeGrom's on that list for me, too. Um, but I wonder. Okay. I, I, I forgot want- about Mike Mussina. You know, we talk about, like, guys for a, a long period of time, you know, with the Orioles, except, obviously, when he went to the Yankees, that was, you know, heartbreaking to see. But Mike Mussina was. Shouldn't well, be in the Hall of Fame. Well, yeah, we'll never make the Hall of Fame, but he's in my personal. No, he's Hall in the of Hall of Fame. He's in it, but he should. I don't think he should be. Did he make I it do. in? I'll be damned. I missed that. You know, and that's you know, it's, I didn't think he'd ever actually make it in. But you know, he would be in my personal Hall of Fame the same way. Although completely different type of player, nowhere near as good, but fun to watch and was gritty. Was like Joe Orsolak, who you had up in New yes. York for a while, and down here were Baltimore, where you had guys like Devereaux and Brady. And you had all those guys that were hitting twenty home runs. You just had Orsalak out there being Joe Orsalak. And for some reason, I, again, it's like in all sports, especially in baseball, you just love a runty or a gritty or th- that type of guy. And he was that type of guy for the Orioles. It was great. Yeah, no. And we'll go to Messina in a second. So John can give his thoughts. But Orsalak, the Mets had him during some really bad years. And he was just like, I don't know if journeyman's even the right word. He was a utility guy. Like He was the extra outfielder on the Padres or, or on the Pirates. You know what I mean? Like he was a utility guy that was bouncing around and the Mets played him and New York always took to players like that. They, you know, they don't have to hit 300. Just show that you'll get dirty and show that he you. Was a, he was a futility guy. I want, I want to get another <laughs> 605 where Come I say on. you can't have a first baseman. You can't hit. And that's what, what Orsalak was. <laughs> well, the Mets played him in the outfield a lot for the record, which, uh, <laughs> it's where you put first baseman who don't hit <laughs> usually. But Keith Hernandez wasn't a home run hitter, and he was a first baseman, and that is a rarity. Usually that's where you put your big bopper who's slow. But I wanted to, you know, talking about the 80s Mets, and I have been watching some of these games sometimes, and the Once Upon a Time in Queens documentary came out. And I just read an article in the New York Post that Tim McCarver announced his retirement. You know, he's in his 80s, like 84, that he's officially done. He had been doing some Cardinals games. And then with the pandemic, that was the end of it. And he's not coming back. He's officially retired. And a lot of people got to see him on a national stage. A lot of people got to see him as an older announcer. He really was a sensation as an announcer. And the Mets have never honored him. But he's the voice of the Mets. For a generation, from 83 to the to what, like 99, he was the main voice of the Mets. And when you think about 86, you watch that documentary, and I love Gary Thorne, but he was the second seat to Bob Murphy on the radio. Yeah. You watch that, you would think he was the voice of the Mets. Tim McCarver, not Gary Thorne, not Bob Murphy, not Ralph Kiner, not Steve Zabriskie, not Rusty Staub, and certainly not Fran fucking Healy. <laughs> Tim McCarver was the voice of the 86 Mets and those entire team, the the team of the 80s, that dynasty that never was, it's McCarver. And for most people, McCarver and Kiner and other people came in and out. Most people hate Fran Healy, but he's never been honored by the Mets, just announced his retirement. It's kind of weird when you have a guy who's the voice of a team for over 15 years, and then he leaves, and that's it. You never kind of reference him again. You still see him on a national stage. Again, different commentator with Joe Buck than calling play-by-play or doing color 
on a local game. But what are your thoughts on Tim McCarver, guys? I'm old enough to have seen him play when he was with the Cardinals at the end of his career. I always liked McCarver. I, I didn't get to see him with the Mets, but I got to see him on Fox, and I, I always liked him. I thought he added a lot to the game. I didn't realize he was with the Mets for that long. You know, we had already lost WOR and all that by the time he ended up rolling out of there. And I re- I really did not realize that he stuck in it for so long. But like you mentioned, he is completely different, was completely different doing Mets games than he was on national on national TV where I didn't – I don't want to say I didn't like him, but I would – Again, the the team of Buck and McCarver just were not my favorite, <laughs> and they, maybe a lot of it had to do with Buck, but it was a different energy that he had being an announcer with the Mets and with Kiner, and maybe that's obviously the dynamic having in the old, you know, much older Kiner there too. But you know, it was a different kind of energy, and I didn't realize that he was there for that long. I mean, I can think of him through the '80s into the early '90s, but I certainly didn't realize he was there till '99. And I am surprised that they have not honored him, or at least I can see not honoring him because he hasn't come around, you know, for certain things. But to not do something, not say something, there's issue a, a press release, anything is a surprise. There's a team Hall of Fame, you know. There's a team Hall of Fame, and. He's worthy of it. I mean, I know this is a weird thing because I'm talking about a Mets issue to uh, to non-Mets fans, but I don't know. It bothers me because he was so synonymous with the Mets, became the commentator in 83. That's the year Strawberry came up. That's the year the Hernandez trade happened. 84, they become a dynamo. He's there for the whole thing. No one even talks about him anymore. Did anyone see the Apple TV Plus baseball presentation last night as we are recording? No, I did not. The Friday Night Baseball. Apple has now an exclusive on Friday Night Baseball games that are free. You don't have to subscribe. You just have to have the app. And they had the Mets game last night versus the Nationals. I thought the look was pretty good. The stream went out a few times. But the issue is the commentators, the announcers. I don't know who the women were. If it was said during the broadcast, I missed it. But they talked so much that I'm sure I missed a lot of what they said. It was not a good broadcast, and it's not about, like, oh, there were girls in the booth. It's almost never a good broadcast when you take teams and you just put generic commentators who have no connection to anything going on on the game. And I wonder why none of the networks, not like Fox, ESPN, no one ever just says, why don't we do something where we work with the teams and get their local commentators, even if we split the booth, especially now with the Manning casts and all this stuff. Give us alternates that we actually want. Not like another, like, okay, A-Rod and Michael K. Who the fuck wants that? I'm from New York. I don't want that. <laughs> but I want to hear the New York, I'd rather hear the New York announcers than the ESPN Sunday Night Baseball announcers or the Friday Night Baseball team on Apple. What do you think? What do you, is there anything that could be done on these national broadcasts so that, you know, you don't live the entire year with a commentating team talking to you, and then once you get to the playoffs, they go home. You never see them. It does suck. The entire year, I have Gary Cohn. I can't forget his name. I'm looking at him right now. He's on TV. Gary Cohn, Ron Darling, and Keith Hernandez. If the Mets go to the playoffs, this these guys who have been talking to me throughout this amazing year and the Mets go to the playoffs, that's it. They're gone. For the entire month of playoffs, maybe more now, I don't get to hear my announcers. That's bullshit. 
I, I mean, there's got to be an alternative, like you said, an alternative commentary track that they could do. And you're right. I mean, when the Red Sox go to the playoffs, that bothers me as well. We don't have our our normal guys. We have these guys who clearly are not anywhere near as familiar with the team. And someone's out there like, oh, turn on the radio. Yeah, I love my radio team. You ever try to sync up the radio with the TV? Not fun. It'd be a real pain in the air. It'd be a pain in the rear end. But it just, you know, it, it's get better people, you know, for these games because, you know, and the Nationals are going to be a good example of this. Charlie Slows has been doing, you know, play-by-play for a long time. He's very good on the radio. Bob Carpenter's a very good play-by-play guy. Look what he's been able to put up with over the last couple of years, you know, to trying to to get up a brain locking now on uh, the former infielder who put his foot in his mouth and is gone now. But, but Regardless, I mean, those are the types of guys that like they're good at what they do. Utilize them instead of taking a chance to revolutionize the broadcast with two people who either don't know what they're doing or I don't know. I I don't know. Sometimes they just try to get too slick. Did they do a lot of secondary graphics and things like that? Because if you're saying they're too chatty during the game, it's like it's still baseball. You can let things breathe a little bit here, but is this to. just, yeah. is this just a matter of new? This is the new baseball. Are they going with that new look next gen stats and all this sort of stuff on the screen and constant banter? I didn't mind the on-screen graphics. It wasn't overdone in my estimation. It kind of had that Apple look to the point where sometimes I thought like, I was supposed to click my mouse and it was like, Oh, that's just like their, <laughs> you know, that's telling me how many outs there are. <laughs> you know, it's nothing. Um, here was the team. The beginning Friday, April 6th, I looked this up, the broadcast team of Melanie Newman on play-by-play. I don't know who she is. Chris Young, the analyst, of course, former baseball player. Hannah Kaiser, another analyst. I don't know who she is. And Brooke Fleischer, uh, Fletcher, excuse me, who is the on-field reporter. They called the Mets-Nationals game. And then the West Coast game was Stephen Nelson, play-by-play, Hunter Pence, retired player as the analyst, and Katie Nolan as the analyst. So again, with this Mets one, Melanie Newman, Chris Young has no connection at all to the Mets. And Hannah, does he have a connection to the Nationals? I don't think he does there either. No. And then Melanie Newman and Hannah Kaiser, I've never even heard of them before. Those are the experts calling this baseball game. The second game of the season. Second game of the season, I lose my local announcers for a second night game in a row. By the way, right now as we're recording, Third night game in a row, first three games of the season, Saturday night night game. It's ridiculous. It's just baseball does so many counterproductive things for an audience that doesn't exist. They never cater to their actual fans. It's like wrestling. They never cater to their actual (laughs) fans. Yeah. They cater to some fantasy fan base that's not there. I would like to share a neutral uh, announcer story with you. It was the 2004 playoffs. Uh, It was the Red Sox against the A's, I think. And I think it was Rick Russell. Someone told him, oh, yeah, the Red Sox are dead last in sacrifice bunts. And Russell acted like like someone just kicked a puppy. He's like, oh. And I'm like yelling at the TV. I'm like, who led the major leagues in runs scored? We're doing it right. Don't punt. It shouldn't be that difficult. Yeah. It really shouldn't be that difficult. And it just, and again, I'm old. So, you know, and I was lucky. I had John Miller and Joe Angel for a long time on the radio. I had Mel Proctor and Gary Lowenstein. It was another, there was another one of my, 
that was a one of my favorite players too. For nothing for what he did on the field, but mostly for what he did in an announcing and during rain delays when he was a player helping out Rick Dempsey be a complete jackass. But hey, it helped fill time at the uh, Memorial Stadium. So I always loved you know, that. But yeah, but you know, it's like yeah, you utilize a guy who yeah, if a team's not going or if a team's not there, but you have whoever it is in the playoffs because of say Charlie Slow's familiarity with the Mets and the, whoever it would be the Brewers or the Braves or whoever it would be utilize those guys, utilize the best ones you can. This is think, I don't know. I think about back in the day where, you know, Lindsey Nelson would call this or whoever it would be, you know, Kirk Gowdy would call, you know, this team's games. But when it came time for national games in the playoffs, you know, you utilize those guys, and that's why they were great announcers. That's why they became legends, because they not only called their games, but they called these national games as well. Ernie Harwell, Chuck Thompson, these names. And it's like sometimes you get too cute wanting to have your own guys. Like, no, they're all Major League Baseball announcers, all under the auspices of the logo. Utilize your best ones, because maybe – Again, they become voices that people react to. You know, they try so hard, like you were saying, to sell this product to people who aren't there instead of taking care of their base and utilizing some of their best stuff to maybe organically bring people in. They've gotten a little better. A few years ago, Major League Baseball was still shutting down people on like YouTube and Twitter from sharing clips or posting clips, which was, again, so counterproductive. You want to grow the game. You want to get young people into the game. You can't say, don't share this clip. <laughs> I mean, that's like the exact opposite, but they've gotten better with that. The New Japan Asahi TV pro approach. Yeah, exactly. But it's, uh, it's a very un uh, unfan-friendly way of doing things. Guys, before we go any further, I'm going to open a pack of baseball cards here. This All right. A, this is a hey. pack of 2022 Topps Heritage. Nine cards. I've got a Steven Matz, now in the St. Louis Cardinals. DJ Peters, Texas Rangers. Jesus Lazardo from the Miami Marlins. Jesse Winkler from the Reds. Antonio Senzatella from the Rockies. This pack sucks. Alex Kirilov from the Twins. Josh Hader from the Brewers. Let me see, what did he do last year? 1.23 ERA, is that right? 1.23 ERA, Jesus. Enrique Hernandez from the Red Sox. And Byron Buxton, who hit a bomb earlier today. And that is this pack. No inserts. Looking at the numbers, no variations. This pack sucks. And that has been the baseball card update. Anyone else collect baseball cards? I have not bought a box or a pack in, in a long time. <laughs> it's It's been, oh my God, I think maybe 2007. I think maybe I'd have to double check, but it's been a long time. I'm thinking last pack was like 93, 94. <laughs> I love it. It's so much fun. And they've made it so much more fun because of the way they put the inserts in. I mean, they know what they're doing. It's like crack. You know, I got this autograph. It's one of five. Oh, wow. That's great. I got this one. It's one of one. It's so much fun. I love it. But guys, let's uh, talk a little bit about wrestling. It's 35 minutes into the show. I have to say, I'm really exhausted. It's one of the reasons this isn't opening day. It's opening week. I've recorded a lot. I've talked a lot. I've watched a lot, reviewed a lot, edited a lot. And I have to say, not all of it was bad. A lot of it was really good. There was a lot of positive stuff in wrestling the last week and a half or so. John, what was the best thing you saw the last two weeks? I would say probably Bianca against Charlotte. 
Bianca against Charlotte. Bianca against Are, Becky? Becky, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> that I think that was the best match of the weekend for, for WWE. Yeah, I'd probably echo that one too with Bianca and Bailey. I thought that was was really, really good. You know, I I the spectacle of Sammy Sane and Johnny Knoxville, which I know there are people now throwing their listening devices against the wall in anger, but let me tell you something. With WWE, my expectations are very, very low. And I don't watch WWE for professional wrestling. If I did, well, you know, I'd be losing my mind. It is what it is. They promised the spectacle. And in that match, they actually over-delivered for once when it came to the spectacle. So, you know, they balanced that out enough for me with Becky and, and Bianca. Uh, I thought Seth and Cody was very good. And obviously Austin and Owens, I thought, if you can consider that a match, I thought that thing from promo to finish if you call that a match, I thought that was that was my high water mark because what a way for Austin to go out and everybody's going to remember the next night. But I thought that actually was <laughs> was exceptional. And I thought Owens was perfect. I just thought that whole thing and I hated to build towards it. I mean, I would have been pushing Austin being there a lot more. They didn't. It was a, a whack ass build, in my opinion, to that show. But I had a blast with that match. So let me go back a little bit. You said that Cody versus Rollins was very good. And I just want to hone in on that. Do you yeah. think that match is overrated by some? Well, you, the fact you said very good, you said a couple other things were much better than that. Well, it depends. See, there's a scale that's gotten so far out of control and become such a lightning rod for everything that I got to be honest, it was never a, a scale that I paid much attention to anyway. You know, if you're saying that that match is ahead of matches of, you know, look, look, four and a half star matches don't mean, I guess, what they used to or 4.75. Is this an all-time classic? No, but I thought it was a classic return. I thought it was a a perfect WWE. To me, it was the perfect return for Cody Rhodes to be maximized on that night. We'll have to see what happens going forward. You know, Monday, some people thought he hit the wall already with that promo, but I thought <laughs> the return in the match itself, I thought delivered. And, you know, Cody can be, you know, a lot of people, the three-star general, you know, that he was called that I guess has gotten under his skin, you know, matches like this matches against Sammy Guevara, you know, if he can get out of his own way sometimes when it comes to the promo and the presentation and what he thinks he is and how, you know, again, trying to control how people view him. You know, if that can get out of the way, I I, I think, <laughs> again, sometimes his matches will be a lot easier to watch and a character that's a lot easier to, to, to stomach. Let's talk about the mousetrap match. I get that WWE, it is what it is. And, and you're right when you say that, but. Is there a line somewhere where you're like, this just not only isn't this wrestling, this isn't the next thing over the next thing over that. I, I, I just hated that thing. No. And here's why it used to be. And I'd love for that to be the case. But no, they built this whole thing on Logan Paul. They built it on uh, uh, Austin coming back. Uh, Vince McMahon, uh, all of these tricks and, you know, all of this Tom foolery and, and nonsense. And that's what they are now. Now we might get and look, we're going to have Becky and Bianca. We'll have Roman and, 
and Brock, we're going to have matches that we'll be happy about like we did. But with all the other stuff, it's like, I guess, put it to you like this. I would rather watch that Sami Zayn match again than watch that one minute, 46 second New Day match, that four way women's tag match. It's like you're not trying with those matches. At least you put in some effort with the ridiculous stuff. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, that's what it's going to be a part of. And I think it's like the two day WrestleMania. I would love it to be one. I would love it to be focused. I think we that can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. It's a two night, quote unquote, event. And it's just unfortunately, I think we are so far past all of this stuff that it's not going to be able to come back. So you have to you have to find your wrestling in other ways. And you have to find the wrestling, I think, you know, for me that I really enjoy for the most part, almost everywhere else in other ways, as opposed to WWE. And I have to take them for what they want to be taken as, which is a jokey joke sports entertainment company for the most part. I don't think it's that for the most part. Like you said, they had a lot of good wrestling. To me, when you start trying, when you have something for everyone, you have nothing for anyone. That was that was WWE spring break. That to me, that was like WWE looking at GCW and going, let me show you what we can do with a budget with that. You know, that's what that thing kind of felt like more than WrestleMania at times. That, you know, they were trying to, they did the indie thing better than the indies that usually take over their weekends, you know, and I, I wish it was different. They have talent coming out of their pores all over the place. You look at, um, imagine what Bianca and, and, and Rhea would have been with builds over the last couple of years. And that's why it's like, is Braun Breaker going to be a superstar for them? Sure. Should he be as big of a superstar as what he's going to end up as? We'll see. You know, Gable Stevenson is going to debut on Raw. Why? Why? This guy needs to be in NXT and you're going to push him on to Raw now. I mean, I just they make decisions with talent that just drives me nuts because it's the it's like New Japan with some of the things they do. It's the easiest fix in the world because you have the talent. You just need to have the focus. But until they have that focus, I unfortunately have to take them for face value when it comes to their shows. Is that what indie guys think, Mike, that that Sami Zayn-Knoxville match was WWE stealing all their stuff? No, but I think that's how I looked at it. I mean, they did things on that show. Again, when you bring in Logan Paul and he steals the show over, I mean, who was a better worker, Logan Paul or The Miz? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, it's like some of these indie shows. You bring in the guy, he's 10 times better than the, you're, the people that you're supposed to be, you know, working for your own company. You know, it just, again, the reliance on the Attitude Era. Dude, that was 30 years ago. I mean, it's like, how long can you drag this out? Now they're, again, they're trying to get some extension out of Edge, you know, with Damian Priest. Will it work? Is it a good idea? I don't know. How it came to be at WrestleMania with AJ looking at him like a putz and falling off the top rope. You know, I just, it's things like that that happen too often. The Finn Balor falling off the top rope because his music, that I mean, just... Things like that absolutely drive me nuts. And it's like, I don't know where they're getting it from. You know, maybe they're just coming up with it in the writer's room, but they're doing things as wacky there as anywhere else on the planet, except they're not going through. I guess they haven't gone through glass yet. I think AEW, if anybody's going to do that, it'll be somebody in AEW first. And I don't see see it happening there either. 
Last weekend really felt like the end of the Attitude Era, like the end of every homage with McMahon and Austin and the skit that they did. It felt like unless The Rock comes back for one more match, like it felt like a real goodbye. And the goodbye, I thought, was done really well. You know what, though? But I feel like in a way, Rock and Austin are different in that when The Rock comes back, I don't think it automatically takes people back to the Attitude Era. I feel like he's crossed over to a different degree, and also he's returned a bunch of times. You know, he had a program with Cena that was like multiple years. I tend to lead towards that too, and he just and also too. I would because it's because Roman, they're going to have The Rock come back, and you know he's going to wrestle Roman Reigns yeah. at WrestleMania. That's what they're going to build to. That's L.A. I mean, you'd figure that's next year. If it's going to be any year, it's going to be next year. And if it's not Rock, then you go, okay, well, who is it going to be? And this is where it's like, because, again, with movie commitments, him getting injured at his age, I mean, there's lots of things that could throw a wrench in him competing at WrestleMania for whatever reason. So in that case, what do you have? And, one, do you keep Roman strong and do you keep him the champion until next year? And, two... You better have Braun Breaker ready because to me, that's the only guy and you better make sure he's not hurt because that's the guy. If it's not The Rock, what else would you do at next year's WrestleMania? To me, like that's kind of on, on paper right now. That's the only thing because you ain't doing Brock and Roman again. At least I would hope not. <laughs> so. Hey, guys, let me ask you a little bit about the Hall of Fame. And before I get to The Undertaker's Tony Robbins impression, Steiner Brothers, glad they finally got into a Hall of Fame here. I am a major Steiner Brothers fan. I was back then. I go back and watch their matches now, and I can't even believe it. It's just like tag team wrestling on another level. John, you were at a lot of those matches live. You were obviously active when the Steiner Brothers were active in and around wrestling. What do you think of them? What did you think of them at the time, and what do you think of them now looking back? In 1989, I took a look at Scott Steiner when he started to really develop, and I'm like, this guy could be their Hulk Hogan. This is when he was still early in the Steiner Brothers team. I saw a lot in him. Wearing um, yellow. Just, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. We're in the Michigan yellow. And um, I, I was a little bit disappointed when he wanted to stay in the tag team after Watts wanted to turn him heel. Um, they are an all-time great tag team, and if I had a ballot, I would vote for them in the Observer Hall of Fame. And I am I, I'm a, a small Hall of Fame guy. I'm a, a tough guy to get you to vote for them, and I would vote for the Steiners. Mike, what do you think? You won't ever hear me complain about the Steiners. I think I've probably said it on this show. One of the coolest things to me being 13 years old in 1989 is, and being a big Eddie Gilbert fan and watching Rick Steiner in Mid-South, you know, flourish into what he became, you know, teaming with Sting. I love them. I loved Eddie Gilbert and Missy Hyatt being Missy Hyatt. And they would come out to Welcome to the Jungle and they had the dog and like, they were the coolest thing in the goddamn world. And then if, if somebody that, wrestled loved amateur wrestling they're just beating you and all sorts of they're picking you up and throwing you and then they're developing these moves i just saw rick steiner today <laughs> you know to actually hit somebody with a chin breaking stunner you know and look like he almost killed the guy too which is probably why he never did it again thank god steve austin was able to refine that one over the years but it was like to watch him do that to watch scott 
you know, do this, the Frankensteiner, he, the, he, him doing one of the first four fifties way back in the day. I just, some of the things they were able to do at their size, they were just amazing to watch. And I, they are certainly in my personal hall of fame. And now that tag teams are seemingly going to get a push on the observer hall of fame ballot with young blood and steamboat being on there with Jack and Jerry Briscoe, with some of the teams that are being put on there and seemingly a new emphasis on it. I think we're going to see the Steiners go in. Now we may see Tully and Arn go in too, because again, it's which is the wrong. Influence. Which shouldn't, which shouldn't it, it, you're, you're right. But you know why I think that they may end up getting the bump is because of how influential they are. And the fact that their DNA seems to be so locked in to so many of these guys on the Indies that they, again, they may, they may, may or may not. I think the Steiners are, are locks at some point to go in, but I can see Arn and Tully maybe again, the FTR effect and things like that, where people go back and study them, you know, again, not as maybe as much as the rock and roll in the midnights, but Arn and Tully seem to be again on the indie scene, a team that everybody has studied. Mike, they were, they were team. They teamed together for like two years, two years. maybe three months. You are exactly That's right. I'm not saying I'm going to vote for him and put him in, you know, but I, I could absolutely see them make, look, making their way. in. there are people that are going to bag on steamboat and youngblood the same way. And I'm going to vote for them. But again, I, I, you can make a, such a stronger case for so many teams, including the Steiners who aren't in, including Ole and Gene, who I don't know, they're off the ballot. I have no idea. That's a sin in itself. But like, you know, to me of all the teams, you know, the Steiners, their influence, their what they look, what where what they were in Japan, where they have been everywhere, plus their single success. I, I don't know. I just think they are they have always been a no-brainer to me. The Undertaker's speech. Mike, what do you what did you think? I didn't see it. <laughs> you didn't see it really? I only caught clips of it and him you know, seeming like he was auditioning for his TED talk and, and all that sort of stuff. And look, I'm not going to begrudge him for that uh, because he does need to have a career outside of wrestling. I probably will never hear him publicly speak, no matter where he is being a public speaker at. But, you know, good for him that way. I just had no interest in the Hall of Fame this year other than to see. I do want to see the Steiner speech, but. I have had enough of of Mark Calloway talking. I've had a, a kind of enough of the Undertaker, and from what it seemed like, you know, outside of leaving McFoley out, which was notable, it didn't seem like there was anything newsworthy or revolutionary that came out that he said. I too did not see it. Um, from what I understand, either you loved it or hated it. It was different, and I can't say it was bad. I think it was really good, but it was very different. You didn't expect The Undertaker to go in there wearing a headset like Britney Spears and just start talking not just about wrestling, but his plans for life. If this is him going on the road for motivational speaking, I hope he didn't just blow through all of his material, A, on a national stage. B, I would have to think with The Undertaker, it's more corporate gigs than school auditoriums or whatever it may be. But it was an interesting speech. And it was different. And I saw some people say it was the best speech in the history of the Hall of Fame. I don't know. It's hard to judge. It's like almost like the Undertaker cinematic match. All of a sudden, there's a different kind of speech than we've ever seen in the middle of this whole thing. He did say never say never at the end. 
So there's your opponent for Roman Reigns next year. Oh, so no. Please say never. <laughs> no, no, Please no. say never. He did say that. That was the last thing he said was, never say never. And I'm like, oh, no, never, never. But wouldn't his motivational speech be more effective if he talked in kayfabe? Like, instead of like, I overcame being gigantic and, you know, strong by becoming a millionaire. Like, whatever his story is. Wouldn't the story be like better if it was like, I overcame having a sick, twisted man who I didn't even know was my dad named Paul Bearer and his brother who I burned. And like, wouldn't that be a better story? The kayfabe one than the real one? Well, let me ask you, was he... <laughs> I don't, this is going to sound funny, but was he an approachable... Did he seem... Very Genuine, approachable, yes. Like an endearing, you know, type of figure that okay, I did come listen to Uncle Mark if he's talking. Like, I mean, did he it did he smile and all that? I would say it was sixty percent TED Talk, twenty percent Joel Osteen, and twenty percent the other <laughs> That's what I would say. The speech, was. you know, I, I maybe he can't be that eloquent to talk about his career and feel comfortable enough doing it in those terms where he kind of like, and then my father was killed in a vat of oatmeal, you know, yeah, it's just like type of deal where, you know, then he was pushed down, you know, off of this ledge uh, and all of the things that he's done and all that stuff. Maybe he just, he does not have a way to verbalize his career in that way where he's able to do it. Whereas a, a Mick Foley or even a Kane, you know, a Glenn Jacobs is able to, to take people through his career and kind of guide them through and, you know, point out some of the laughs and things like that. I was having all this fun with the Godfather and strippers and booze. And then I met my wife and now I'm really happy. Oh, <laughs> all right, Undertaker. It was different. That's like those. That's like those Harley Race on the record interviews. Like I don't want those. Like I know what those are all about. You know, everything's always fine there. It's like when Flair called him out during the Hall of Fame speech, and he broke up laughing. And it's like, yeah, those are the stories I like to hear. Those Harley Race stories. Yeah. Why did Scott? Did you guys hear the Scott Steiner speech? I heard no. the. What I think it may have been you and Jim talking about it that he did a whole set on. Brandy uh, Savage, some yeah, weird Savage. Brandy Savage story that wasn't even that good. I was like, why is this what you're going to use your four minutes for? <laughs> it made no sense. Uh, and then they give him four minutes and, you know, Dana Warrior's out there doing her thing. And Ugh. yeah, I don't know. It was a lot of wrestling, though. And, you know, I'll say the best thing I saw. You know, it was either and I love Becky Bianca. That was definitely the best thing at WrestleMania uh, that I saw. And in was the second best match probably first best was FTR Briscoe's and then FTR Bucks. It's hard to say which one I liked better, but those two matches were tag team wrestling. We're talking about tag team wrestling. You say totally an honor influential to be quite honest. The only team that really outwardly shows it, I don't know who's watching it is FTR and they've put on a clinic for the last week and a half, two weeks. If you go a little further back, Dax versus CM Punk, Right now, they're in the middle of a very special run, and tag team wrestling is having a really good moment. Dax, I think, got a lot more credit when Cash got hurt, and they called you know on the audible, and then that went so smooth. And I think that may have opened a lot of people's eyes that maybe you know, hey, they have forgotten about FTR because of how they've been booked, you know. And I think that 
that kind of started something. And then obviously what took place with Dax and CM Punk, the interview that he did, I think humanized him for a lot of people who didn't know really anything about this guy, this bald guy who was all about being a mechanic and, and, you know, this and that and all that stuff. I think they actually saw a human side of him, which has helped matters, I think, immensely. And obviously they're going to turn him baby face. That's the whole plan with those guys. But Thank God that they are in the mix. They are the best tag team in the world, hands down. And I love the Briscoes. You can say, with you know, the Young Bucks, I give them all the credit in the world for the, you know, what they are and, and where they've put themselves. But to me, FDR is the, by far the best tag team in the world right now. I think they're exceptional and we'll have to see what happens with the Briscoes. But I'd like to see run that one back two, three, four, five, six more times. I don't care the promotion that it's in, whether it's Impact, ROH, TNA, New Japan. I don't I don't care. I'll I'll pay for it. I'll, I'll go out of my way to look for that one. I love that. And I don't, and hopefully, again, I don't know what the plan's going to be. I would assume since Jurassic Express, I could see them losing the titles to the Bucks. Well, Red, I'm sorry, Red Dragon, you know, so it would be Red Dragon and... You know, from there, is it Red Dragon and FTR? I, I would hope so, but I I don't know. I just want to see this continue. I want to see them face everybody. I love them. John, how much of this did you watch? Uh, I am way behind on my AEW, etc. Um, it, it you know what? It's good, but it doesn't like it doesn't reel me in. None of it? Are there any angles or matches in the last few years that have done anything to reel you in? Anything you thought that was really special? Uh, To be honest, Brian, I have watched so little of it. I've tried to get into it, and I I acknowledge that it's really good. It, it It just doesn't hook me. I think that's the case for a lot of people. You know, and I don't know how many people want to acknowledge that. Sometimes people pretend like it's not a real thing, but there's a lot of fans who feel that way. Uh, Tony Khan just accused a bunch of people of being bots online. What do you guys think of that story? I mean, it might be true. You know, one thing I, I want to make this clear. I wanted to get into AEW because I knew Tony many, many moons ago. So you want to support it. And like I said, I just, you know, I have it on on Friday night and it's just all right. I want to watch something else. Don't watch Friday night. Let me give you the first piece of advice. Yeah. <laughs> to giving AEW a chance. Only watch Wednesday. Don't watch anything. I don't watch YouTube. Don't watch Friday night. Only watch Wednesday and pay-per-views. Okay. Friday- Unless they do what they did apparently, you know, last night with Yuta and like where one out of every eight are going to be loaded up. And I guess some of that's going to have to do with playoffs. And, and just again, they they have not done a good job for that show. Then again, with the show being on the time that it's on. It's like, well, are you just throwing something away if you do put something important there? So the idea of building it up every a couple of weeks I mean, I think that's the best bet because that's a whole other separate situation on what you do with Rampage when you don't want to go head up with the NFL, but you're also at the mercy of Major League Baseball and hockey and in the NBA because of Turner Sports. So, again, maybe the Discovery deal, maybe the Warner Media deal with Discovery is going to change some of that. It's probably going to be a good thing for Ring of Honor, but maybe it ends up becoming a good thing for rampage because to get that show off a of Friday or to get it somewhere, if it's on Friday, it's on at eight o'clock or nine o'clock. Maybe that's the best way to go, but uh, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't think there's any redeeming value to that Friday night fucking show. It's, I think it's, it's almost impossible. It. I, I think Tony has spread himself too thin and he's spreading himself thinner and thinner. 
And I think that Friday night show is a casualty of it. But we're going to add someone else in a moment here, guys. Real quick before we go to this, who's going to win the World Series, Mike? If I say the Dodgers, oh, God. (laughs) For right now, I'm going with the Dodgers. I reserve the right to change this by the end of this call. (laughs) By the end of this call. John, who's going to win the World Series? There's no real standout team to me. I was thinking about this earlier today, but if I'm going to go with someone now, the Blue Jays are like the trendy pick now, but the e- the AL East is really tough, which is why I'm going with an easier division. I'm going with the Chicago White Sox. John, what do you think of the new playoff? Uh, well, uh, schedule is not the right word. I guess the new playoff format. Ah, uh, believe it or not. I thought the one we had prior to this one was perfect because you had the three division winners and then you got this wacky lottery ticket if you wound up in the wild card. Um, So winning the division was so important. And now they've kind of watered down the the wild card a little bit. I, I liked the previous system better. I did as well, too. I did, too. I I think most baseball fans did. I mean, that's the thing. It kept changing, not because of the demands of baseball fans, but because of the demands of owners wanting to get more teams into the playoffs or more playoff revenue. Uh, You know, the exact wrong reason for baseball, but the right reason for owners who are then going to do a rebuild the next year or whatever after they get all that sweet money. Um. You know, they're obviously going to expand. They're going to have Nashville, and who knows if they'll be Montreal or what the other team will be. So you're going to get two more teams, probably. That's what the union wants. But I don't know. You know what that means? You know what that means is two more playoff teams at some point down the line. And at that point, that's when I start asking, and I've asked this already, although I understand why you wouldn't do it, where are we just going to go to two, back to two two leagues, no divisions, and the top eight make it? I mean, what, you know, are we going to go with a at some point because of teams like the Orioles? Do you go with a – you can't go with a re, you know relegation sort of thing, but it's like – you know, I I have a concern with them expanding and then the continuous expanding of the playoffs. It's like, I you know, it just waters down the rest of the season if the season's still going to continue to be this long. You know, you, you're asking all, and again, part of their whole thing of trying to get new fans. It's like, you know, stretching the season from you know into November every year is not the answer. It's not, and to continue to make it bigger and to make the playoffs bigger and put again, when does the regular season start looking like the NBA where guys just don't play for a week because why? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't like it. I hate that they keep adding. You know, the other thing is, and I, this is probably very unpopular with everyone, but it's been since nineteen ninety seven. I would love it if they suspended interleague play for 10 years. And I'd like to be able to see the Dodgers and the Cubs and the Padres and these teams I used to get to see more of. I'd like to see more of them. They're about to cut down next year on um, interdivision play. So instead of the Mets, Nationals, whatever it is now, instead of 19 games, it'll be 14 games. I don't like that. I'd rather play more games interdivision and then more games against the rest of the league they have to play all this interleague stuff. Even if you want to keep a special series like uh, Cubs, White Sox, Mets, Yankees, Dodgers, Angels, whatever. I don't know how special Dodgers, Angels really is, to be quite honest with you. Sorry, Dodgers fans and Angel fans. Oakland, San Francisco, that one's legit. But I would love if they suspended interleague play for a while. I love interleague play. I got to 
see the Cardinals and the Dodgers play at Fenway Park in a meaningful game. That meant a lot to me. Um, uh, You know, I just I used to be just like you, Brian. Like, I didn't want the Red Sox playing the Mariners or the Rangers. I wanted the Yankees. I wanted the Blue Jays. I wanted the Orioles. And I got that, and it turned into the Red Sox are playing these guys so much that now I want the uh, a different variety. And I, I'm also all for expansion. They haven't expanded in forever. Our nation's population keeps growing, and there are more and more people who just don't have a baseball team to cheer for. Um, Nashville clearly could use a team. My second pick would be Austin, Texas. Interesting. You know, it's funny. If other people are saying that, I haven't heard it. And that's an interesting pick there. Huh. I've, I haven't heard anything either. I can tell you as someone who has been to Montreal multiple times, I'm familiar enough with the area. It just does not have the area does not have a big enough. Uh, what's what I'm looking for? Television audience to support a major league team. As soon as you go outside of Montreal, you're in farmland. Yeah, and you need a stadium, too. That's the other problem you have. That's another thing. Yeah. It's not like you can make it the province's team, you know, considering the Quebec City and Montreal. I mean, they're two completely, I want to say, distinct places. But, I mean, sporting-wise, they certainly have seemed very distinct over the years when it's come to their fighters and their hockey teams and things like that. So it's like, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, a good idea. I don't know if Vegas is a good idea, although I guess that has kind of dissipated a little bit with everybody wanting to go there. I, I wonder down the line, do, does Vegas, is Vegas an option or is that too many teams located in two again, does it, do they deserve a team? You know, obviously there's reasons to put it there. It would be financial reasons to put it there, but would it make yeah. sense in the long term? And does it ultimately turn into a situation like Miami, something, you know, every couple of years or Baltimore or Pittsburgh where, they're just kind of swimming on the bottom or they'll make runs every six years or so. And that's it. And again, to be reliant on everybody else's visiting teams, you know, again, I think the, the, the golden Knights are when they stop playing well, it's going to be interesting to see what they draw. And it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. And if other sports leagues look at that and figure, okay, how are we going to do this thing? The Raiders are different. You know, they don't have to worry about it. There's only eight Sundays. I wonder about putting a team there and if that's a good idea, because I mean, who are, did anyone replace the aces out in Las Vegas? I'm not even sure if there's another team there. Uh, Roman Gomez has a softball team. I think uh replaced that. <laughs> uh, no, um, you know, Vegas is interesting just because baseball is now leaning into sports betting. And money. Yeah, yeah. So I mean the idea of Vegas isn't as foreign as it would have been under, you know, Peter Uberoff or, you know, Boat Bowie Coon or something. Uh Montreal, there's a big push for that. It'd be interesting. You can name it after one of the city's big things. You know, you had the expos. Now it could be the Montreal strippers. <laughs> It's what everyone knows Montreal for. I kid, I kid to all of our friends up there, including the He's great not Bertrand. Kidding. I'm, well, they are great, though. They're good at what they do. It's a fun town. <laughs> Even in that 86 Mets documentary, Daryl Strawberry's talking about the Wild Knights. Like, yeah, you know what happens? You go to Montreal, you stay out all night. I was like, you know what, Daryl? It wasn't just you. <laughs> it wasn't just <laughs> you. <laughs> but hold on. Let me, uh, let me add someone here. He has uh, been on standby for a little bit. And I got to use the dial pad for this one. And I got to actually look to see what his number is. 
Brian, can I tell you my story about attending a Montreal Expos game up in Montreal? Yeah, what year? Uh, 80, no, 96, I want to say. Ooh. And the the stadium is across town from where I was staying. And I got my, I went to the game and came back and I was not outdoors for a nanosecond. My hotel was connected to the subway or the metro. The metro was connected right to the stadium and the stadium was domed. Got there and back without being outside for a nanosecond. Wow. Explain why no one else was there. Well, 96 was after everything fell apart with the strike. 96, you had Pedro, who was coming into his own on the Expos, right? You had Larry Walker still. Vladimir? Vladimir. You know, it's funny. I was listening to a commentator today saying how Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has such a great eye in a strike zone. He never swings at a bad pitch. And I'm like, man, his dad was the best bad pitch hitter I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) He would swing shit off his toes up at the sky and he would hit it <laughs> oh he was what a player he was what a fun team that was with larry walker and marquise grissom i mean the, the, when they were that that lockout year oh man again and imagine what the fortunes of that team could have been if they did go on the run and let's say there was a miracle and they did win the national league and they did beat the yankees in the world series can you imagine what that would have done obviously i wouldn't be talking about the nationals right now or at least there's a really good chance i wouldn't be they wouldn't have beat the yankees and i could tell you why mel rojas i know he was still good that year but cubs fans and then mets fans got to see mel rojas i have trouble believing that any team with mel rojas as a closer or as a setup guy, because I think John Wetland was the closer. Wetland was the closer, yeah. yeah. The 94 team. Any team with Mel Rojas in the eighth or ninth inning, there's no way you're winning the World Series. I don't care how good his regular season stats were that year. I saw what happened after that year. I saw. Who could name the only free agent the Expos has ever signed? The only free agent ever? Ever. Since 76, they signed one. Stob? He was a trade. Oh, What man. year? Give me the year. Uh, I want to say 80 or 81. 80 or 81. Who did they trade for? Was it uh was it a pitcher? Yes. It was it um oh god, why do I have Spaceman Lee in my brain? It's not, is it? <laughs> no, he got traded for Stan Poppy. Okay. <laughs> I want to read that book again now. <laughs> Which book is that? Well, Ball 4. Right? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> not Ball 4. Um Oh, what was Lee's book? Because Boughton was ball for. I never read um, Lee's book. Oh, God, yes. It's, it's it was good. called Spaceman. I didn't think it was that good. Oh, see, I, for, I read it as a kid. I thought it was – then again, I was a kid, too. I thought it was great. It okay. was like reading uh, Al, uh, Hawkins' book, Alex Hawkins, who is the old football player, which I always thought was a funny one, too, that nobody has read. <laughs> the I'm, answer is, who wants to walk with Elias Sosa? Jesus. Really? He's the one. I'm reading Valentine's book and I love it. It's fantastic. He's just, he's all say anything. He's great. (laughs) He's like, I remember Ruben Sierra coming into the locker room and Julio Franco telling him, you're going to be fat and bald because of the steroids. (laughs) And I saw Ruben and now he's fat and bald. It's <laughs> a really good book. Hey, I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Speaking of steroids, who was the first player you looked at 
and said, okay, this guy is definitely on steroids. I was a kid. I'm going to jump in real quick because I, I find it interesting now looking back that as a kid, seven, eight, well, no, I'll say eight. Like 1988 is when I heard it on the playground. Jose Canseco. That was the first player that every kid, there wasn't even debate. Like, I heard he's on steroids. He's on steroids. Jose Canseco. That was like the same one for me. And that's what, like, I had a friend of mine who was a big, he had the, the A's starter jacket. He was all Bash Brothers, the posters up on the wall. And then Brady Anderson had that year. <laughs> And, and Cal, you know, 17 different batting stances, you know, hit from everywhere. But Brady being really the guy where it was like, oh, yeah, he got he, he's you, you stick him with a pin. He's going everywhere. So like <laughs> for some reason, like even though it was, you know, later on, besides Jose Canseco, when like that, that version of Brady Anderson was put right in front of my face, it was like, well, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we had that here. I loved him as a player. Well, let's be honest. Todd Hunley hit 41 home runs. He was loaded to the gills on steroids. The first, Canseco's my second guy. My first guy, I took a look at Peter and Cavilia for the first time. I was like, what is going on here? And you know, I suspected in Cavilia, like more than suspected. I'm like, okay, this guy most definitely. And then the guy who was just completely blown up with that, uh, what is it? The Michelin man look, Kelly Gruber. I was like, dude, oh, yeah, this wow. is insane. <laughs> you go watch some games from like early 80s or mid 80s. You know, you don't have to go back to the 70s. Once the uniforms changed, you know, go back to the 80s. Once people had racing stripes. And you look at how slim a lot of those players were because they were kind of form-fitting uniforms. They weren't button-ups. They were like pullovers. And you can see everyone's physique. You can see who was completely out of shape. By the way, and we will go to our next person in a second, one of my favorite moments in Once Upon a Time in Queens was Bill Burr. Finally, I've heard someone say what I've always thought, and he's a, what I've always thought, and he's a Red Sox fan, about Bob Stanley. Goes, he was our closer. Guy looked like he never did a sit-up. <laughs> guy has no shoulders. He looks like a beanbag. But you saw players like that. You don't see any of that anymore. But all of a sudden, a player's bodies really did start changing. Lenny Dykstra admits everything. You read his book, it's nuts. He admits taking steroids, bribing people to bribing umpires or having private investigators follow umpires so he knew who did what, so he could make comments to them. But Jose Canseco was definitely the big one. Pete Incavilli is interesting. But it's really that – I mean, Pete Incavilli and Jose Canseco are both rookies 1986. So it's really – and Bo Jackson, I hate to say it. Bo Jackson's a rookie hey. in 1986 too. It's really the 1986 class. That 1986 tops traded set. It also had the rookie cards of Bobby Bonilla and, Bob, and uh, Barry Bonds. It's really – that's like the beginning of the steroid era to me. And, you know, Paul, I'm, I guarantee a lot of people just like, oh, no, not Bo Jackson. Like, you know, steroids messes up your hips. And what ended Bo Jackson's NFL career? Yeah, the same, oh, thing, yeah. same thing that ended Albert Bell's career. Clean right off the bone with Bo. And people are like, well, he was he was like this in college. He was like this in high school. Let me tell you something about the availability of steroids in high school for big programs and yeah. good football players. Yeah, it, tell, it me, hard, Fritz. tell me, Fritz. Tell me, Fritz. Tell me about high school athletes on steroids. I want to hear about it. 
and it's again, you know, Jackson, Herschel Walker, again, they, again, these guys that are, and that's why in some ways you throw your hands up and, you know, you're going to keep this person out of the hall of fame, but not this person. It's like, you know, this person tested or this person got caught or this happened with this person. And there's so many others from that era that just flat didn't. So they, you know, look at all the things that were said about the people that wanted to defend Frank Thomas. By the way, teammate of Bo Jackson's at Auburn, you know, it's like it, over the years. And now he's there with that big smile, pushing that big bottle of Nudrenix that he has. You know, it's like, well, you know, he nobody nobody can say he did because he never tested positive. But he was at that eye test and you go, eh? you know what, though? For me, I believe Frank Thomas because he wasn't cut. He was big. He's natural big. And the other thing that's always interesting is he was the only player in all of Major League Baseball. That went to George Mitchell when they had, you know, when he was trying to compile information about who was doing steroids and the history of steroids in baseball. He was the only player in all of baseball that voluntarily went to him to talk about what he thought about steroids in baseball. I believe Frank Thomas. I actually do. And obviously no one else does. Ladies <laughs> gentlemen. I, All I, I can think about was opinion. Rafael Palmero pointing his finger going, I didn't do anything. And then, you know, hey. Well, that, that whole thing was, all of a sudden, Sammy Sosa couldn't speak English. He had a translator. <laughs> but watching this guy do interviews on every fucking channel for 10 years, all of a sudden, now he can't speak English. It's like L.O.E. Park hitting somebody with a chair. Like, what do you mean? Uh, no, no speak. Sorry. <laughs> hey, what hap- hey, we're going to add a person in a moment for real this time. What happened with the L.A. Park and MLW story? I heard about it, but I didn't even read it in the Observer yet because I've been busy. Apparently they it was they they jumped on Fatu. It was him and you know the, uh, I'm not sure exactly who it was. A couple other family members, you know, Junior, I guess, and everything. And they were doing a run in. They were beating down Fatu, and apparently they beat him down pretty damn good. Hammerstone, Alex Hammerstone, was supposed to go out and make the save, did, and he got beaten down. They were stomped, just hard chair shots and that sort of stuff, and were just unprofessional. Went to the back. Uh, got into it with Hammerstone. All of a sudden, nobody can speak English. Nobody has any idea. Brother, you know, it must have been a mistake and court fired him. And that's where it stands right now. Not sure uh, how much more has come out about it or or for the reasons as to why, I, I guess. Is it business? Or are they just are they doing business in Mexico and they felt as though they needed to do this? No clue yet. So is this one fat two seems sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, isn't this when you're supposed to book the guy who now calls himself LaParca, once you fall out with L.A. Park and family, it's like, okay, I'll show you how I'm going to get LaParca. <laughs> the guy who can call himself LaParca legally, not you. <laughs> That'd be my move. Well, let's see. Uh, we, we'll have to see how their lawsuit goes. <laughs> Maybe they have a lot of ideas after that. And again, you know, back to something a little bit earlier on before you bring on whoever it is, you know, the whole thing with Tony Khan and, analytics and all that sort of stuff you know he does a lot of wacky things says a lot of you know again tony the promoter tony the the wacky what you know fan turned owner and all that stuff but you know it's hard for me to believe that there this isn't some sort of setting up of dominoes here because otherwise he's going to look like a complete moron so i'm thinking that there may be more fire to this smoke as to what the reasons are, I'm not sure because it can't just be spite that your your bots are running down my show. You know, I, I wonder what is. I have a feeling there's more behind this. I just don't know what it is. I'll give my two cents and then we'll add someone. 
I have no doubt that WWE, whatever the underhanded thing they can do to hurt someone who is truly a competitor, who they'll deny is a competitor, WWE will do anything. And they wouldn't be the first person in wrestling to utilize a click farm for fake numbers or fake, you know, trolls or bots doing damage. I think where people lost their mind was two things. One, unless Tony has a very good reason why go public with this right now, especially with no information to back it up. And that's not even doubting him. Why do that? I'm saying. Yeah. And secondly, I forget the exact word. It was either much of or the majority of. No, it wasn't a majority. It was much of. The chatter about the anti-AEW stuff is bots. That made the people who genuinely have problems with AEW pissed off even more. Because it's like, wait a minute. You know, Jim Cornette's a bot? You know, I'm a bot (laughs) because I say anti-AEW things? So, again, it's a weird move. It's a move that a lot of people immediately made fun of. So I question why do it unless there, unless there's a greater overall strategy to this specific move. I don't understand why you do this right now. The way you did it. I agree because I agree with the first part. If you, you didn't come out with any information, you didn't say who was doing the survey, you're saying the survey isn't final, but you're you're confident enough to say what you're saying, knowing it's going to whip people up. It's either... He really has got a, I mean, <laughs> at some point it's going to be time to call. And when that happens, you know, either he's going to look like a complete moron or this is a domino that's set up. And I'm I'm going off of this is a domino set up because otherwise it's fucking lunacy to me. And all it is, is it makes you look like a troll. It makes you look like a jackass. And I just can't believe that in this case for this, that he's going to do that. And don't tell me something's wildly expensive unless you're going to let me know how much it costs. And now, <laughs> now I want to know. How, how, how much is wildly expensive to Tony Khan? But hold on, let me add this person. And John, I know you only have a little bit longer with us, but let me add this person. He's being added now. He's on a cell phone. We'll see if this connection is acceptable for the standards of this bullshit show that we are doing right now. <laughs> it says that it is calling him, the indicator here. Hello. Hello. Hello, Brian. <laughs> yes. Brian, it's me, Fred Schneider from the B fifty two. I forgot about this character. Hello, Fred Schneider. How are you? Oh, I'm just terrific. I haven't heard from you in a coon's age. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you, uh, Mr. Fred Schneider from the B fifty two's Rock Lobster himself? Uh terrific, yeah. Did somebody say opening day? Uh, yes, opening day, opening week, opening day Star Wars, correct. Well, I've got a little song for you. Oh. Meet, meet the Mets, meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kitties, bring your partner. Guaranteed <laughs> to have a great time, aren't you? Because the Mets are really socking the ball, knocking those homers right over the wall. East Side Boys and West Side Girls. Everybody's going down, down. You meet the M-E-T-S Mets of New York Town. You know, it's the record. It's the subtleties. <laughs> it's the little things that only someone who knows that song would know that made it good. But Fred Schneider, 
Congratulations. I would rather hear it from Kate, but uh, thank you, Fred. Uh, well, I'd love to hang out with and talk baseball with you guys all night. But I've got a show tonight at Squanto's Palace Casino in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. <laughs> all right. Well, good luck with I'm that. Gonna, I'm going to hand it. I'm going to hand it right over to my buddy, Scott. But uh, quick, ask me who my favorite baseball player is. Who's your favorite baseball player? Ed Cranepool. <laughs> Thank you, All right. Fred. Hey. Thank you, Fred Schneider. Scott Thank Cornish, you, the noted wrestling Hello. humorist. Welcome to opening day, opening week, Star Wars. You're on the line with oh, myself, my as well as the host of Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam, 200 episodes strong. Ah. Mr. Jo- Mr. 200, John McAdam. Mr. Wow, 200. And also, Mr. 200, Scotty, right. how are you? I'm all right. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> also on the line Pretty is good. Mike Sempervivi, as I talk over everyone. I apologize to almost no one, but Mike Hello, Sempervivi. Mike. Wow. They call me oh, Mr. 235, which at 5'8 is a real problem right now. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Scott, how are you? All right. You're, 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 you're saying you're, you're what, what Vince used to say was uh, somebody with a low center of gravity. That's That would be a nice way of saying it. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We've been there. We've all been there. You know, I'm still there. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, how are you? All right. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm actually pretty good. You know, I'm at, uh, went to a concert a couple of weeks ago in Boston that was fantastic. And I got a couple, couple more coming up this week and it's starting to feel like old times, you know, <laughs> where you actually leave the house and emerge into, uh, into, into the public. And, uh, you know, I, I see, and I'm, I'm being seen, you know, <laughs> who is here that it's been a rough couple of years. Who are you seeing in concert? It's been a horrible couple of years. I just saw Sparks up in Boston, and uh, I have a long time uh, love and obsession for the band Sparks, and uh, it was really spectacular. They're finally getting uh, their proper respect here in the states. It was, it was a total love fest. <laughs> the night that the, they're finally—it <laughs> really only took fifty years—they're finally getting the respect all. in the states. <laughs> no, I just mean you know. When they first came out, they would play places that size or, or bigger, which was uh, I saw them in a place that was about two thousand people, um, but like that size or bigger, you know, they they toured like any regular rock band, and then never happened for them in the states, and and did happen for them overseas, and that's sort of what kept them going. But now I think the documentary and a lot of other things, and just their continued. Uh, Work, work rate, as they say in wrestling, is there a continued effort at producing new material and stuff like that that's of, of good quality? Um, yeah, I think I think that the, the 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 love for them in the states has finally caught up with them, giving them what they deserve. It was a great, great concert, just a whirlwind trip. Just went out to Boston one day, came back the next day, but had a great time while I was out there. And as a matter of fact. Uh, the the street Tremont Street that the theater was on is in like Boston's theater district. There's like five beautiful theaters on the same block, you know, on both sides of the street. And just about everything, everybody had a big show that night. So we got out there and the place was completely mobbed. But 
right across the street from the Schubert was the Wilbur Theater. Now, remember, this was like last Wednesday. And headlining at the Wilbur Theater, Chris Rock. Uh, two, two shows at the Wilbur for Chris Rock, his first concert appearances since he got slapped at the Oscars. <laughs> that street was absolutely mobbed with news news crews and fans and all kinds of shit. Hey, Scott, were, before the pandemic, were you a big traveler uh, going to see shows or did you just kind of stay local? And, and because of the pandemic, you've been driven nuts where it's like, OK, I'll go halfway across the country. I don't care to see a show. Did you travel you, a lot before that? Yes. In a word, yes. <laughs> uh, in recent years, even before the pandemic, just not to go into it all, but I had a rough couple of years taking care of people here at home. and. Um, and especially so when the pandemic happened, I had been, you know, sort of out of circulation for about six months. So I didn't have to adjust to staying home and taking care of people at home and take care of myself and staying out of, you know, out of harm's way. I'd already had like about a six month head start. But then fortunately, none of us tested positive or caught COVID, but anything else bad that could happen kind of befell us during that time. It was a very rough period. But of late, um, I rarely leave New York. You know, I'll go just about anywhere in the state within a small <laughs> within a small area to go to a show. And once things started opening up again, I thought after almost two years of not seeing anything or doing anything or seeing anybody, I thought, well, I'm over this shit. You know, I, I don't have to go to the, as soon as they started having things again and opening things back up, you know, I was careful, but right, right back out. I went, but, uh, uh, previous to that. Yeah. I would go, you know, if I wanted to see something bad enough, I would just go to see it. I didn't wait for it to come up here because nothing ever does. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you Hello? what. Yeah, I'll tell you what, guys. <laughs> I know he has to jump off in a second, but John McAdam, thank you for being here oh for my. opening day Star Wars and for your pick for who will win the World Series. We'll see how you do this year. You're a previous winner here on the show. Two time winner, brother. Two time winner. Any final words this year on opening day Star Wars? And of course, we want to encourage everyone to check out Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam at McAdamPod.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. But any final words here? Yeah, I want to encourage everyone to check out Stick to Wrestling. We just had our 200th episode, and instead of doing a 60-minute podcast, we did a 200-minute podcast uh, exclusively taking questions from the Stick to Wrestling universe, and Brian Last was a big part of it. Brian, I want to thank you for having me on. Scott and Mike, thank you for chatting with me. I'm going to leave you with one final prediction, and it's a big one for the Major League Baseball season 2022. American League MVP, Bobby Witt Jr. First guy to do it since, um, what's his name? The guy from the Mariners. First rookie to do it Itch since... Since Ichiro, thank you, and uh, the, this, he'll be the third one to do it since Fred Lynn in 1975. That's uh, all, folks. Before thank you, you go, before you oh. go, I just want to say one thing, John. Despite every, or not despite, but we've seen all the things that the experts are saying. A friend of mine was down in Arizona for spring training. He said Bobby Witt Jr. was the most impressive player by far. 
So they. I go. mean, he is a fantastic glove, and he's gonna hit. Look out for this guy. John, take care. Yeah. Have a good night. Thank you, you too. Bye, Bye gentlemen. Well, there he goes, and his connection got a little yeah. wobbly at the end. The perfect time for it to get a little wobbly there. But hey, Scott, before we get into anything else, we were talking a little look, wrestling. Look, look how that, look how that just look how that phrase the stick to wrestling universe just slipped off his tongue like that. <laughs> we always groaned about the WWE universe. <laughs> you know? Well, he's from Red Sox we, Nation. He's allowed to, I think, uh, apply. Okay. It. Thing to it. <laughs> no, I'm just saying it's now common usage. You know, we used to snicker at, oh my God. I still hate WWE, WWE universe. universe. You know what? Because it's not the idea of it and it's not even the phrase of it. It's the utilization of it. It's forcing right. people to say, and I was out there and the WWE Universe was cheering. No, there were 5,000 yeah. people there and about 30 of them <laughs> were cheering. You know, if we're going to well, talk for real. But what gets me is um, people, I do it, you've done it, I've even heard Jim do it. They start, they say WWF, then they correct themselves and say, oh, no, I'm sorry, I meant WWE. You don't have to correct yourself. You don't work for them. (laughs) Call it whatever you want to call it. It's true. That's a very, very good point. How much wrestling? Never, never correct you. How much wrestling did you watch in the last couple of weeks? There were a lot of different things, good and bad. I'll say this. We talked about it on the Jim Cornette experience, which will be out by the time this is out. That Tony D'Angelo segment on NXT, I don't know who saw that. That was one of the worst Ugh. segments I've ever seen on any wrestling show in the history of wrestling. There was no redeeming was it value. This week? I didn't. It was, this, was week. It this week. I didn't see. You ever see, um, imagine the most Hollywood stereotypical version <laughs> of a made man ceremony, and then oh, you geez. dumb it down and you do it in a ring. <laughs> With a guy who forgets all of his lines. <laughs> I mean, oh, it was just, it was terrible. It was terrible. But yeah. how much wrestling have you seen in the last few weeks? And what have you liked? Quite a bit. And um, I've, I've mentioned this before. Wrestling is, is an instant sleeping pill for me now, even if it's something I'm looking forward to. And I look forward to the presentation of WrestleMania. And, and I, even with the two nights, I, I I saw nothing all the way through. I fell asleep and had to go back and watch. The, <laughs> you know, literally stuff that I wanted to watch. I woke up in time for on the first night. I I woke up in time for the the Cody and Seth Rollins match, and I enjoyed that quite a bit. And overall, I liked the first night. You know that that that's no great. <laughs> that's no great bit of news the first night was really really good and uh but overall the the the, the presentation of everything and uh other than the absolute garbage matches uh, uh, that they had mostly on night two but i'll i'll, I'll go come right out and admit that um that uh i'm one of those uh, fucking morons over seven years old that <laughs> cornet said <laughs> had to be an idiot to uh to enjoy the uh the jackass match because i got enough i got enough laughs out of it because i'm a fan of jackass and unashamed fan of jackass but um you know everything i saw was dis was disjointed i saw the ftr uh match from uh the ring of honor show that was great um 
and I can't, you know, I can't tell you because I'm, I'm, I can guarantee you that I fell asleep during everything that I tried to watch. So, so I'll say I did see a lot of it because, but not in any normal sort of way, you know, I had to go back and watch this match and that if I heard that it was good or there was something in it that I wanted to see. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this is the weekend to do it. This is why I'm, I'm paying for the, you know, hardly any money, but paying for the peacock. I don't, I don't dislike having that, that feature, but I don't, I don't, uh, use it very much, <laughs> but, uh, I will say quite a bit. And, uh, but like I said, probably took me longer to do it than it took the average fanatic. What'd you think of FTR versus the young bucks? I, the, the more serious the young bucks are and the less goofiness the the better they are. Yeah. There's still something about me about them that skeeves me out. I didn't think the match was anywhere as good as the FTR versus the Briscoes, but, um, but no, nothing to be ashamed of, but, but <laughs> literally nothing at risk. The FTR had to put up two titles versus the young bucks being the young bucks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there, there was really no, nothing at risk, you know? Yeah. They, if they had a title, you know, like Minnesota Fats used to say, it, there wasn't any, the, the cheese wasn't on the line, you know? <laughs> I, that was a red herring though, because I'm sure all of us watching were going to look at this. The young bucks are going to lose both of those belts. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think they could going into it. I didn't think there was any way Tony would allow that. Ma- well, not allow, but I didn't think he could book that match and have FTR lose the second time. I didn't think you could do it. Oh, yeah. certainly not for where they're going. It, you, you know, hell no. You know, so it, it would, again, the FTR, I assume FTR is going to be the, you know, hopefully a conquering hero team here at some point. Oh, that, that they gave him a big win with nothing at stake. <laughs> yeah, they could easily beat them for, 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 let's say FTR gets the, the tag titles. Well, then that's when they'll beat him, you know, <laughs> but, uh, how many times have we gotten tripped up by that? Because we say they'd never be stupid enough to do that. And then you, you sit there afterwards going, <laughs> God damn, they did it. Yeah. I remember I was there the night that David Arquette won the world title in Syracuse. Oh, <laughs> in I forgot match. you were there. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Yeah. And, and sitting there watching it, it's a tag match. So it's all screwy and he's in it. And, and the sensible part of your brain says yeah they'd never do something that stupid <laughs> and I, I literally you know i was older to the point where rest you know i liked to go into wrestling i liked seeing the machinations and what was going on um but still there's that sensible part of you that says but i wasn't a kid who lived in or a teenager that really lived and died with you know my favorites or anything like that i was kind of already you know jaded you know to where I'm, but where I'm going yeah they'd never do something that ridiculous you, you don't even give it a second thought <laughs> and then they do it and you go wow I, I I I've told people I said I didn't know whether to laugh or cry you know? <laughs> 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 I, said, I should have known better 
I should have known better all these years that they do something that stupid that I'd actually be there to witness it, you know? Um, hey, Scott, the but, night Arquette won the title, what was the chatter amongst the fans leaving the building? I think they kind of liked the fact that they saw a title change. <laughs> you know, it, we always think it's all us. We always think it's all these hardcores that sit there and worry about it and think about it. I'm guaranteed that 90% of that crowd wasn't going, oh, that's the bloody disgrace, David Arquette. <laughs> I don't think they were excited about it, but, uh, you know, they didn't boo it out of the building or anything like that. But yeah, it was kind of, it was just kind of odd. <laughs> Did you see any of the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I saw the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it, it was fine. It was fine. I didn't mind The Undertaker. It's so different, you know, whatever people want to, think of it you know but you know it made sense it was you know is that better than somebody who rambles you know aimlessly for an hour you know <laughs> it's a little less than spontaneous but but it was cool yeah you almost never got to hear that guy talk you know and uh yeah that was all right um trying to think was there anything else remarkable about the evening yeah the steiners was you know Fine. Okay. You know, it was not, <laughs> Scott didn't say anything that, that, you know, <laughs> I think everybody was waiting for him to unleash something and it, that didn't happen. And, <laughs> you know, and, um, who else? Charmel. I don't know. You know, and, and yeah, I heard Jim Cornette was a little, uh, was a little hard on Dana warrior. One of my least favorite people <laughs> that's part of the annual, uh, uh, WrestleMania landscape, but they cut her her participation way down. It, if she absolutely has to be a part of it, yeah, she didn't. She didn't come out there with the little action figure of her husband, and she didn't make it all about her and him. You know, she just kind of did her little I, bit and got out of the way. I kind of want to ask you guys both about this when it comes to Dana Warrior and Chad Gaspard getting the award. Do you think? This is might sound corny, but do you think they should maybe think about renaming it Shad, like the Shad Gaspard Warrior Award, so that in theory you keep the Warrior's name in there and whatever you're doing with Dana Warrior, that's fine. But then there's other people that can look at that and see Shad Gaspard Warrior as him, as the Warrior in this, and maybe do something that way where. So down the line, you can start phasing out maybe a Dana warrior and again, maybe <laughs> bring this to what a lot of people wanted it to be before her involvement. That is right. so funny. Well, to throw his name in it, you know, it, it's, it's just a horrible circumstance that he isn't here and, and, and got an award. I mean, he is a true hero, but uh, you know, I, I, I think that's, you know, his family feels good about that. I think, you know, from watching that, it would appear that that little boy of his is just, you know, sad. I mean, it's so handsome. It was sad when I, you, I never liked anything about the warrior, but to see his daughters is, is, is heartbreaking. Um, it's so funny though, that, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know that naming it after Shad or, you know, I mean, I'm for anything that, that, phases out Dana warrior honest about that but but um uh 
Now, you know, it started with, strangely enough, it started with every good intention of all people, the warrior, strangely enough, meant for it to pay tribute to a guy who they still haven't honored, which was a a guy that uh, worked in their in their marketing and, and, and stuff, a guy named Jimmy Miranda. But the warrior really meant it to be about guys like that, or maybe the woman that works that that does the costuming or somebody who works in catering or, or Bruno Lauer, for God's sakes, you know, any of those people, that's, Paul, that's please. kind of what. Tell that to warrior award kind of winner, what, Joan London. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it, it was kind of met. That was warrior's idea. Then they took it and changed it to something else and named it after him. You know? <laughs> And it be, you know now it's a warrior now it's a ward that that looks like him <laughs> or his 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 face paint or, or you know um, I don't know it's hard to pick at that thing because it's always done with the with the best of intentions and you know and maybe there's something a little weird going on some years you know but yeah you know you you could do what most other most other wrestling groups do, which is nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it takes them, you know, a little while, a little time, a little consideration, um, to do something, to do something proper and nice and respectful. So it's hard, hard to, hard to pick at that thing. You know, I'm sure somebody always says, they even say it about the, the stupid, Hall of Fame inductions is well. Why why haven't they inducted Davy Boy Smith or why haven't they, you know, inducted that? They don't understand that it's not this person versus that person. It's not you know Ivan Koloff didn't go in this year for whatever weird reason. It had nothing to do with Vader going in. How come Vader's in and somebody else is not? You got to decide: is it important to you or is it completely unimportant? Everyone says that oh, that Hall of Fame is a joke, and then they say <laughs> in the same sentence, "Well, how come the Bulldogs aren't in? <laughs> <laughs> how come they aren't in this joke Hall of Fame that we all hate?" <laughs> I think we all know what you know. At least most normal people know what this WWE Hall of Fame is all about. I think the only thing that that's, bothers me that's is the minority what, most well, most yeah, normal guess, people. <laughs> it it only bothers me when there's somebody like a Vader where there does not seem to be any personal reason. And again, maybe I'm wrong about that, where he really wants to go in. He's in failing health or, you know, again, he, he was getting older. He was having health yeah. issues, probably could have used the handshake. I don't know, money wise or whatever. But regardless of that, yeah. why not? Like, that's where I get a little upset. It's like, why not go ahead and give him his flowers? while you, he's not laid underneath of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's, that's funny too, because people always bring that up. They say, well, how can they haven't, because they don't, you know, how can they haven't inducted the Bulldogs or Davey boy or, or, or somebody else because they don't want, they want it to be a, a feel good ceremony. They don't want it to be a somber occasion where you're, where everybody up there is gone, you know? Um, so there's that, and the, the the best explanation I've ever heard was, it it's it's ultimately Vince's decision, but somebody has to lobby for whoever, and it's really just 
somebody, they have a meeting. <laughs> somebody says, what about Vader? Yes, Vader. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it isn't like, oh yeah, that'll really stick it to, uh, you know, the fans of uh, somebody else, Tony Atlas or somebody who's not in, you know, um, it, it just isn't that way. It isn't, this person that, Tony Atlas is in. Tony I, Atlas is in for the record. I, I, bad example. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to <laughs> Ivan Koloff. Okay, somebody who's not in is never going to be in. Nobody can figure out why he's not in. Um, but um, you know, it's just that it's it's just whatever he decides at a whim. Abdullah the Butcher is in, and he didn't sell a single ticket, even though he was in Atlanta the year that they that they inducted him, you know, <laughs> you know, it was very nice that they inducted somebody that was as, as well loved as uh, bullet Bob Armstrong, you know, didn't sell a single ticket. It was probably just showing a kindness to his family who he had several of his family working for him at that time, you know, <laughs> and he let them all go. <laughs> but, 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 um, yeah, but it, 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 it's, it's simply that, you know, it just, uh, it's just a gut feeling, whoever, you know, somebody, they told me the rock and roll hall of fame, somebody who, who, who has nominated people and had people vote on him. He said, it's that somebody has to sort of bring up the name or, you know, I don't know if that's true of the WWE hall of fame, you know, but somebody has to bring it up and Vince has to simply say, whatever his gut feeling is, you know, it's again, it's not like he sits there and plays games like, Oh, here's somebody I can fuck while putting somebody else. You know? Well, the, the other thing of note though, that's interesting is this is the first year that we heard, well, I shouldn't say that, but prominently we heard this year that they used the hall of fame as a negotiating tactic to try to get Jeff Hardy back. We will put you in the <laughs> hall of fame this year. If you return. Yeah. Right. That's well, yeah, that is, yeah, I, 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 it's probably not the first time that, that <laughs> something that like that is, I wonder if he's regretting that now, you know, <laughs> I love, I love those guys, you know, what they did to him that time was screwy, but he, 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 he's, you know, talented guy, but he spent a long time being a screw up. And apparently he's not done being a screw up. <laughs> but, but, no, they shouldn't have done what they did to him. Uh, uh, but at the same time, the guy hopped the rail and just wandered off in the middle of a house show. Should have been fired right then, then and there for no other reason than that. <laughs> what? What? You know, now he's complaining about this, what they did. And Matt is complaining about that. But you couldn't. Nobody's gotten a bigger debut uh, than they got when they came back a couple of years ago. No one. At WrestleMania. At WrestleMania. Uh, yeah. yeah. Cody didn't even get a, that one that big. He didn't win the title, you know, in, in his first match back as a surprise. You know, you can't possibly debut them any bigger. You know, how did he come back at uh, AEW? You know, oh, he ran out and danced. <laughs> While his brother was being attacked. <laughs> yeah, that I do huge. not want it, Jeff Hardy or Bianca Belair to ever come out and save me. It just is going <laughs> to take too long. <laughs> the Jeff Hardy one 
was better because Bianca comes out right away dancing and swinging her hair, like from the moment she's out there. Jeff Hardy ran. He started yeah. with the run, and then he stopped. Yeah, then he yep. started running again. <laughs> so I think because the effort was stopped for a dance break, he's worse than Bianca. Yeah. Then they had to explain it. Like there's there's something to explain. Just don't say anything. <laughs> 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 you made it so much you made it so much worse by bringing it up <laughs> I think I may need to talk to you regularly about your AEW takes Scott you're cracking me up <laughs> well, it, it, it makes me sad because I, it, you know there's plenty to, to watch on there and enjoy now they've, they've you know for whatever reason and I'm a sucker for anything involving Regal so that <laughs> he's back on TV in some capacity, that's fine. You know, I'm sure Arn Anderson fans or Tully Blanchard fans might be a little sad, but that their no, guys aren't you on. You know but. what? I think sometimes you got to be honest with yourself and say, I don't want to see these guys like this. Yeah, I've had that come yeah. to Jesus as a big fan of Arn and Tully throughout yeah. the years. I, neither one of them. Arn, I think you can bring out Tully. I... I, I, to me, I have not seen yeah. Tully be comfortable doing anything, and I'm not sure where you can insert him where he's going to add value on commentary anywhere. I just, I don't know. It, and who is that for in AEW? Jake, too, you know? Who is that for? Not the 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 young, sought-after, you know, demographic, or young, you know, males 18 to 34. They don't give a shit about Tully and Jake, um, you know, is, is that to draw us back? Us old farts, you know? <laughs> uh, maybe it works. I even if I it was, I don't think, um, even if it was, it's bad because if the object is you hear Jake Roberts, then you're going to tune in. Go back to when Jake's de- when Jake debuted. He showed up yeah. un- unannounced for a confrontation with Cody Rhodes, and it kind of went nowhere. It wasn't like the next week there was another promo head-to-head. I think the next yeah. time we saw Jake, it was some, you know, pre-produced piece where he's walking in a field looking for Lance Archer, who's in a wrestling ring in the middle of a field, <laughs> beating people up. Yeah. Like, they didn't even take advantage of it. Arn Anderson, if you're into Arn Anderson, you see him every now and then. He doesn't talk. When he does talk, they don't follow up on it. Tully Blanchard, yeah. I don't want to hear talk anymore. And FTR have improved visually yeah. and uh, the aesthetics have improved since they got rid of Tully. They don't feel like an old man's team anymore. Right. So we'll none see. of the units yeah, have yeah, worked no. to me. None of the units yeah, have but- worked. Um, you put Vicky with Nyla. That hasn't worked for me. You put Jake with Archer. That hasn't worked. You put Tully with FTR, which on the surface I thought would work. Yeah. That hasn't worked. Cody and, and Arn has just been weird, you know, any, several times. Any, so. of these people, any of these people that they signed for whatever, for whatever reason, you know, it, it, it puzzling. Do you realize Paul White had a, had a match on dark this week? Did he really? He did. I didn't yes. know that. I didn't know that at all. I don't, I didn't see it. I don't know who he wrestled. It shows you how much effort they put into it or, or talked about it. I don't even know 
you know, to do the, to do the Paul White scorecard. I don't know whether he was a baby face or a bad guy. (laughs) I think he was a, he was a good guy because I think the whole thing was, he was doing media around the entire area and that they put him on there, I guess, because he's, he's living there or it's near where he lives or something like that. So that's why they did it. (laughs) I'm surprised because I heard that he could barely walk. Last I heard he was in really bad shape, his legs or his knees, I guess. So so absolutely make his return completely meaningless. (laughs) Well, and he's had, I mean, he faced, I think it was like Ricky Shane Page and a couple of his students that he brought down, like some randomly thing. And that's where it's like, I, I don't know. It's not, you know, my money to spend, but it's like, is he, what is his role there? Is he there as, if he's there as a commentator, stop paying him, you know, no offense to Paul, but just stop paying (laughs) him. But like, is he there to do big man camps? Is he there to pass along? Like what they have so many people that I wonder what, what is your function sometimes? In that way, it's very much (laughs) like WCW. There's a lot of people who all of a sudden got big contracts and, they're not used. <laughs> They're not on yeah, TV. I, I like Mark Henry. Mark Henry seems like a nice guy. I wouldn't pay Mark Henry to say a couple of words. You, you know, I just, and yeah. I, I, again, I don't get it. You can get him. He can, you can appear anytime you want to bust it open with him. What is he signed for? What, what are you doing with him? I don't even know if they do enough, uh, you know, if they do enough, uh, whatever they are, ticket on sales or, or personal appearances or, yeah, you know, I mean the WWE certainly keeps all their people busy. I mean, that's probably the best usage of of those guys. You know, I mean, if they didn't have that job, they'd they'd simply be doing that every weekend anyway. They'd be doing a signing somewhere, which is uh, it's interesting that the, <laughs> that all those AEW guys that work like once or twice a week are constantly busy on every independent show you can imagine you know, and doing signings all over the place. You keep hearing about how much money they're making. And yet every weekend you know, they're, they're, you know, they're in your hometown somewhere, you know, or, or, you know, or just doing a convention, you know, but um, some of them are really raking them in, raking it in like uh, MJF. Somebody, he did a show in uh, Baltimore and a friend of mine said he got, not, not, not including it. the figure he heard was something like twenty five grand for two days, <laughs> and that's not including the money he made from the sales. You know, <laughs> but uh, that's it. That's why that's why AEW is so cool because Tony lets him go do that stuff. Yeah, you know? it them, seems like I guess there's you know some. I think I well, think some of them have to. <laughs> well, it's well. There's some rumblings too now with people like your Thunder Roses and such, where you know all of that. Hey, everybody can kind of do what they want, and everybody's got this out that they're going to be able to do what they want to do for this one or two companies. That maybe they're kind of rethinking some of that with some of these companies, and oh, maybe you shouldn't go lose there. In fact, you're not going to go lose there, and. It seems it's going to be interesting to see the attitudes, if any attitudes change with the with the attitudes changing in how, no, we need you. You're not getting hurt inside that ring in that place, because, again, a lot of the concerns that Jim Ross always talked about when it came to this. Yeah, we want to make sure you stay here and get hurt inside our ring. Well, that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Exactly. Right. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, I just love when WrestleMania week comes around and I mean, it was bad for independent promotions the last couple of years where they, yeah, they didn't have that, that one week to make all their money. Then they'll sit right around and, and all year long, including WrestleMania week, they'll, 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 they'll bitch about Vince and the WWE. And look like that. Yeah. I, does anyone ever send a, a thank you note? You know, <laughs> ever, you know, thank you for, uh, creating this thing and keeping it going for 38 years and uh, <laughs> inventing something that basically is our Christmas, you know, <laughs> the week where, uh, we work our ass off working every signing, every little show, every ballroom, every thing that you can possibly imagine. And we sit right around and, and bitch about how, you know, our shit is better than his, you know, <laughs> Well, let me ask both you guys this, because I guess I'm not sure if every single group ran with WrestleMania this year, but with this, obviously, it's going to continue to ratchet up between McMahon and, and Tony and between the companies. Can you foresee all out? Now, obviously, there's always going to be a draw to WrestleMania, but can you see... You know, Tony wanting to raise the big tent and hey, everybody, we're going to have the all inclusive weekend here. You guys come here and run with all out. Don't run WrestleMania. They keep trying to take over buildings in the whole weekend anyway. Does all yeah. out or does an AEW event start to become the thing for these promotions to run every, you know, during that week? Mm, yeah, I don't know. They, 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 you know, they've tried that. And they tried that Starcast thing, and that and that went tits up, you know, eventually. <laughs> and and now I get you know they're sort of rebuilding it, doing it a different way. Um, it, it depends on how how big it gets. I don't I don't know how it can get much bigger uh, AEW than it is now. Um, Made me you know. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it'll just suddenly something will catch fire, but it just seems like they're, they're getting the same audience every week. They're doing very well. I'm not, I'm not, you know, <laughs> you know, but you know, it, it's a TV show, you know, how, how, how do you make it bigger? You know, it's the same audience, just roughly about the same size, you know, now, I, d I don't know what they will do to make it, you know, to make people, I mean, they're doing fine. You know, I don't know what, what, what more they want or if it's possible to get it because I don't know what else they would do. You know, <laughs> now Tony did this, you know, maybe we don't want to talk, get into all this, uh, current wrestling talk, but, um, you know, Tony made this insane tweet today about, <laughs> how the people that had criticized the the what did he call him? <laughs> the, the, I don't have the the tweet in front of me. The the the, the staunch anti AEW faction, you know, are, are are all made up. There's there's some there's some evil consortium, you know, <laughs> uh, putting bots together to uh, <laughs> to. Uh, to, to downgrade, you know, his, his, you know, to put a damper on his party, you know, and I don't, it, was he, has he now taken the attack that he was kidding or, or, you know, <laughs> people are just shaking their head at that, at that 
at that statement and and, and trying to figure it out. <laughs> That's bizarre to watch. He is think, a he, he is a tape trading wrestling fan <laughs> who who spent a lot of time putting together DVDR lists. Which you know what I'm not, I'm not making fun of that, but as somebody that collected oh. magazines and was oh yeah you no, know that's, that's... a newsstand guy who wasn't I I read those and I didn't again I, there is a gap between and I'm not even you know again there, it's it's amazing that that guy that I probably I, I don't know it's he's such it's such a weird dynamic of that's who in charge that's who's in charge <laughs> you know I just yeah. it's it's weird to me because I, I wasn't I was never a part of that whole culture I didn't see a a newsletter that again I saw them I would listen to the radio shows that what those guys would talk about that stuff but it wasn't I wasn't into it and it's just such a different yeah. in some ways such a different mentality Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is funny to see that, that part of it, because on a smaller level, on a a total failure level, we've seen many, many times where where some poor sap comes into some money and blows all of it doing, you know, booking his, his fantasy of what he wanted pro wrestling to be, you know, even skilled people like Paul Heyman, you know, eventually, you know, they did things the way they wanted to do them, the way I always pictured things going, you know, and with varying degrees of success, where it's just some some guy that comes into a shitload of money and, and wastes it all <laughs> running a couple of wrestling shows. And, uh, but, you know, and now this, to, the, to this extreme, you know, it, uh, just a fan who happened to grow up lucky enough to be, you know, the son of a billionaire. And I don't know, how hard he's worked at other things, but you know, they're, 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 when we see him publicly, this, the, 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 you know, just the, just the shenanigans, just the, the look. Did any, did you see, did either of you see the, him hopping up and down like a madman after Samoa Joe came out at the ring of honor show? You know what? I watched the pay-per-view. It was humiliating. I watched the pay-per-view live, and I saw Joe. I never saw anything else. And then after the fact, I saw a couple of the images, and I actually thought someone took a different image of Tony and cropped it into the, or photoshopped it into the image. I didn't think it was real, because it looked like it wasn't real. If you look at it, it looks fake. Yeah, like I said, the rational mind where you say, he couldn't possibly be acting like that much of an idiot in public. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess he is. (laughs) <laughs> but look oh, wow. everybody there reacts to it he's playing to his people and his people right now love him what is going to be really interesting for me is like everybody else that's ever been in charge of and the owner of a wrestling company he consolidated his power as he should have with what was going on that first year and then he does this but when it doesn't work yeah. Then what? Who do you put in charge then? Can you can you stay and lay your hands off? Because when I see right. you in the public and I hear you talk and there's all this manic energy and yeah, okay. I just wonder if when it push comes to shove and the shit hits the fan, okay, you Mister, you you've yeah. studied the newsletters for years. You've are you going to be able to take yourself out? 
And I'm not saying again, it's now, but I'm at some point that time comes for everybody. Then what? Yeah. Look, well, it's, it, it's strange. Um, fans are, you know, <laughs> other wrestlers have used this even as a catchphrase. Fans are, are, are fickle, you know, <laughs> look, look yeah. how he turned on, on Cody, you know, Half of that was his fault, <laughs> but the same thing that, you know, I mean, well, you know, they didn't exactly turn it. The same thing. They, it, some of them are just playing a game, you know, <laughs> yeah. there were people at WrestleMania giving him the finger <laughs> and you go, wow, uh, that that's, you know, I, I forgot that there was a time when this was very important to me, <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, if, if, if the young bucks or Kenny, if they cool off to that audience, good luck to them. <laughs> I don't know what, what happens then, but yeah, let's not talk about new wrestling anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Let me add someone, and then I'm going to actually just jump right. off for a second so I can check on the kids, make sure everyone's in bed. But hold on, let me add this person. <laughs> hold on. Uh, first, let me find this person. Let me type in his name. There he is. Hold on. Let's see if he is, in fact, there. We are dialing him now. My chair is squeaking. Fucking goddamn chair. <laughs> How do I sound? You sound, uh, you know, awful. Really? Lou oh, Kippelman. Ah. Yes. Hey. I'm a, uh, yeah, sorry. I, w- I was busy uh, working on uh, the, uh, the Tony Khan. Oh, you Kong just woke up. Army. Just admit it. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not quite. But mm, I might be going to sleep after I crack this uh, Budweiser Chalata. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, joining opening week Star Wars, Lou Kippelman, the uh, voice of San Francisco, and of course the president of the Joey Bart fan club, also on the line. Indeed. The wrestling humorist Scott Cornish, and of course Mr. Mid Atlantic himself, Mike Sempervivi. Well, well, well. Wow. So I'm <laughs> I, I, I'm going to guess that uh, perhaps uh, Mike and Brian, you've uh, you're at loggerheads about uh, the Nats uh, headhunting the I, Mets. I don't think we're at loggerheads at all. The Mets are three and oh on the season and uh, the Nats look like they're going to lose 100 games. <laughs> and, and Lou, <laughs> let me just tell you, I'm completely fine with that as I'm still looking at my reflection inside of that 2019 World Series mirror. <laughs> Brian's got to go back to 1986. But what I will also say is, as a former fan of the Baltimore Orioles and getting to see his work there, as well as seeing him with the Yankees, Buck Showalter, at three days into the season, is the manager of the year and the man of the year, at least, standing up for his team going out there. He was the first guy out there. He was the first guy Bobby. out there dropping the F-bomb. You can read his lips yeah. like, what the fuck? <laughs> What's out there? <laughs> I like Buck Showalter a lot. And uh, yeah. it could always go south. You know, I hate to say, not that they're very similar managers, but I remember the optimism when I was a kid when they hired Jeff Torborg in 92, mm. and they retooled the team. They got Eddie Murray at first base, and they had Benia, you had Hojo, who was still 
who was coming off 117 RBI season. You had Vince Coleman, you had Saberhagen, and you had Jeff Torborg, mm-hmm. and they were the worst team money could buy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, little did you know that the, the, the skipper was the, the father of the kiss demon. That's right. Oh, shit, Dale Torborg. Ah. That's right. Whenever anyone would say his dad was a baseball player, I'm like, yes, he managed the Mets. Jeff Torborg. And his son always was in the main event because he had to be by contract, but nobody needs to know that. My son was a main eventer. <laughs> yes. That's some good bragging rights for, for Jeff Torborg there. Oh, my goodness. So and I, I had heard that Dale Torborg uh, married, who was in Asia, the, uh, the China, uh, uh, faux China from WCW. Oh, no Is way. that right? I didn't know that. I thought I had heard that. I don't know. Uh, I might he have was been... a big muscle and fitness guy, so I could see how that would be a fine combination together. Yeah, yeah. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. Well, <laughs> I'm just commenting on WCW late 20th century in general. <laughs> oh, oh, so, Asia midnight matches. How I don't miss you at all. <laughs> oh God. Uh, oh, and I should mention that, that, that uh, I was mentioning earlier, Lou, that uh, I was at in Syracuse the night that uh, David Arquette won the world title. Um, you, you lucky but, fellow. But I was so lucky that I almost always forget that the worst match I ever saw was um, was on that show. Now, somebody might be able to tell me this: the re- the 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 female wrestler or whatever they used to call the the female <laughs> in WCW, Paisley. Her name was Paisley, and she went around with the yes with, Prince Ike. Prince the Ayukea. artist formerly yeah, known yeah. as Prince Ayukea. <laughs> yes, yeah. indeed. But 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 was Paisley um, Charmel? That's correct. Yes. It is okay. Uh, she was then, a yeah future WWE Hall of Famer. That's right. Well, she wrestled. I saw two future Hall of Famers wrestle that night when Paisley had a match against uh, against Tammy, uh, and. That was uh, even Jim Ross has not invented a cliche to describe how bad that match was. Um, you know, it it, it was horrifying, <laughs> and, and that would have stuck with me. But then, you know, the next time I by about the time I came to, it was time for the main event with David Arquette, the big tag match. But <laughs> they also had uh, they also had they reintroduced cause he was from Syracuse that night. They reintroduced Mark Miro doing like a boxing gimmick. Not to Johnny B bad. You know, he came back. Oh, wow. He I forgot he ever went back to WCW. I completely forgot about that. Oh, did he? And he circles and he circles the ring and who does he stop and shadow box against, but tank Abbott. <laughs> God. Oh, tank Sinatra. Yeah. It, it was a banner night in Syracuse, but I'm sorry to, to interrupt, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Paisley against uh, Tammy was, uh, 
was really, really awful. Your Tammy almost never wrestled in her life. You know, <laughs> I was lucky enough to see that that bit of uh, genius. <laughs> God, I was at the show in D.C. where they they brought out you know during the commercial outcome Mark Marrow and Sable and stick them in the front row and then I guess they well who's that we know who that is and then. That was it. They immediately got up, went, and were gone. And I think that was also, I can't remember if that was around the time that Master P, no, it must have been after that. But it's like, boy, I went to some nitros where mm. some incredible money got wasted for no apparent reason. <laughs> you weren't there on Silk, you weren't there on Silk the Shaka's birthday, were you? <laughs> no, this no. was the press conference after, I think it was after, was it after Starcade where they they had Master P and nobody in an empty room. And they basically showed, I think, during Nitro, the fact that this was an empty room was just him and Eric Bischoff up there signing their the No Limit Soldiers. Hootie who? Oh, oh man. Hootie <laughs> who? Hootie what? Hootie yeah. where? <laughs> My God. Boy, look how far we've come in meaningless celebrity uh, involvement in wrestling. I know. They, uh, to think they spent so much money that could have gone to Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, I just saw he has a GoFundMe now? Yes. Who the hell in their right mind would give money to Abdullah the Butcher? Right. Yeah, he, he's on the uh, latest Talk is Jericho. And evidently, uh, I guess his... Uh, his uh, wife kicked him to the curb and he's claiming it's the best story uh, he, ever. His wife married yeah. him, hoping she would inherit it all. Instead, he gets sued. So yeah. he puts everything in her name. And she's like, Oh, finally, I don't have to wait. And she took off right. and all that oh, oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. I hope she runs off yeah. and marries Hannibal. <laughs> yeah. he's, been, well, he's been curious yeah. i, I would have figured he'd been all over this but i ha i have but, yet to see any uh any yeah. commentary from him well we already know mrs butcher is a blood hunter so yeah uh, <laughs> well, speaking of that uh, yeah apparently it hasn't been filmed yet but apparently that's the next uh X and S Opus Dopus from uh, Devin Nicholson. He's doing a Blood Hunter, what he's described as an erotic horror movie uh, called The Blood Hunter. That's what nobody wants. The Blood Hunter character. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I was hoping it was almost done because I I'm I I'll admit that I will uh, I'll find some fraudulent way to watch it once it comes out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boy, maybe they can do a double feature with Blood Circus. Maybe oh, they maybe they could hire you to do the voiceover for Hannibal so you don't have to hear his voice. <laughs> that might help. Uh, uh, sexy. Erotic uh, blood. Uh, uh. Does anyone book him? Has he gotten any booking since he tried to murder that referee or whatever it is that happened in Texas? And no. Yeah. No, I, I don't I don't think. You know, you <laughs> That, that whole thing was, yeah. was was weird and anything involving him is weird you know but they act like he just came in and did his own thing you know <laughs> come on Ryan what, what what can you what can you make of some promotion that just says ah, yeah he's throwing a lot of money at us yeah just let him go out there and do whatever <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, Sully, give him your spike. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, how the insane clown posse uh, racked up all those wins. You know, they they, they just uh, pull up in front of these these dumps in their giant touring van, touring bus, <laughs> and come out there and throw money around. Can we go have a match tonight? You know, <laughs> sure. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Here's a case of Fago. Here, let us on. That's right. Yeah. I have I told the story on here before about how. They came one night when we were at Louisville Gardens at a OVW show. I don't know. <laughs> I, it doesn't yeah. ring a bell with me. Yeah, they did their usual thing. And Cornette was there. And when Jim Cornette was running OVW, it it, it was like a, a at least running their big shows. I'm Him and Danny Davis, of course. But when he was running it for a while, you know, the few times that I that I saw him, he, he just seemed so totally at ease. His mother would come to the shows. He'd sit with her, you know, he'd run these shows and big shows so it would, it would draw pretty well. Um, so one night I forget what, when it was, but we're there. And this is the year that this is the year that everybody got picked out of OV, OVW. I mean, we saw little house shows around Kentucky with, uh, uh, with everybody, with Batista, with with Randy, with Brock, with uh, John Cena, they were all there for at least one last show. I think the one we saw before everybody got called up. Anyway, the thing about the clown posse, they did what they do usually. They they are big wrestling fans, uh, and they showed up with their tour bus, parked, and came in to see the show. And and Jim Cornette is rightfully so ask him about this if he recalls <laughs> yeah he's livid he's like get him the fuck out of here you know and he wants them thrown out well they paid and they're sitting down not bothering anybody i don't know if we can just throw them out you know <laughs> and he doesn't want to hear it he just wants them gone you know and uh and they're but finally he settles out he's like well under no circumstances do they can they come in the back you know and um and i'm sort of hearing some of this but i've heard, heard more of this from somebody who was there <laughs> and, uh, mm. and he says of all people cornet's backstage going if they come back here you, you know what it was you know all bets are off if they try to get backstage, you know, try to do their thing, try to get on the show or whatever it is. You know, Well, thank God what, for whatever reason, they never did. They sat, I never saw them. They sat up in the stands, watched the show and got back in their tour bus and left. <laughs> Somebody said <laughs> when Cornette was, you know, was, at, you know, was getting angry about it, getting hot about it. There's one guy backstage who's going, where are they? Point them out to me. I'll go fuck them up. I promise. I'll I'll I'll, I'll destroy them. It, it, it was a young young Brock Lesnar. <laughs> I was like, do, do the clowns know how close they came to being killed that night? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, they were looking for the Ian Rotten show. They took a wrong turn. Yeah, yeah, really. That's where they belonged. My my story was only kind of good, but it could have been much much greater. <laughs> well, no, it's that's a, a potential, that's, you know, potential calamity there. 
there was another thing that happened uh, at uh, one time when we were at Louisville Gardens. It might have been the same night. Uh, the, the main event, because they were trying to get, I think, it was Undertaker versus versus um, uh, Kane or, or whatever, Kane, uh, a Unibomb, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or it might have been him against Batista, because Batista was around still as a Leviathan. Because they would do that. They'd bring in somebody like that, a veteran, knowing that those guys are going to get called up and are going to someday have to work against The Undertaker or whoever, you know. So he was lucky on one show to have The Undertaker there. And they pulled out all the stops. He was in the main event and all this. And it was when he was sort of doing the biker character. So they had a motorcycle. He rode the motorcycle, you know, from the curtain up to the ring, you know. And it was very exciting. And and he's about halfway up the aisle. And suddenly we see a commotion back by the curtain. Um, there's a woman, like, laid out on the floor. <laughs> And we're going, oh, my God, you know, it didn't really necessarily take away from the show, but there was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a stall there, a bit of a commotion. It was like, what happened? Did did she get hit? Did she slip on something? Did she do this and that? But literally, come to find out, she was so excited that when the undertaker came out on the motorcycle, she just passed out. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. People ask why we go to these things, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. She's probably too close to the to the bike's tailpipe and <laughs> and, and just uh, yeah, hyperventilated. Yeah. I've seen people cry at shows. I've never seen anyone actually fall out before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nutty. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, in Japan, you get, you know, people dying of heart attacks when Blassie attacks Ricky Dozen. <laughs> in America, you know, yeah. wo- woman woman falls into a dead faint. But Brian? Seeing a guy. I think he went to go check on the kids, so yeah, he, he stepped oh, out here for okay. a moment, so being, being, being okay, a good yeah. dad. Okay. <laughs> Terrible host, but good dad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, oh man, he's a little full of himself. Yeah. Let's just talk <laughs> shit about him until he gets old. Oh, sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. No edits, no retakes. <laughs> Welcome to Star Wars. <laughs> uh, Mike, I asked, I asked this on the last Star Wars. What was the last live wrestling show you went to? Oh, good. Well, the last live one for me. Uh, was believe it or not, was Game Changer Wrestling <laughs> was, okay. it, was was on New Year's Eve in, in Atlantic City. I actually went there of of non indies. Uh, it was AEW when they ran Baltimore, and Chris Cruz, uh, you know, was very upset afterwards and called the commission. But that pay per view <laughs> was the the last big show I saw was that one, and I plan on going to New Japan okay. and DC coming up here. Uh, when that happens, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I think, I think the AEW show was after the ROH shows. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And that October, that October trip, by the way, of when I actually went in October to Atlantic city to go see game changer and, and see Minoru Suzuki and stuff up there, which was the first GCW show I went to. and was also really kind of the first thing we had done 
since the pandemic. We had made one trip to D.C., but that was kind of it because we were working nonstop. Nothing really changed for us. We actually, for both my wife and I, we picked up time. So it was like this since the pandemic. That was the first time we actually had done anything. And of all things, we go to Atlantic City, New Jersey, which Uh. was not going to be on my punch card, but... I mean, we went out, we had a great time because we just got out and got away. And when you're in Atlantic City, you're never the worst looking thing there. (laughs) (laughs) So I have heard. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. There's there's little pockets of fun to be had in Atlantic City. But overall, I find it a very bizarre, depressing (laughs) experience. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, admit, I'll admit, limited, limited exposure to Atlantic. They only been there a couple of times, but um, but uh, yeah, there's there's other cities that are like that where there is just no. It, it's not gradual. It's very very nice, fancy stuff, you know, where the casinos are, and then horrifying poverty <laughs> just right across right. the street it, 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 there's no gradual oh again suddenly this neighborhood is not so good you know <laughs> nope you, you just you talk you know uh, yeah you know it's, it's always been the punch in the face with baltimore you know a lot of people it's like you know mm-hmm. yeah it's hard to imagine before the inner harbor but it's like the people that only know the inner harbor it's like oh man the stadium's the inner harbor and even now unfortunately right. the inner harbor is gutted and empty and they're looking for tenants to try to move in it is it's so bad but it's oh yeah it was always one of those things where once you stepped outside of a certain spot it it was it was literally over for you and it's it unfortunately has gotten it's gotten much much worse oh man i haven't been to the inner harbor since before the pandemic is it that bad there right now mike where there's so many storefronts yeah, and that's my stepfather, who born and raised in Baltimore, w- was telling me about it. And it's just unfortunately got to that point. You know, the, the aquarium's still there. There's still some things there. But where the power plant, the ESPN zone, have a nice day cafe, all of these things that were around that area, there's no anchors. There's no nothing. All the little shops and kiosks inside are, aren't are there. And it's just and unfortunately what's what's the plan you know and you know it's a story for a different show on a different day but it is a city that is it is in steep decline that you know unfortunately homicide was a great show but it was rooted in a lot of reality (laughs) that people didn't realize and when you go back and look at the history of baltimore it's a it it, it lived down to its reputation It, it truly has Mm. Well, on that upbeat note, hold on. Let me add. <laughs> yes. Let me add someone here to this call to keep things moving. Somebody from Baltimore, I hope. But you know, I wish yeah. actually the one person from Baltimore I would love to have on this show. One of my favorite people is Dan Farron, but he's busy. I knew you were going to do it. No. Uh, <laughs> I love Dan Farron. I the... thought you were going to say uh, Santo Gold. Oh, Santo Gold. <laughs> That's yeah. <laughs> perfect Baltimore personality. You know what? I just found something. Hold on. Before I add this person, hold on. Let me grab this across the room. Hold on one second. Okay. <laughs> it's Sal Rigatoso? <laughs> yeah. Vamp, Lou. Vamp. All right. I'm back. It's so funny you bring this up. I was just going through a box of stuff that was part of the Wrestling News Archive. 
And as a box, wow. it was randomness. For instance, I found a program that was clearly from the early, the uh, February 84 All Japan Tour that David Von Erich died before the beginning of. Mm. And I sent the photo of the final page where they stamp the actual card information. You know, they print the program and then they stamp each night when you go. And I sent it to my friend Masahori. And I said, Masa, what is this card? You know, I thought maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe it's like the first card of the tour or something. And he tells me, turns out it's the night that Jumbo Saruta beat Nick Bockwinkle for the AWA title. So I found that program. Mm -hmm. there. But then I found yeah. this one. Texas All-Star Wrestling Association program number one, The Wrestler. Fullerton, uh, San Antonio, Texas. This is, oh, it actually has the card here. May 12th, 1985. Here's the actual card. Opening match, Shiki Star and Dusty Woods versus Paul Kelly and the Samoan. Rick McCord versus Mad Max. Dennis Goulet and Tom Jones versus the Terminator in a handicap match. The American Force versus the Maoris. <laughs> I don't know who that is. How is they spell this? Uh, New Zealand team, the Ma Maoris. Oh, okay. The Maoris. Okay, that's who it is. Maoris. Six-man tag team action. Wahoo McDaniel, Mr. Piledriver, and Mystery Man versus Chavo Guerrero, Hacksaw Higgins, and Lord Humongous. And the main event at the Hemisphere Arena, San Antonio, Texas. Bruiser Brody versus Maniac Mark Lewin. But what made me get this oh, program out, what made what? me think of it was this what? in it. Was that, was that the match where Lewin had Brody in the chin lock for like 45 minutes? Be oh, because maybe. because they were both pissed at Fred Barrand. Oh, it could be. <laughs> but listen to this. So again, issue one of this program, first page, or the, you know, I guess sec technically the second page. But as soon as you open it, first thing in here, the movie Blood Circus. Did you know that many of our wrestling stars were involved in the filming of the sensational movie Blood Circus that will be released in a few months? Bruiser Bob Sweetan, Al Madrill, Chicky Star, Ron Sexton, Eric Embry, The Mummy, Danny Greer, The Maoris, Steve Sack, or excuse me, Steve Stack, and others the announcer. will be the stars of this exciting movie. This is a full-length film in Panavision and will be in your theater soon. Don't miss it. So how about that? Another clue oh, for man. the Blood Circus stuff. From this yeah. uh, 1985, the first Texas, first post-Southwest program for this company. Wow. Well, there yeah, I remember seeing a glim glimpses of uh, people from, from, yeah, from that promotion, obviously. I remember seeing, oh, in those clips, you can see Eric Embry and, uh, and a few other people like that. And a few that weren't mentioned there, like uh, like uh, woman. woman there, Nancy yeah. Sullivan. Anthony oh, right. Sullivan, uh, Voodoo Malumba, whoever he was. Yeah, that was Big know. Red. Was that that was Big Red Reese. That, oh, that was Big Red. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It wasn't Little John in there as well, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. he was because he was on the stage for the Big Santo Gold fifty-piece orchestra song. <laughs> yeah, oh, until geez. apparently, apparently he got called away during the during the number. Yeah. He walks away and during the number, during the intro. He walks out, and then he just walks back. No, he just walks out. Well, hold on. Yeah. Before it gets too chaotic, let me add this person, because they're on standby, and I'm starting to feel bad. If we thought Scott's <laughs> phone connection was going to be questionable, this person is always questionable. Let's see how this works. 
Uh-oh. We're calling him now on a new number that we've never called him on before. I believe he's out of the house, but ready for action. <laughs> Are you there? <laughs> yes, he is. This is O'Brien. Are we ready to play ourselves? <laughs> well, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Super Podcast. <laughs> a man known by many different names, and I'm not going to say them all right now. But here he is, Vandal Drummond himself, Kurt Brown. That Vandal Drummond or Venereal Drummond, if you prefer. Venereal Drummond, welcome to opening week Star Wars on the line. Lou Kippelman, Scott Cornish, and Mike Sempervivi. And of course, we're all happy to have you here. Yeah. Oh, it is so good to be here, and it's so good to be talking to you guys again. How's everybody doing tonight? I think everyone's all right. Before the conversation goes in too many different ways, and before other people jump in, I'm going to ask you something first, Kurt, because I'm so intrigued. What's going on with your um, Southern California Lucha book? Oh, well, actually, I'm glad I have a little roundtable here because I am I am uh, very enthusiastically going into the time machine of, you know, mostly newspapers dot com archive. And uh, I'm like a kid in a candy store. The book's still going ahead. The, The thing I'm struggling with is while I. I'm really into it. I find that aside from Gordman and Goliath and Mil Moscaris, I'm just uh, um, entranced by the journeyman, the Latino journeyman and journeyman in general. And I'm almost wondering if I should just be doing a book on California journeymen because that's kind of my passion. Those are the people who capture my imagination. Those, uh, Mm-hmm. You know, those are the guys that just draw me in. I mean, I love reading about people like Enrique Torres, the Guerreros. Uh, I don't know if I want to write a lot about them, though. Did you ever read the book, The Unsung Heroes of Rock and Roll, Kurt? No, I have not. I'm already intrigued. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, it may not be exactly what you're looking at. Scott probably knows the book. It was by Nick Tosh's. Yeah, a great book. Yeah, it's a great book, but it covers, you know, a lot of the early figures in in rock and roll that you never hear covered. You all, we all hear about Fats Domino and Chuck Berry and Little Richard and Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis, but Buddy Holly, can't leave Buddy Holly off the list. But there's a lot of names right. that we never hear where the records were maybe only played locally and maybe only played on black radio stations locally. So a lot of people never got to hear them, but great stuff and great artists. And Scott, what do you remember about that book? Oh, just as you described it, the one that that comes to mind usually is Escarita. Is Charlie Feathers in that book? Um, you know, people like that who who and that book was one of the first to 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 bring those names to the forefront, right? Uh, and 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 people like Norton Norton Records who who would put them out, and then slowly but surely they they would draw these names out of. Uh, out of hiding, you know, out of retirement, most times to their amazement to think that somebody at that time, you know, they had put out a record maybe 25 years earlier, you know, and somebody took the time to seek out those records and wanted to, you know, <laughs> unlike today, if we want to bring it into wrestling, where it was so many people 
but you seem to go out of their way to 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 shit on the wrestlers of the past. <laughs> they don't want to hear anything <laughs> about it, you know. And uh, it, it amazes me, you know. I always tell people, like, as far as music goes, I wish I was born. I don't wish I was five years younger. I wish I was five years older that I could have gone, you know, that I could have been traveling to New York. You and me both, my friend. At the explosion of the punk era or uh, or even earlier. I talked to a friend of mine who'd since passed away, um, and we're talking about this and that. And I was lucky enough to see Jerry Lee Lewis like three times, you know, I don't know, never, he'll probably never perform again, but I'm so lucky that I got to see him. And I'm talking to this guy and he says, Oh, he says, you should have seen him. He says, the first time I saw him, he goes, I couldn't believe how incredible he was. And I said, when was that? He says, Oh, 1959. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, I, I would gladly, music wise, I would, yeah, music wise, I would gladly trade being 70 for just having turned 60 just yeah. to have uh, seen the 60s era. I was that odd kid who in the late 70s was, um, you know, totally mesmerized yeah. by Janis Joplin, the hair soundtracks. You know, hair soundtrack is almost like a religious experience to me. Uh, and it's interesting because I've been researching a number of uh, Latino journeymen, you know, and I'm really intrigued by a number of guys, especially the guys who came here uh, from yeah. Mexico from the early Luteros days. Uh, as everybody knows, I'm really uh, um, into uh, Jimmy El Pulpo, who you know, <laughs> the first couple of everybody, years. Of, you know, course, of course, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Yes, yes. But I'm, I'm I, you know, I was researching other guys like El, Alberto Corral, who also came from Mexico, uh, Gorilla Macias, who was a journeyman here, Bill Olivas, yeah. the elephant boy, uh, um, yeah. a curtain jerker named Raul Lopez, who was actually on uh, Mexico's Olympic team in 32, I believe. Hey, Kurt, weird and, question for you, but what do you, how do you actually classify a journeyman? Well, I think it's like, is, Jack, least, Ar- is uh, Jack Armstrong a journeyman? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's anybody you could be, maybe you're somebody who is nothing more than an enhancement talent in a number of territories. Or maybe you're enhancement talent in one territory and you're over in another. Like SD Jones, you know, looked at the lights in WWF, but here he was one half of the tag champions in LA. Johnny Rods. Johnny Rods. And, uh, you know, I I will tell you, in fact, this is the most unique find I came across. There was a fellow in 1938 uh, who was wrestling under the Joaquin Murrieta name. And, uh, um, Joaquin Murrieta was a famous outlaw around 1850 here in California. And he was also the basis for the Zorro legend. And in 1938, they made a movie called the Robin Hood El Dorado that kind of, you know, brought him back into the big picture for a while. And several wrestlers were using the Joaquin Murrieta name. And I'm doing research on the Murrieta who wrestled here in California from 1938 to, I believe, 1940 or 41. And I initially thought he was another uh, person who came from Mexico. Uh, but when I saw the physical descriptions, I said, wait a minute, this guy is much larger. Uh, this can't be him. So I said, oh, great. Now I got to figure out who this guy was. 
Well, it was <laughs> it was a wonderful discovery because when I was looking at the Northern California newspapers, they all said, you know, the sports writers were saying, uh, you know, if this walking Marie, Marietta fellow looks familiar to you, uh, don't be surprised. This is the pugilist uh, uh, who until recently was boxing under the name Bobby LaRue. And I was saying, okay, now I have to find out who Bobby LaRue yeah. is. So I go into a boxing website and I find out that Bobby LaRue's real name was Robert Pico, who went on to become the journeyman Robert Pico, who was the stepfather of Marie Laverne and the father huh. of uh, the first wrestler, one of the first wrestlers I was ever friends with, bad boy Bobby Lane, Bobby Pico Jr. And I, I sat there looking at again, wait, no, is this, is this legit? And so I contacted Marie Laverne and sent her a picture. He says, and she responded, Oh my God, that's daddy Bob. Absolutely. <laughs> and I was, wow, that's I, was, so cool, I felt, Kurt. and I was even more jazzed when I found out when she says, I didn't know he boxed under that name. In fact, he never talked about his boxing career. She says, all we knew is that he boxed. And so, um, and what further brings me back to the whole journeyman thing is when I knew Bobby Lane, the one thing I'll never forget that stood out is that was when I started learning about, you know, the purpose of being a wrestler, you know, cause I always thought, Oh, why don't they put this guy over? Why doesn't this guy get put over more? And, and when he came to LA, they gave him a huge push and he was kind of like a deer in the headlights. And he says, wait, this isn't what I do. He says, my job is to put guys over They're They're, they're pushing me to the top. And he, and the funny thing is back in, in LA in that era, he probably could have cleaned house easily on more than half the wrestlers in the dressing room. But that's not yeah. what he was proud of. He said, I'm proud of that. I make it look like I'm a badass uh, and I'm smacking this guy around. But when he kicks my ass, I make it look like my ass was thoroughly kicked. And he says, you know, I get the story <laughs> told. And I have thought of that every time. I mean, he, you know, even though I, all I, the only wrestling I really did was just, you know, on you know, local indie work. When I did the job, I always thought of what he told me, you know, and I think that's, uh, I mean, I kind of am veering in two books, one on journeymen with maybe a, um, an emphasis on the Latinos here in California, and then another book just talking about the, the Lucha Libre community that started here in the early 70s, because uh, there's a lot of communities like that in Mexico, but as far as here in the United States, I don't think any wrestling community that compact in such a small area of Southern California has endured so much, continues to go. I mean, the, the guys who started wrestling in the early 70s have grandchildren who are wrestling. And, uh, so anyways, I just wanted to throw out your thoughts because I, I haven't really talked to uh, any of my uh, my compadres, <laughs> my wrestling-related compadres about uh, this, <laughs> I think it sounds fascinating. I, w you know, would love to keep encouraging you to work on this and whatever I can do to help. You know, I have in the um, wrestling news archive everything Billy Anderson ever sent from Southern California into Norm Kitesor. Wow! Have. And wow. I mean, he sent everything, like every flyer. Every time he worked for the WWF, he got the flyer. <laughs> every local lucha show, <laughs> everything. So, Kurt. I'm sure there's a lot of guys on those shows and a lot of shows you're gonna you may need information for. Let me know when the time is right. I have that here. 
Oh, thank you. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate this. Appreciate this because uh, nothing that I want to give a huge thank you to Rock Rims, even though you know he is focusing on the Ray Stevens book and you know bowed out of this project. Uh, I don't know if I would have thrown myself into it this hard if he didn't light the fire under my hammock. I was, you know, I. I've been retired for four years now, and while I enjoyed being a domestic house cat for a few years, uh, he kind of woke me up, you know. So there you go. I'm woke culture, okay? Well, I, I was going to say, is this your <laughs> is this your big retirement project in your eyes? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And um, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun doing it. You know, it's all been research so far. I don't think I've really written a word, uh, but. Uh, what I'm doing at the moment is, like I said, I've researched a number of the local journeymen. I've interviewed several people. Uh, but I realized that I have been, you know, the kind of the catalyst for my research is Jimmy El Pulpo. So I'm kind of devoting the next couple of weeks to just finishing the research on him, getting the full story, because his story is a really fascinating one. and. Yeah, I'm I'm actually shocked at just how much you can find just through newspaper archives if you read between the lines. And yeah, yeah that's I why I love old, I that's why I love old wrestling programs. You just hit the nail on the head. If you read between the lines, you could tell a lot about what's happening behind the scenes if you know a little bit. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, and I don't know if I'll be able to get. You know, I've reached out to some of his family members, haven't heard back, but I'm realizing I could actually do a, a, a fairly decent uh, capsule of his career, uh, which at least in my eyes is an interesting one. And then I want to, you know, start, uh, you know, working on all the other guys. Cause I'd say the journeyman are kind of my, you know, journeyman enhancement talent. Those are kind of my heroes in the biz <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Now I would think that just about anybody wrestling is such a unique, bizarre business I as parallels to things like boxing but i think anybody that had any kind of a significant career uh has an interesting story to tell they're not always the wrestler themselves is not always the best person to tell it you know you find that out watching shoot interviews you know the, who had a more <laughs> who had a more bizarre fascinating career than tommy rich and you can't get anything out of tom asking tommy rich you know, to tell a story, you know? Oh, absolutely. Now I don't mean to pick on him necessarily, but, but, um, but yeah, God, can you just imagine if you'd been in wrestling for 10 years or longer, like much longer, like the guys you're describing as journeymen, that's got, I think everybody fascinating story to, to be told, you know, because they range in it anywhere from people who live their lives on the road to people who, always did it part-time and had a day job to people who kind of went back and forth. It's, I think everybody has a yeah. story. And even, even if you're a person who isn't interesting as just an everyday guy, and you know, even if there's somebody who may not yeah. carry on an interesting conversation, that doesn't yeah. mean their life story. If you tell it correctly, you know, don't have to exaggerate. Your, your friend, Tom Hankins, uh, he, he would admit he oh. never, re he never reached the, the great heights of wrestling oh absolutely but he's, got, but he's got insane stories forever you know <laughs> yeah in and out of wrestling he's got, he's and, seen a lot of fascinating and things thank, he introduced and thankfully, he, 
And thankfully, he did make an effort to to put it down on paper, and he's got a pretty damn interesting book. You know, you go, he wow. really does. Page. Yeah. I've, I've yeah. known him since 1981 and he's, you know, yeah, yeah. He, he, he only worked full time shortly in the biz and was really more of a fan than a wrestler, to be honest, yeah. as I am. But yeah. Can you imagine yeah, Chris Colt? will Chris Colt will never have a book written about him probably. <laughs> and that's a shame. <laughs> and, and, yeah. Just, just, just think of that story. That's, that's. Did you see all of his shit know? just and, came up in an estate sale? Yeah. yeah. Kirby, mm. congrats Kirby that, I, Yeah, congratulations to Kirby Strong. That's a, that's an awesome. Did Kirby role. Strong get it? I, I know that guy. He's been writing yep. to me a little bit. Oh, good for him. That's a guy who actually cares he about did. Pacific Northwest wrestling and is trying to preserve it. Good for him. Yeah, he said he Absolutely. found out about it. He said he he got up at like three in the morning. He got there five hours early, and he was there when when they opened the door and a flag dropped, and he got it. Thank wow. Goodness. Good. I wish I wish he had gone to the Paul Bosch estate sale and tried to save that shit. <laughs> That's right. Jesus. Wow. Uh, now what's the story with that? Uh, I, Johnny. What's that, Kurt? What's the story with the Paul Bosch material? Do we do we know what happened to that? Yeah, I mean again, I, I think I went over it briefly um uh, on one previous show, but when the, the Houston Wrestling office had a major collection and it all went in all different places. Bruce Pritchard wow. got a ton of stuff, and a lot of people falsely thought that he got everything. Nick Bockwinkle had a lot of stuff from when he was a partner in the office. A lot of the programs and stuff I have, like Antonina Rocca's debut in the, well, it says the debut in the States, but Rock Rims actually determined he worked on a house show right before his Houston debut, but <laughs> I go, all those programs going back to the 40s that I got, those came from Nick Bockwinkle. Um, so Bockwinkle uh-huh. had stuff. The photos that Bockwinkle had, he sold those to WWF. And they sent a truck mm. out, to, uh, they sent one of their ring trucks out to Las Vegas to pick it up. I know the guy they got it from. And then there was a bunch of stuff. There was a little bit that Peter Burkholz got, and he should have gotten a lot more because he was a partner in the office, and that's what Paul Bosch wanted. He, he has very little. I know he has like a book of all the programs. Mm-hmm. And then there was everything else that was left with Paul's widow, Valerie, who he married a few years before he passed. And her son, Joey. And mm-hmm. when Valerie died, that's when, from what I gather from talking to some people down in Houston, there were a lot of concerns about Joey's health. Um, oh, really? I forget. I, I used to see him at Cauliflower yearly. Right. He'd play and, the piano every year. And I guess part of the issue with his mom being gone is they needed to hire a full-time caretaker mm-hmm. and put him in a home where someone could look after him. And I was told that because of that reason, they were doing this estate sale. Um, and the estate sale, I offered to buy the entire fucking lot. I, I said, just give me a number and you'll have the money mm-hmm. as fast as I can get it to you, you know, depending on how fast I wire it to you. <laughs> and she refused. I mean, nicely, she wasn't rude, but she just said, we have to give the people of Houston a chance first. And exactly what I thought would happen happened. The people of Houston got in there realizing what it was, and they bought. He had every program from, geez, I, I think it's for early seventies on, with mm-hmm. inside of it every contract that the wrestler signed because every wrestler signed a contract for every individual. Yes, the payoffs, all the information, uh-huh. and instead of keeping it intact as a body, 
as an important historical document, those fucking hawks went in there and they bought everything up dirt cheap and started mm-hmm. tearing it up and breaking everything off because they could sell an Andre the Giant autograph for several thousand dollars. So oh, why not just break God. everything up? Mm-hmm. And it's a shame and it's uh, it's embarrassing from... I mean, I don't... It's, it, it does happen. I was going to say, I don't know where else this happens, but it does happen where history is just kind of discarded in this manner. But I think it's just been... Uh, it was horribly done. Luckily, I was able to get a few things that the woman held for me. Um, but it was just, it was horribly, horribly, horribly done. Uh, I know there was a gorilla, there was a gorilla monsoon estate sale, uh, I believe several years back. There was an Arnold Skolan mm. estate sale a few years ago. Cause there was a guy on eBay selling a bunch of Arnold Skolan shit and it turned out he kept everything. Um, so you never wow, know, Wow. but I'm glad. Cur- yeah. If Kirby God got that stuff, Jack. that's good. Yeah. Yeah, God bless Jack Pfeffer for being a rat packer, and then somehow uh, was it, is it Notre Dame where they have all his? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It went it went from awesome. Pfeffer to Tony Santos, and uh, Tony Santos Jr. I think, and then they sold it to Eddie Einhorn, and Eddie Einhorn donated it to Notre Dame. Ah, well then, God bless mm-hmm. Eddie Einhorn, but also God bless Jack Pfeffer for being a rat packer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, another collection that I'm, I'm sure you can find stuff on eBay here and there is when Eric Caden passed away, uh, who was the uh, owner of Hollywood Book and Poster. He passed mm-hmm. away in 2015, and he had bought Jeff Walton's collection in 1988. Oh, and the stuff I loved going into Hollywood Book and Poster one just to talk with Eric because he was just. He was just such a wonderful guy. And, uh, but what was more fun was just going through his boxes of programs because there was no, there's very little organization. One of those things he kept meaning to get to, but there were boxes and boxes of stuff he never opened. And sometimes you would be sifting through stuff and there was stuff that wasn't even LA related. Like you would find a program from Juarez that somebody sent Jeff Walton. Uh, yeah. With all these you know, with all these local wrestlers you would never heard of, or you might hear, have heard the people in the main event, and the rest are, you know, like like you know nerds like me will go searching for the local boys. <laughs> but it was a surprise package that got passed on to his brother, who I believe lives in Texas, and a lot of people were up in arms when he started selling it on eBay. But it was his brother, and it's his call. But if you're ever yeah. looking for old LA stuff, it's always worth going on eBay and who knows, maybe he has other sites he sells it on, but uh, there's a candy store for you if you want. I wish it would have gone to me, but you know, I wasn't Eric Caden's brother. So <laughs> for these types of estate sales, I mean, is there just like a little network of the, the bigger collectors that actually kind of know of this? Cause I almost, when I saw, cause I signed into eBay one day and it's all this Bosch stuff. And it was what was left over, but like bastardized at the bottom of eBay. And I'm thinking, and then I found out there was the estate sale and everything. I'm thinking, how, how does it, how does it generally work? And how Mm -hmm. do the historians kind of work to keep the vultures or the people that they know? Cause I, I'm sure like, cause I remember like in the, at least when my area in the DC area in the Baltimore area, you knew who all the scalpers were, you knew who had tickets and you knew how to work those guys. Mm -hmm. and, And you knew the network. Is it kind of the same way where there is a group that is looking out for each other and that actually know who the Hawks are and 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 
and how they know how these things come about, like when knowing when the skull and seal is going to happen and these types of things. Well, with wrestling, they're a different kind of hog. They're belt hawks. There are guys who buy belts just so they could sit on them and try to resell them at a later time and, you know, just buy them to have them and, and that's it. You get a lot of that. I don't know. I mean, you're asking her there. Uh, well, what exactly are you asking here, Mike? Well, because it's like, how the hell? Like, it's just like, how does anybody know there's a Chris Colt sale, or how well, does anybody yeah. know that? That's... It's like, yeah, I can. I understand for the bigger people and big, like a Bosch in Houston makes sense, but like for something like that, like, how does that network? Again, how does it work? I'll give, <laughs> well, I think I think Chris it's localized Colt. because, um, and I don't know what Kirby did. And we could probably find out, but I'll give you an example. Well, he we, did say we went to an estate sale. Uh, about a week ago, because I needed something and I saw it in a picture. And it was down the street. That's what made us look. And there were just cars. I couldn't believe how many people were there. I lined up to go into this place. There are websites you put a state sale and it comes up with every estate sale anywhere near you. And there are apparently these people, because I talked to the woman there, who this is what they do. This is their Friday morning. They go from one estate sale to another to another. Mm -hmm. Because she said, you're kind of unique. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, you and your wife seem like you're looking for furniture for your home. And I said, well, yeah, we're, we are. What are they looking for? She goes, they're all looking to buy stuff they can resell. There are people here who own antique stores. Wow. There are people mm -hmm. here who want to yeah. go on eBay. She said, you're the rarity. You're actually looking for furniture to use. They're looking for things they can sell. So I think- yeah, the only people, yeah. the go only ahead, people I've known who've gone to estate sales, uh, I mean, I knew people who- not a lot of people. I knew a handful of people who just did it as a hobby to see what kind of like, and sometimes they weren't looking for something specific. They were just finding something unique and they weren't looking to resell it. They just wanted something trippy in their kitschy collection. And as far as the Chris Colt sale, from what I understand, uh, Kirby could tell you better, obviously, but the re he wasn't even mentioned by name. It was just uh, a friend of his saw that, there was a sale with wrestling gear and that friend recognized it as Chris Colt's gear. So it was kind of like a stroke of luck. That is a complete stroke of luck that he would recognize the gear. Come That's on. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> except that yeah. he, except that he lives out there and the sale yeah. is out there, and, mm -hmm. you know? And so, so, so somebody says, Oh yeah, there's wrestling gear, you know, that that's being sold in, uh, Eugene, Oregon, and and he's in Portland or whatever. He's, yeah. Well, oh, absolutely. Be, that's got to be Oregon stuff, which it was. So. Well, and I'm glad somebody who really values like the Northwest tradition yeah. got it because I mean well, that yeah. that Colt was everywhere, <laughs> but I mean Northwest was his were, yeah. was his home. Well, Kurt, you said he got but there Mike, early and he waited online. Were there other people waiting for Chris Colt? I mean, what, did anyone else ever show up in those hours he was waiting online just to get the Chris Colt stuff, or was he? Oh, just... actually, I I have no idea I when think, he got I there. Need, I think you need to need to talk to him on your show. Yeah, I think we may have <laughs> definitely. to definitely. Yeah, if you're listening, uh, get in touch. We'll book you for a special yeah. show. Seems well, to be a nice I... guy. I've always had fun dealing with yeah. him. But um, so briefly, if Mike, if if you're asking, is there a network of uh, of wrestling historians and collectors? that all look out for each other. No. <laughs> well, Brian, who asked you, like, who told you, there, uh, was there, it there, Peter? How'd you find out about Bosch? Within about 45 minutes, I got four different emails uh, sent to the drive-thru email saying, hey, Jim and Brian, 
Don't know if you've seen this. It seems like the kind of thing you guys would be interested in. And it was. Uh, to the point where I got on the phone with a woman and threatened and offered to buy everything. <laughs> um, no, no, no. I offered, I offered to buy. You want to sell me this shit or what? No, there are other people I've threatened. It was not this very, very nice lady. She was a very, very nice lady. But I heard about it from people and I'm pretty sure it just start. I mean, again, the people that bought the stuff, I'm fascinated by the people that bought it up and put it on eBay. Cause how many of them really understood what it was and how many of them yeah. just saw it as wrestling stuff. Let's buy it as people who buy wrestling stuff. I really don't know what it is. I think some of them yeah. knew what it was, which to me is even more offensive based on some of those listings. Mm-hmm. I think some of those people knew exactly what it was. And they were basically just saying, Hey, you know, we went through the library of Congress and just decided to start selling things off. Yeah. So it's, um, but Again, there's a whole yeah, network of people that check estate sales and want something. We just saw something because Suzanne's now checking them because now she's fascinated. There was another estate sale. I wasn't going to go to it. It was like 35, 40 minutes away from the house here. And it was, you know, the usual shit. You see old woman's clothes and, you know, some furniture. Yeah. Usually it's nothing <laughs> great. And then all of a sudden it was, I'm going to guess, every single WWF Hasbro figure with a protective uh, plastic backing around the card and the figure from the 90s. So all of a sudden in the middle of this, in this estate sale, are just photos of all these Hasbro figures. So someone who collects those figures, if they see that, they're not going to go tell another collector. They're going to go there and try to wait online early and go in there and buy all those right away. And then it becomes is it someone who's going to buy them and keep them. They have a collection. Or is it someone who's going to buy them and say, if I buy it for... If it's a state sale, it's on discount, hypothetically. If I buy it for $10 each and I could sell them for $60 each and I buy 50 of these, I hate to say it, they make a nice little nice little profit yeah. on that. I think one of the most like just dumb luck finds I found was um, there's this little town called Solvang just near uh, Santa Barbara. That's kind of this tourist, you know, a touristy Danish town. Yeah. Uh, the the punchline though is uh, most of the population there are Danish, you know, people from Danish uh, immigrants. You know, if you look in the phone book, every name starts with Vaughn or Van. And uh, Elena and I were up there staying the weekend once, and I was just in some little gift shop. Most of the stuff was new, but they had these little used like postcard sections. This was like in the early 90s, and lo and behold, there was a postcard, uh, original postcard of Gorgeous George's Turkey Ranch. Oh, wow. And I don't know what it goes for these days. Maybe, maybe they found a whole bunch of them. I don't know. But at the time, I remember Tom Burke saying that, that you couldn't find one for like under 75 bucks, and they, were, they sold this for $5. And I just one of those little yeah. golden ticket finds that uh, came wow. across. Gorgeous George Turkey Branch. They, oh, yeah, they, yeah the that. roast of the coast. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Man. That was good, Lou. Very quick, very good. I got his stuff from his bar. I didn't need, I don't have anything from the Turkey Ranch. I need that. Johnny Legend actually got to hang out in the bar. He was a little kid too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's that photo of him. Gorgeous George let them in. 
probably because nobody he had no other customers. <laughs> Have you heard from him lately, Johnny Legend? No, but I would like to get in touch. I uh, I assume he's still up in Oregon. He lives in a coast town, and yeah. you know he he goes swimming in the ocean every day. That's his uh, routine. Yeah, and I think he's I'm... just kind of digging. You know, you know, I, I miss him big time. You know, he was the one of the yeah. few guys who Very... simultaneously I adore, but drives me crazy at the same time. <laughs> very rarely pops up on any form of social media and disappears just as quickly, but he's, he's still alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there, he must that, be up there in Oregon, Oregon doing whatever he does. Yeah. yeah I think he's in his mid seventies by now. So, you know, I, I never thought I'd hear the day when he slowed down. I mean, that guy was like <laughs> perpetual motion. You know, he wasn't on amphetamines. He was amphetamines. <laughs> oh Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. And now, yes. a moment yes. of silence for somebody. Yes, yes. I have. How about? I hey, how about? One, how about? Let's give a salute to Jim Valley's return to the podcasting. Yes, he yes. is. In I'm raising my beverage I'm to saluting. him. Saluting. Yes. Now that I heard him on Wrestling on Observer live, and I'm 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 glad he's back. How's his voice? I haven't heard him. Uh, well, you know, Elena, my wife, is a speech therapist, and she heard me listening. I, I didn't listen to it until this morning to his first podcast, and it's very, you know, raspy. And Elena Elena had heard of his ordeal, but she didn't know much else about him. But she heard yeah. me listening. She says, what's the story with that guy's voice? And I told her, well, that's Jim Valley, and I told her the whole story, and she was just saying, and she was actually quite amazed. And uh, she said, "Yeah, he sounds really good I, for what he went through." And then she, oh, you know, yeah. the only, you know, she's very, she's a very nurturing type. So she said, "If you talk to him, tell him that if the voice is in pain, his, his vocal folds are in pain while he's broadcasting, to stop broadcasting." Because she said that can be problematic. Yeah, he. Um, I saw some clips of him uh, doing interviews in uh, that for that Defy Wrestling Group, and yeah. and yeah, the voice, the voice is strained and raspy it sort of reminds you of uh tillman's voice or uh you know something like yeah, that he, he, or, he even mentioned he even mentioned that so he can pat himself on the back that <laughs> yeah he has the voice of somebody very cool very cool totally yeah, yeah. i don't think yeah. he's in in really any pain it's just you know getting them Good. get trying to get those chords back around again and it just He's a literal cat, you know, how many times he was mm-hmm. on death's door and been able yeah. to shake it off. And it's just a he's amazing. And I know he his wife is in the hospitality industry yeah. and I know he does the the podcast with her and they do a lot of traveling. You see all the pictures. But what a a saint and a wonderful woman and everything that she went through mm-hmm. and goes through with this with him, you know, emotionally and all that sort of stuff. It is it really is an amazing, amazing story. It really is. It's crazy. Two tough cookies. Uh, he and his wife. He and his wife went on a cruise somewhere, so he must be feeling pretty good if he yeah the eighties cruise. The cruise. Yes. And but also, let's not for... a cruise ship of any kind. Is, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, exactly. I'm, I'm, exactly. I'm in much better shape than he is, and I wouldn't go on a cruise ship right now. <laughs> 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 that's just me. That's just me. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the that's the first risk Elena and I are taking. The first big risk is we're going on a, a five day cruise next oh, week. Wow, where are you going? 
Is it? Is it's it themed? Up and, what's that? Uh, just up? No, not themed. Just up and down the west. Uh, you know, the west coast uh, with a stop in uh, in Sonata. The only uh, excursion we're doing is Alcatraz. I've always wanted to see that place. Oh. Other than that, we're just going to lay around, eat, and sleep, and you know, <laughs> be well, be house cats. And let's not forget Jim Valley's uh, other support, his his cat Sherman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, if you haven't had a cat or a dog back you up when you're going through something like that, it's a comfort. Nothing wrong with unconditional love. Absolutely, positively. Totally, totally. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, Brian, you were talking about the uh, that we need to bring up the books we're reading. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. Yeah, I've, uh, I, I, I've I don't know if you remember the files I got to pick up over here. Hold on. Oh, me too. Me too. You and me both. I got done with the book I mentioned on the last podcast, uh, "The Long and Winding Road" of Harry Raymond, who was went back and forth yeah. from being a police detective to a private detective in LA in the very, in a extremely even grittier than I originally thought of uh, early tens and twenties of uh, Southern California into thirties. What a coincidence, Kurt. A I'm, I'm reading the long and winding road of Harry Reams. <laughs> <laughs> but that road is not rock winding. That's straight. That's so. a long straight road. So. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes it winds to the left, sometimes to the right. <laughs> Did you go deep into it, Brian? Did you go deep into Harry Reams? I'm going to let you keep that one. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, not, yeah, I didn't do very well, but I tried. But okay, by a guy named Patrick Jenning, and I got to tell you, this is a self-published work, and this is a guy who relied only I think maybe he had one or two interview sources, but almost all of his research by his own admission was just through historical newspaper archives on the internet. And this is such a great uh, snapshot of just the vice and corruption that went on in LA during that time. And, you know, there's, there's even a portion of the book where the detective had to do some work up in Seattle and you find that they were no different from LA. Just, I think LA, the spotlight was on that region more, um, you know, and what's, what's especially great about this book is it's self-published, but the author did not sex anybody up at all. He didn't, you know, try to make it flashier or embellish anything. And even the more saintly characters in the book, he, show their manipulative sides and if you ever wanted to read a really good history book that just captures an era this was exceptional he also wrote another book on uh the death of selma todd the actress who died at 26 and, you know hmm. a lot of people feel it was yeah she was in the marx brothers movies that's right monkey business that's right and on the, uh, on the cruise yeah on the cruise? It was a cruise. Monkey business. It was a cruise. I don't know if it was the California coast, but it was a cruise. Oh, not monkey business. I'm sorry. What was, uh, oh, no, horse feathers. Horse feathers was the one. No, she's in monkey business, she in too. Monkey business? She's in monkey business, oh, too. Her I, boyfriend is a mobster on the boat, and 
I think it's Chico and Groucho and or yeah, Chico and yes, Groucho end yes. up. There. <laughs> That's where Harpo had the frog under his hat. I forgot That's about right. that. That's God, right. I haven't seen that one in ages. I gotta watch that again. But no, she was, she was a cutie who who uh, died in her garage. Uh, you know, because the her the engine was left on. Yeah, she was murdered. And uh, that's what they say. A, a, a lot of evidence says that's probably not the case. Wow, really um, interesting. But I want to read this book because this guy did such a damn good job on the Harry Raymond book of of just dotting all his eyes and fact checking, and it just shows how much somebody can do uh, just with the internet at hand. He did a wonderful job. I don't know if I could match him. I don't think I could, but you know, this guy should be commended. All right. I'll try to do this quickly because I got two big piles. I just moved from the other side of the room to here so I could do this. I promise. Yes. Uh, Blood in the Garden, The Flagrant History of the 1990s New York Knicks by Chris Herring. I have The Price of the Ticket, collected nonfiction work of James Baldwin. Hell of a Book by Jason Mott. This is a uh, hot book of the moment that people are talking about, so I'm trying to be trendy a little bit. Let me put this down. (laughs) Horace Panther, Scott for Life, the fantastic bass player from the specials. It's his memoir. Ooh, wow. The Book of Eels, our enduring fascination with the most mysterious creature in the natural world. It is, in fact, what it says, a book of eels. It's all about eel history. For those of you who are stupid like me, uh, the Beatles and the Historians, an analysis of writings about the Fab Four. I have First Class by Christopher Shaw, the U.S. Postal Service, Democracy, and the Corporate Threat. That's some of the plights no way. of the Postal Service. This is one I actually can't wait to read through because it's supposed to be different. I want to read one. that. Uh, Buster, Keaton, Buster Keaton, A Filmmaker's Life by James Curtis. For once, they look at Buster Keaton as a filmmaker as opposed to just a man in a pork pie hat. Mm. Library, an unquiet history. It is, in fact, a history of libraries that I'm going to have in my library. Uh, Word by word, the secret life of dictionaries. I'm just looking for a history of all sorts of meaningless shit. Naming nature, (laughs) the clash between instinct and science. How do these things get their names in nature? I've wanted to know, and now you can know, too. How about this book? The Founders, the story of PayPal and the scumbags who, sh- uh, excuse me, the entrepreneurs who shaped Silicon Valley. This book is out <laughs> yeah. right now by I love it. Jimmy Sony. Uh, this is not really a book. This is just something I saw on TV and I said, oh, I, I, this will be fun to have in a house. The Ultimate Book of Pub Trivia by the smartest guy in the bar, Austin Rogers. You may remember him from Jeopardy. He had a winning run and now he has a oh, winning no. book. I have... This is an oldie but a goodie, and I decided to uh, buy it uh, upon his passing recently. Modern Manners, an etiquette book for rude people by P.J. O'Rourke, who I was always a big fan of, although Ah. I didn't always agree with him politically. Mm -hmm. I thought he was a brilliant and smart guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't actually know this author's full name. I think it's David Battiel. It's a book called Jews Don't Count, about some of the plights that my people go through dealing with anti-Semitism nowadays. The War That Made the Roman Empire, Anthony, Cleopatra, Octavian, excuse me, and Octavian at Acticum uh, by Barry Strauss. The Last Enforcer, Charles Oakley's biography, autobiography, I got to read that. 
Woke up this morning, which is a uh, history, oral history of the Sopranos. Another trendy book, Chuck Klosterman, the 90s. Chasing (laughs) History by Carl Bernstein. Oh. Unstoppable. The unbelievable true story of Siggy B. Wilzig's astonishing journey from Auschwitz survivor and penniless immigrant to Wall Street legend. Mm. That, that, That title just rolls off the tongue. Comedy, 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 drama by Bob Odenkirk. The Age of Cage, Four Decades of Hollywood Through One Singular Career, a look at Nick Cage. All of the Marvels by Douglas Wolk. This guy read every single Marvel comic from the first Marvel comic in, I think, 1939 up until whenever this book was published. It's his summation of the history of Marvel in storyline fashion. Here in this book. Ah. Conversations with People Who Hate Me by the uh, podcaster Dylan Marin. And uh, only a few more guys. The War. I mentioned this before. Uh, This is Hagler Hearns and Three Rounds for the Ages. Kurt, I've told you about this book, The Lost Cinema of Mexico from Lucha Libre to Cinema Familiar. And Ah, it's on my stack too now. And, got it for my birthday. And finally, and I think this is going to be next on my list because I'm really excited to read this. I read some good reviews. Watergate, A New History by Garrett M. Graff. And reportedly, this is like the definitive Watergate book. I know it sounds like a silly thing because there have been so many, and Woodward and Bernstein would probably have to like to say a thing or two, but this combines everything. <laughs> All the work they did back then and everything that came out, you know, when Mark Felt revealed himself to be Deep Throat and just everything. So uh, that's... Those are the books that are currently on the pile. I just yeah, want I, you I got, to know. I mm-hmm. keep every single New York Times book review from every Sunday, and I think at some point you were just picking up the same book over and over and slamming it down <laughs> and just reading off names. You lost me after. I, I Look, I got Blood in the Garden, and the only other thing I have is Hip Hop and Other Things by Shea Serrano, so I feel like a fucking goof right now. I'm just waiting on Solomon's Chic book to come out. Mike, why don't you go get the Book of Eels? You go learn all about eels and... <laughs> these these are the things I waste my time my own, with. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful only, waste of only, time. What are you gonna say, Scott? I only so just the the only uh brush I ever had with uh with eels was about seven years ago I went to London and I got it in my mind that I wanted to go to a place that served eel pie and mm. uh try mm. it, just to say I tried it. And uh, we went to this place. The place was so totally atmospheric and cool. And uh, uh, thankfully, uh, eel pie was off that day. So I, I, <laughs> so I tried a meat pie, and, and that was appalling enough. To, to realize that I... <laughs> People talk about oh. how horrible the food is over there. That, well, I avoided, like, Things that some people like, like black pudding and things like that, I, I don't care for that. And uh, and I successfully avoided the eel pie, but just about everything else that I had over there, I thought was great, you know, but uh, what do I know? Um, but uh, does anybody else want to talk about their books? Because I don't have too many. I, I've got a bunch here that I haven't read yet. Yeah, the only other ones I I would mention is I'm reading uh, the Chavo Guerrero biography, autobiography that got possibly. It's very good, except it's in bad, bad, bad need of an editor. Bad. 
there's a lot of there's a lot of wrestling books like that unfortunately yeah Yeah, this this one this one is unusually uh it's like i don't know new york Oh, anyway, <laughs> but it is, it's still worth a read. I probably would not have bought it if Dan Farron didn't recommend it. He did say, yes, oh, it, it, it needs some editing, but it is worth, uh, worth a read. Um, and, uh, mm. it, it, you know, the other, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast, anybody who hasn't read Rock Rim's Roy Shire book, that's one of the best written biographies I've read in a long time. In fact, yeah, that, that one I don't 20, have yet. Oh, oh, it's worth going out of your way. It's probably his best work yet, to be honest. And it's funny because that same year, I also read biographies of, I don't know if anybody remembers the self-help guru, M. Scott Peck, the road less traveled guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I read a biography on Timothy Leary. And the three of those guys, Shire, Peck, and Leary all had one thing in common. Very brilliant minds i mean really brilliant minds in one aspect but you know real sociopaths in many ways yeah <laughs> um <laughs> if i could have been any of them i would have been timothy leary let me tell you i could have gone to other planets yeah. but um mm-hmm. but that's what a good biography is is somebody who can uh, just just capture the complexities of the person and it's funny these yeah. three cats were so similar to one another in so many ways yeah i've got um, in my own collection here, a couple that I've had, some of them for a couple of years. I just have not cracked them open yet. I get so easily uh, distracted. Uh, but one that was given to me as a gift that I have looked at a little bit called 20th Century Boy Notebooks of the 70s by Duncan Hanna. Duncan Hanna was uh, an artist, a model, a writer, a, a raconteur. And, uh, yeah, he had uh, intimate uh, <laughs> associations with just about anyone you can name. No uh, way. Dur- during, during New York in the 70s. Um, yeah, so it's all in the, the punk rock scene, the art scene, uh, all of that business. And uh, the real good book. Uh, we also got uh, the biogra- autobiography of Jim Dickinson, a Memphis musician called I'm Just Dead, I'm Not Gone. Great title. Um, and uh, he he figures in prominently in uh, Robert Parker's book, It Came From Memphis. Um, yeah, Jim Dickinson was one of these shadow figures. Yeah, he's had associations. Robert with, Gordon. Uh, yeah, Robert Gordon. I'm sorry, what did I say? I thought you said Robert uh, Parker, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I did say that. Yeah, yeah, Robert Gordon, you're right. Um, but yeah, Jim Dickinson is is prominently mentioned in it came from Memphis and, and uh, Gordon's other books. But um, but this is his own story, which is uh, pretty wild. Everything from you know some brief brushes with with people like Sputnik Monroe or Lawler to uh, Alex wow. and uh, playing uh, playing. I think he played piano on Wild Horses by the Stones because they recorded that down there. Um, uh, Dickinson was a real, uh, a real, I'm already intrigued. I've never heard of him before, but I'm already intrigued. And I think I might be picking that one up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Take a look at that. That's a good, well, <laughs> reportedly a good one. And here it sits <laughs> on, on, on the left <laughs> by me. And another one I want to read is the latest book, uh, by Cliff Nesteroff, who wrote 
a yes. essential book called The Comedians. He's got a book now called We Had a Little We Had a Little Real Estate Problem, The Unheralded Story of Native Americans and Comedy. And I have um, that one too. You have it? Oh, great. Yeah. I have it. I haven't read it. Do you, have you heard about the book he's working on right now? Uh, is, oh, what is that? Is that the one about, um, no, go ahead and it's tell the, me. I, it's I, the I history, know, it's the saying. history of cancel culture, which I am so looking forward to reading because. Oh, that's right. It, yes. Yeah. yeah. He traces it all the way yeah. back to vaudeville. And he was saying the earliest uh, cancel culture they could find was uh, in vaudeville. I guess they made a lot of derogatory Irish jokes and the Irish complained oh, sure. the, to no avail. And, uh, I'd never heard this before, but that's where they got the whole concept of throwing uh, rotten food and feces up on the stage because I was uh, one. Wow. They, they, yeah, the Irish, Irish would go in like, you know, dressed like they're going to vaudeville, but they stuffed all sorts of food, uh, okay. you know, rotten food. And then when they started doing the Irish jokes, they just mercilessly just pelted them. Wow. With it. And that's how they stopped oh, making Irish funny. jokes. And so I'm, I, it's supposed to come out next year. I am, I am just salivating over that one. Oh yeah. Anything he does, uh, he's great to hear on any podcast because he's got so many incredible stories. Very young guy, but yeah. has a real, uh, a respect and, uh, love for, uh, for, uh, the history, the, the, the shadow history of, uh, of comedy. And somebody who kind of accidentally became a historian too. He was just yeah. kind of a collector of comedy records and he just kind of stumbled into being a historian. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Excellent guy. That reminds me, I, I made up a joke today. Anybody want to hear it? Yes, I please. would love to yeah. hear it. <laughs> How did it come? Did you hear what they're calling Will Smith in Hollywood now? No, what? Slappy black. That's awful. That's, that's terrible. <laughs> Where's my I hot dog say, horn? Bad hot dog. Bad hot dog. Bad hot dog. I didn't say I labored over the joke. I just said I made it up. <laughs> no, if you had labored over it, I'd feel great sympathy for you, and we'd do a gun go fund before you. <laughs> Hey, Kurt, have you been back to any wrestling shows yet in California? Uh, the only wrestling show I've been to, and I really really only hung around for an hour, was there is a uh, there was a local uh, luchador here who wrestled under the name of Malice. And out of the blue, he found out he had pancreatic cancer and died just days later. And... He is a second generation wrestler. His dad is a guy named Luis Negrete who uh wrestled of all names uh White Pork. And if you ever saw his mask, you'd think David Lynch was promoting wrestling. It is one of the creepiest masks I've ever seen. But uh they did a benefit show for him. It's one of the you know, I and I I just feel like I feel proud of the local boys whenever, even the guys who don't like each other very much, if one of them falls on a hard time, they pull together and throw together a benefit show. So I went to the little arena on Florence where a lot of the indie shows are happening. And I hung around for an hour, mask on, uh, and the place wasn't the best ventilated place. So I just kind of, I, I saw a lot of the local boys, uh, uh, 
you know, Superboy uh, and his family, Frankie Lima, uh, Jalisco Primero, who was, you know, the LaBelle version of El Medico in the, uh, in 1980-81. Um, wonderful to see the guys and to see them pull together. But I was, wasn't going to hang in there too long. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I hung around for an hour and, you know, watched some of the guys work. And But that's, now I'm still kind of a little gun shy, especially, you know, as much as I love the little back alley arenas, you know, they're probably not the healthiest places until everything really blows over. Well, I hate to ask, but I mean, I just I don't pay attention to the lucha scene really that closely at all. But I know it's obviously been ravaged by COVID. Is has that seemed to have turned around a little bit from what you know, or anything like that? Or is it still still kind of a touchy situation? Well, as far as Mexico, I'm not too sure. My impression is it's it's toned down quite a bit. I think things are getting a lot better, and. Uh, I know several of the local boys, <clears throat> the local luchadores who got the uh, um, the most recent uh, version of uh, COVID. Is that Omicron? Is that the most recent one? Um, you know, they all got over it okay. Uh, you know, I, I'm still not ready to test the waters, but they they are doing a lot better. A lot of guys are doing local shows, and yeah, things are. You know, things are uh, going in the right direction, it sounds like. So I'm still a little gun shy. Blue, how's it been for you out where you are? You know, kind of, you know, where I'm at, we're just kind of waiting to see what happens because I'm in a resort area. So kind of seeing, okay, what what does summer bring? What does it spike as everybody from, you know, all over the East Coast comes down to where I'm at. You know, how is it, you know, where you're at on the West Coast? Because you're almost completely opposite where I'm at in Delaware. You know, right. it, what's it like in San Francisco and in California that did try to lock down and try to do so many things? You know, what did it, what's it like right now for you? Yeah. Because I know, like, West Coast Pro, it seems to be there mm-hmm. a, a lot of promotions, the hood slams and all that, like Oakland and San Francisco in that area seem to be hot, but that doesn't necessarily mean things are okay. Right. Uh, and in fact, I, uh, tonight there's a pro wrestling revolution, uh, has a show going on in San Francisco. Um, my man, Poncho Tiega is there. He wanted me to attend. Oh uh, yeah. 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 I'm, um, yeah, I'm kind of, sitting it out this time because um my wife's nephew who lives with us he tested positive for covid last week so mm-hmm. i i think he's pretty much over it and he got all his vaccinations and boosters and he got the uh monoclonal antibody uh infusion this week so we're just you know kind of playing it safe uh the bay area you know, from what I've heard has been really one of the areas with the lowest, um, the lowest, you know, case numbers, cases in fatalities, uh, over the long haul. So it's, uh, it, it remains an interesting, uh, sort of tango about, because, you know, I'd be out and, uh, the, the mask mandates, um, had been lifted in San Francisco, pretty much all over the state of California. 
So, but I just, you know, I, I keep mine on uh, wherever I go. So, yeah, so yeah. I, I do too. And as I'm fascinated because I'm in living, well, east of the Briscoes, let's just say, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, other than Rehoboth Beach, this is a very red area and it is what it is. So it's been a battle since day one. And now officially those things are falling and there's all the sorts of people like me where it's like, Okay, well, what's what's after Omicron? Because I have a feeling everybody seemed to get over that one. Okay, what's mm-hmm. the next one going to be? Because this is kind of how these pandemics work. Endemic pandemic seems to be the pandemic works like, you know, the big spike comes when you least expect it. Yeah, absolutely. Ex- exactly. I think the, the guard the, goes the, down. The, the, yeah, the new subvariant is called BA2, I believe. But uh, yeah, I've I've. I've discovered now one of the one of the perks of just turning fifty. I got my second Pfizer booster today. So, you know. But how that, many colonoscopies that, have you had? Um, no colonoscopies <laughs> yet. They they did they did mail me a uh, a little kit where you have like a a, a stick and you have to um, let's just say obtain a sample. And and put it in a bottle and mail it off. So mm-hmm. I, I I checked out all clear there. But oh, yeah. you poor guy, you poor guy. I, I I had I had the fun where I got to drank the, uh, the liquid and got to blow everything out of me all night long. And uh, uh-huh. uh, and I was well, and I was semi I was semi conscious when they did the colonoscopy, and I could overhear the nurses talking about. Um, oh, I'm going to Hawaii. I don't know what island to go to. And I do remember telling them, like, well, go to Kona. That's the most bitchin' island of all of them, man. It's it's like really <laughs> fucking cool. And then and then I was out for the rest of it. And when I woke up, one of the nurses, she looked at me and says, you were really funny. And I said, well, I remember trying to pitch Kona to you guys. And she goes, oh, no, you said much better stuff. And I said, what I say, and she says, <laughs> "We're not allowed to tell you." I just want to tell you we're funny, and I'm going. No, I begged her, and she says, "No, absolutely, we're, we could get in trouble for it." But to this day, I'm curious what I said. I'm a little, maybe a little frightened about what I might have said. But, uh, I guess, I guess I got over. I guess I had a fun- mother a colonoscopy. <laughs> Jack Armstrong a month ago, and I he blew my uh, mind when he said he insisted on being awake through the whole thing. And I'm going, what? And he says, I wanted to see how it worked. I wanted to look at the screen. I'm going, well, you're braver oh, than I am. <laughs> good God. Oh, him and the 45th yeah. president. <laughs> I, I had... <laughs> my God. I mean, how big of a sociopath do you have to be to... No, no, just just put it up. Well, there. Ar- Ar- Armstrong blows blows my mind because the first time I talked to him in almost ten years, and I was saying, and he's like, "Hey, how you? How's it going?" I mean, this is the happiest person I think I've ever met. And I'm saying, "Oh, what's up with you?" He says, "Well, let's see. I I think I've had a little over twenty surgeries in the last uh, fifteen years, and uh, you know, but things are going really well. And this, that, and the other thing." And I'm going, "Yeah, twenty fucking surgery. I mean, he's had hips, knees replaced. He um." Mm-hmm. Uh, he had to die, die, divert. I always wreck this diverticulitis. Got to have oh. for that. 
And okay. I mean, he's 75, and this guy is just sounds upbeat like a little kid who's just got a new toy. And I'm like, you know. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah, because I recently I saw California Championship Wrestling on YouTube. And I think it made me feel the exact polar opposite of what, <laughs> what the wild man is feeling like nowadays. Oh, God, no, man. I, I've, I've yeah. never seen that guy blue. And it, I mean, and on top of that, a very, a very kind person, too. Very, you know. I wrestled yeah. him once in 84, and it was kind of comical because I was like half his size at the time. I mean, I was. It looked like Sky Lolo wrestling, you know, an average-sized wrestler. But I'll never forget, as as a rib, uh, the promoters said, we're going to tell Jack that we're putting Kurt over in the match clean. And so Jack <laughs> walks in, and, hey, how's everybody doing? And he says, hey, Jack, um, we want you to put over Kurt over clean. And he goes, yeah, no problem. And they start laughing, and he looks, and they're like, what's up? Why are you guys laughing? He says, we're going to put Kurt over clean. And, and he says, yeah, I'll do it. And they're like, we're joking, Jack. And he says, oh, okay. Yeah, well, we only put him over the white wheel. <laughs> so, I mean, I love it. He's just a guy who just, I mean, you know. And he's had probably more women than a lot of the, the a lot of the wrestlers above him. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the um, a mutual friend said that he was the one when Moscarus was here in the early 70s. He said Armstrong was the guy who scored Moscarus' women for him. <laughs> oh, gee. No, golden tongue, golden tongue. <laughs> 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 and i know from experience oh, no 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 <laughs> oh, i just saw a picture of moscarus hanging out with roy lusher yeah yes yes i saw those <laughs> yeah i guess he was like the fixer for mill's appearance uh, yes it's something yeah that's and good. I you hope know what? I have Roy's energy. And I don't know about his shirts. I don't yeah. know if I want to wear those. <laughs> I don't know about his fashion sense. But his energy, yeah. his positivity, and I think also with a lot of those Lucha guys, they've learned that they could trust Roy, that he actually cares about them and he's going to try to help them wherever he can. His enthusiasm, too. I mean, yeah. just, I mean, and I'm, you know, he's, he's having a great time. I'm happy for him. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I saw him with Mill. a good time around here. Oh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Kurt, and he got much... a lap dance from Pimpinela Escarlata too. I'm jealous. Kurt, how much uh, of the wrestling in the last two weeks did you watch? That was like the big events: WrestleMania, uh, AEW, lost... Ring of Honor. The, uh, the only thing I've really watched were the, la the were the last two AEW Dynamites, and I gotta say those were two straight weeks of awesome shows. I thought. Let me I mean, ask you this: from just moving the storyline to uh, the, you know, a lot of the matches. You're the I most, you're the most positive guy, and you also, uh, you're the most lenient with the bad stuff. I think. Yeah. The last two weeks of AEW, what do you think has been the best, and what do you think is the worst thing on that show? What do you think, at least, is the thing that needs the most improvement? Whether it's a wrestler, no. an angle, a program, or any overall theme. I uh, the three things I like the most. I love the way they're moving the MJF Wardlow story. Uh, I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, if I was going to say something from the old days that I would like, but you know, I know it's not the thing. Is you know, I think sometimes that he like MJF should show his ass a little, show his asses, and when he gets humiliated, he should really show his humiliation. But that's just you know the old goat in me. Um, 
I loved the FTR. I haven't seen the the famous uh, match. Was the was it them against the Briscoes or yes. the Young Bucks? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I saw the match with FTR and the Young Bucks, and I just I I DVR'd it, and I'm saving that one for a little bit. Uh, that's the best. That was the last two weeks. I think are the best shows since January fifth show when um, the Hangman Page and um, Danielson match happened. Uh, but the other storyline I love, I absolutely love, is the uh, William Regal getting Danielson Moxley together. And really, uh, oh, I love that. I totally love that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love I'm Regal. Fun with that. Mm-hmm. I love Regal. Certainly, Danielson to me can do no wrong, but Danielson was on such a incredible course, and now he's involved in something I don't really want to see. Which is oh, a, I love this team. I, I, team. I mean, this is actually a, a real him and story. My, it's a great yeah, story. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful yeah. story, and, and and I mean, his career's. I mean, this guy's having a great career, and you know, oh, no, I, I see nothing had, wrong with this story. I, I think this is absolutely other than I just I'm I'm no fan of uh, of Moxley. You know, and, so, I'm not a big fan. Yeah, I, I'm actually not a big fan of his either. I, I don't think he sucks, but he just doesn't do it for me. He, he you know, yeah. Um, no, that's right. I think I think Danielson on his. Yeah, own. see, I I agree with I agree with you, Scott. For the most part, I think what he's trying to say, Kurt, is. You know, Danielson for a little stretch there, mm-hmm. all of a sudden emerged as a single top heel. He was doing his best promos. He was getting some crowd mm-hmm. reaction. Mm-hmm. And then they put him with Regal, and now he's talking less. Now he's part of a tag team. And now what seemed to be a focus on the singular wrestler, Daniel Bryan, mm-hmm. or Brian Danielson, excuse me, who can go for any title. Now the focus seems to have shifted. So yeah. whether or not the Regal thing works out well, and I mean, there's nothing, it hasn't been bad or anything yet. I'm not a Moxley fan either. I think the problem yeah. that people like me have is just, it seemed like there was a trajectory for Brian Danielson that was starting to develop and it was all it but- It might a, come back. It was all but abandoned at, in the moment, it seems like. Yeah. It yeah. might come, I, and I, I, but I think it might come back. And, I, and so here's the thing. I remember, okay, this is just my, my anecdotal experience as a fan. There were a lot of guys who were who get good pushes on top here in LA, and then, you know, to mix things up, they would be kind of mid card for a while, while a few other guys got to shine. You know, put a little, you know, kind of just put a little variety in there. But then they'd get, you know, pushed up again. And I, I love the storyline. I have a feeling, uh, you know, I have no idea where they're thinking, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets that trajectory going again but this is a fun little phase it's a fun story and um you know the one thing that were uh i i really think they'd shine a lot better for every guy like mjf uh there are so many you know it's just the way the business is today and if it's working it's working but especially with the women their uh their interviews are just just sounds so like they're almost reading cue cards, you know. I'm gonna back and, your bet on Moxley though. I and, he, and here's why because I I'm one I'm a little bit bigger fan of Moxley than you guys were. Mm-hmm. Or back to bet on Danielson. Mm-hmm. One, 
because he's Brian Danielson and because mm-hmm. he's completely unsinkable, no matter what they do to him. I mean, I, I think uh, he's honestly to that level. I mean, it would take such a, a heaven and earth thing to screw him up in the fans' eyes that he's unsinkable right now. And I think with Moxley, because there seemed to be they were turning him heel and then, you know, he, he's in this kind of middle stage now. I don't think anybody's going to boo Moxley. They can boo Daniel Bryan because, or Bryan Danielson because he can get them to do that. And I think at some point yeah. you're seeing Wheeler Utica bring, you know, brought into this heavily. Uh, and I have a feeling you're going to see others in. And I think at some point Bryan Danielson will be that company's champion. I wish it was sooner rather than later, but I, I think. I, I I have more faith in this plan than I know a lot of people do. And I know, I know a lot of it kind of revolves around what, how much Moxley can you stomach and you handle, you know, watching him inside the ring. And I know a yeah, lot I mean, of, for a lot of people, that's it. Yeah. I don't get the, I, yeah. I mean, I know people dig him, dig Moxley, I, but I don't get it really. But, you know, I, um, I don't, I also I dislike, oh, go ahead. I dislike him, but, I, if I like him at all, it's, it's on his own, you know, <laughs> neither one of those guys need, neither one yeah. of those guys needs the other guy to boost them or, or, or but that's to, not the, uh, really or, the point or, of the or, whole or, thing. The, the point is they're well, telling yeah. a story here. They're telling a story and it's, it's almost yeah. as comical as saying my guy has to win every time it, 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 saying Brian Danielson yeah. always has to have a singles push. He can get a singles push again. And uh, as, old school, I, as old school fans, we all, I'm sorry. Well, you go ahead. As, go ahead. As, old, as old school fans, we think about these things and we certainly are, are, are in favor of, I think, of, of matches uh, being a little rougher and showing blood when it's necessary to show blood. But are they going to that too much already? Um, yeah, they're going to the gimmick. They're going to the gimmick matches too much. That Hardy's table match was so unnecessary and uh, so counterproductive. Yeah, I agree. Week. I agree. It's been like that since day one with with Cody running through matches. They run through matches and steps too friggin' yeah. fast to me. In my mm-hmm. opinion, I mean, even, even they work. Adam Cole Page do. and Adam Cole. I mean, they're having yeah. this feud. I'm not right. really into it for a variety of reasons, but they're having this feud. They've had a match. Now they're going to go to Texas, so it has to be a Texas death match. First of all, it won't be Texas death match rules. Second of all, all right. Adam Page ain't from Texas. It's but just Brian, the Texas it's death match. match. It's in Texas. Didn't you hear it's his match? You didn't know that? He's a cowboy, yeah. so it must be his match. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. He drove a that's, Tesla. That's, that's, he drove a Tesla yeah, well, into okay, the building the last thing, week. That's the one thing where I really want to run in here. Okay, no. we're old school fans. Yes, yes. Now, I sit here when I watch AEW and that's the only thing I watch regularly these days, but when I watch it, I do think, Oh God, I like the way they did in the old days, but I also stop myself. If it's working with these people who are appreciating it, come on. I grew up in LA. Did LA make sense? Okay. LA. And and maybe with the exception of a place like mid Atlantic, there was, there were, there were stipulations that were not followed through that were ridiculous. There was great stuff too, but I came from the place where they had a match where uh, the first fall is for the America's title, the second fall is for the America's belt, and the third fall is the loser leaves town. Wrestling, wrestling has okay. When I'm doing my research, 1938, 
I'm reading about Mexico Sanuk, the wrestler from Mars. Wow. <laughs> Come on. Wrestling, to some extent, has always been, you know, yeah, and I roll my eyes at stuff that don't make sense. But mm. holy shit. Yeah, I mean, Roy Shire was one of the most brilliant promoters, but toward the end, man, he just started doing mm. some dumbass shit. Well, yeah. in the no Amarillo book, all the, the exhibitions they had about man Russell's broom and the invisible man and things like that. And it's like, well, I guess yeah. that was done a long time before Bryce Remsburg wrestled him on the Janela show. But uh, so, you know, there yeah. are always going to be those things. And I agree with that. And I always agree that there's a place for wacky. I mean, hey, I talked about how much I like the, you know, the the jackass match. But I think with like Adam Page being a great example of. If you're Ox, you know, Enforcer Luciano coming into Mid-Atlantic and you're going to have the Sicilian light bulb death match with Blackjack or whatever, okay, fine. But, like, with Hangman, like, build up a good feud, have him yeah. be on the down, and then you're going to have the bull rope match. And don't yeah. do it every four months. Do it. In no, that's a, that's a very good to point. To me, that's I, how I, you make it matter. And I got to right. tell you, I am watching wrestling the la ever since uh, December. When I started watching AEW pretty much every week, the Dynamite show a week, uh, Rampage is kind of on and off. Uh, but I go by the Jacob uh, scale. Now, I'm retired four years, uh, and I'm throwing myself into the research. But what do I do the rest of the time other than, you know, seeing family members, you know, taking care of stuff with family? I'm a domestic bitch. I am a proud domestic bitch. And if I had a little more money, I would dress up like Jacob, the house, the housekeeper in the original film, La Caja Fall. I'd be prance, I prance around cleaning house, doing laundry. I put on AEW and the register of if it's a good show or not, it has nothing to do with what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. What makes me stop cleaning the kitchen? What makes me stop doing laundry and say, I have to sit down and motherfucking watch this. I kept cleaning house during the Hardy Boys match. The, uh, you know, the the, match. jumping through tables, ladders, uh, chainsaws, whatever. Um, yeah. And, oh, of course, that's part me. I, I'm not a big fan of that kind of stuff. I don't know if there are a lot of fans. But uh, bottom line is there are, are most most AEW shows on TV. I kind of watch out of the corner of my eye. Some stuff makes me makes me sit down. But every now and then there's a show where I'll stay glued to it. You know, even through this stuff that's weak. I mean, I think the I, I think the women characters are cute, but the wrestling is really weak. Uh, their their interviews are weak. That's what I wanted to ask you, Kurt. Kurt if yeah. you don't mind, let me jump in because. I could actually say you were probably one of the very first people in this country to watch all Japan women's wrestling. I know it sounds like a crazy oh, statement, but you probably are one of the first people that got to see it, both mm -hmm. on local TV and then videotapes. Yes. When you look at women's wrestling now, women's wrestling in AEW, because that's what you're watching, where do you think we are right now? I mean, you talked about the promos, and that's seriously a problem, but... I think one of the problems across both companies, but specifically with AEW, is the women's wrestlers who are really good and are used well and are really good are really good. And then the ones who are bad shouldn't even be on TV. They're no, and no matter how good a, good a woman wrestler or woman or man wrestler you are, if, you, if you're working with somebody, you better have some great carrying ability. You know, and I'm, I'm not somebody who said I could ever carry anybody, but just watching... 
you know, even some of the good wrestlers don't know what to do with some of the bad wrestlers. Just, just from what I I've seen myself and, you know, I kind of dig their personas. And again, I, you know, I unashamedly say I loved Argentina wrestling. So I, I don't mind if people are ant workers, if they're still fun to watch. However, that said, I watch Japanese women wrestling, and I don't think I'm ever going to see all Japan, anything like all Japan women ever again. That was a brief blip in time, a couple of decades of just great, great wrestling, great storytelling. I don't think I'm going to see that again, even with, to be honest, with male wrestlers. You won't see that kind of fan base again either. No, no. Kurt, have you seen Siuri and Utami Hayashishida in the top, the top level women of, of stardom, you know, not, not your Kashiyamas and your, you know, no, I, 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 I I really would like to take the time to watch some stardom. I've I've seen some stardom, but I've got to be honest. I, I really don't know any of the women on there. I've seen the wrestle. I like what I saw. Um, I, that's something I would like to take the time to watch. Uh, but what started my scene, I, doesn't hold a candle to just the discipline and the, um, well, that's why actually I mentioned Siri yeah. in high Shishida and I will get you their interactions and their matches because Siri Kondo, a former UFC fighter and high mm-hmm. Shishida who may be, you know, she doesn't get the attention, but is, is arguably the best women's wrestler in the world. You know, there are, are several, I guess, people, you know, who really follow women's wrestling across the world that will throw out there, but they, they are so stardom's a popular promotion because there is so much again the idol thing and there there's a lot there's a lot for different people to like on that show you know but i like harder hitting style women's wrestling i that's why i liked mm-hmm. mako sada more uh, more i like that kind of ilk i always kind of gravitated to to more and they have that and that's where it's like i think for if there was somebody that was lapsed that there's nothing good out there. It's like there is. You're just going to have to look at the very top of it. And you're unfortunately you're going to have to search for it. And I ask all of you guys, has AEW put themselves in a catch 22 with Jade Cargill because she gets ratings? She is hard to not take your, you, you know, she puts casual eyes are hard to take off of her. Her work is terrible. In a real world, she wouldn't be on TV because she doesn't have the experience level. But now you're in a spot where she's a star like she she is a legitimate comes across as a star but and the but mm-hmm. is 30 matches i mean people jumped on me for saying the match against marina shafir is ridiculous it's ridiculous on every level it's not fair to shafir especially if she's going to get a contract which i believe that she will after this but it's like blood sport marina shafir where i see her knocking out women okay i can see her losing a wrestling match but jay cargill they talk about all the time she's had 29 matches like it, there's such a disconnect that like it's like i don't know i i don't know how you guys feel I mean, my, my feeling my my feeling is i you know i think there's attractive gal and stuff i don't really watch her matches closely but when i do watch them closely yeah it's nothing but i mean if she's getting wrestling if she's getting ratings if she's appealing to the people i'd like you said they're i, I think they want to sell to the widest audience i mean that's what wrestling yeah. is i mean you know i mean that's just that's just the way it is i mean do, do we all remember when there was i never seen this cat myself but in the south there was a guy called lil abner in around 1970 who i heard was just like a plowboy fraser level guy but i guess for a little while there was an appeal to him 
So, yeah, you know, there's different there's different levels of that. Uh, Jade Cargo looks incredible. You would have to mm-hmm. at least try, and she can talk. You could you have to at least try with somebody like that. Um, you know, uh, other people that aren't physically gifted or aren't as eye catching mm-hmm. aren't going to get that chance. Uh, that 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 guy in the WWE almost terrible, but mm-hmm. that guy walks into your <laughs> into your training center. You go, we've got it. Try. <laughs> what if it? Works? Yeah, and if it works, it, it <laughs> works. I mean, I mean, who was you the know, biggest draw I, for more more Siegel in Houston back in in the thirties? And who even Whisker Savage, Whisker Savage, who even got a world title shot and got to lose on like a screw finish. And, and the only, the only uh, clip I saw of him in his prime, it wasn't really a wrestling match per se, but there's a Humphrey Bogart movie called swing your lady, uh, which is a very trippy movie to watch. It's not a great movie, but it's a trip, but there is footage of him wrestling Nat Pendleton I mean, Whisker mm. Savage didn't know up from down in the ring, but that guy, yeah. you know. Yeah. I think my, um, just to jump in real quick, Scott. Yeah. My two favorite things that are insipid in wrestling the most. <laughs> Jim Cornette's nickname for Nikki Ash, which is Nikki Ass. It's so insipid, but <laughs> it makes me laugh <laughs> every time. And the other one, because it's so stupid if you really stop for a second and think about it. And it's not even a way to deliver it where it doesn't sound stupid to me, but Jade mm-hmm. Cargill pointing to TBS and saying, because that bitch show. It's like, you know, uh, I yeah. get what you're trying to do, but it sounds stupid. <laughs> what? Well, yeah, and here's my, here's my question, because I, I think we've all seen it, it, it doesn't brilliant things in wrestling well. and stupid things in wrestling. When she says it, does it get a pop? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I got to pay closer attention. But that's like, I'm going to play, I'm, I'm going to play like, co- close cut the shit, get a pop. And it's like, I don't know, but I know they say shit too much. You know, it doesn't make much sense. I've never heard prick on any <laughs> wrestling show and I've heard it multiple times in AEW. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I want my own wrestling show so I can bring motherfucker into the vernacular. Motherfucker is the most beautiful word. It's aloha. It is aloha. Motherfucker, hey, Kurt. You, you motherfucker, you suck, or you motherfucker, I love you. Hey, Kurt, who's you the can first? Use it in every way. Kurt, who's the first person to say motherfucker on TV? Uh, you know, I have no idea. Grace Slick. <laughs> on the Dick Cavett oh, show the day oh, after Woodshop, oh. uh, Woodshop, oh. Woodstock, oh, oh. they were uh, <laughs> the Jefferson Airplane were singing "We Can Be Together," which was the um, the first song on the Volunteers album. Great song in the song, and she said it on the Dick Cavett show. Up against the wall, motherfucker is the lyrics, and she said it on the air. Sweet, sweet. Now, oh, yeah. God. oh there you know we the go. MC5 song, "Kick Out the Jams." Yeah. Kick out the jams, motherfuckers. Well, that's, that's one of my favorite albums that. ever. Yeah. What's that? That's the beginning of it, with, which is Rob, Rob Tyner is, is, does that little preamble. Says, Kick, Kick out, out the, the jams, jams, motherfuckers. So Robin they, Tyner's the they, name, and I kick out the jams. I'm the man for you, baby. So One of my favorite live albums this. in history. Well, listen to this. The MC5, somewhere around Michigan, they played at like a Catholic school, like a college. Oh my God. And, and they told them, they said, you can't 
do that song is well everyone wants to hear that song is you you can't say motherfuckers you know the diner goes up oh he says it's time to kick out the jams mother superior <laughs> oh, that's awesome. oh my god i love it i love it oh man i love it i wonder if he scored it some uh, that day uh, Hey, Scott, we can't hear you. If you're talking, you sound like you're underwater. Oh, there you no, go. I, I heard some, some kind of oh, thing. I didn't know if that was. Okay, well, I love the song Together in the Darkness. And I remember I discovered the MC5 album late in 1981 when I first knew Dr. Jerry Graham. And uh, when when my friend Lloyd and I would be driving to pick up the dock from the not so imperial hotel in downtown L.A. When that song came on, we just started singing along together with the doctor. Yeah. And that and then we were driving home from Bakersfield with Tom Hankins and uh, his wrestling brother, Perry. And, you know, I decided I'd never played the MC5 for Doc. And so I. I put the tape in, and when it starts with, was it John Sinclair at the beginning who was doing that preamble? It's time to start a revolution, brothers. Well, he was their manager, so probably. He was their manager, so I think it was him. I I don't know if I got that right, but but the doc said, well, is this Martin Luther King? He's beautiful. He's beautiful. And we're going, no, this is the MC5 when they break into rambling rows. Doc says, my God. Who are these guys? Are they British? And I'm going, no, oh. Detroit. And then he just goes, holy shit, they're beautiful. And he's doing his oh, little awesome. band leader orchestrations thing. He says, turn this shit up. <laughs> when are you doing that book, Kurt? Yeah. When are you doing the Jerry Graham book? I, it would freak I me out. I could never write a book just about what a character he was. I would want to find out what made me tick, and I think that could make me break because I don't believe he was born that way. Something, something fucked up must have happened to him as a child. Uh, I've heard people say that's not the case, but I don't buy it. I, I do know he had this very uh, – uh, I, I don't know if she was well-meaning, but a very overbearing mother. And, um, yeah. yeah, I love the doc, and I think – you know, I was telling us uh, – one of the people I interviewed recently was Mickey Doyle and we we're talking about the doc and it kind of dawned on me when I was talking to him. I think one of the things, you know, you know, Dan Farron has a great quote. Cause you know, sometimes I'll say, why does somebody hang around? So-and-so the guy is such a deviant or some deviant or something like that. And Dan said, Kurt, come on, everybody has a Dr. Jerry Graham in their lives. And that made me think, what, why is it? I feel this like bond with him even years after he's passed. And, uh, and I think, I mean, I was, I was pretty mental when I was a teenager, you know, back in the days when you didn't talk about mental health and stuff like that. And I realized he's the first person I met, met who's way more mental than myself. And even though he hit bottom and then hit below bottom, he survived and kept going. And, uh, you know, in all seriousness, I, that's why I don't think I could write a book. I think it would just, uh, you you know I, who knows what I could even find out about him growing up, but if I found out, wow. I think it would be rough. You know, well, I already I already pitched the uh, Jerry Graham book to Brian Solomon about five minutes after meeting him. <laughs> he'd be a great guy to do it, Brian Solomon. I yeah. think would yeah. be a yeah. great person to do it. I, I think you'd have to have somebody a little more removed from me. 
I mean, I love telling yeah. Dr. Jerry Graham stories. I even I could even write an article about the fun I had, but a whole book. I wouldn't want to just say, "Hey, what a character he was," you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, the only kind of biographies that I like to read are ones where the person's really explored and in depth. You know. Yeah. I can't wait for that sheet book. I, I just read John Cosper's Wahoo book, oh. and it's 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 really it is a nice. For me, I love Hornbaker, and I love I, – I got I didn't, I didn't got all Rock's books at the same time, with the exception of the Star book. I had never seen them before. I've always heard about them, and oh, my God. You know, I, I love yeah. those types of big, heavy, meaty books. But the yeah. Wahoo – the Wahoo – John's – and I don't want to make it sound demeaning or anything, but it's just such a simple, easy, refreshing thing to read. And it's, you know, with quotes from his wife and things from his high school and how great of an athlete he was in that being kind of brought more out of like kind of what made this guy who was such a crazy guy, you know, did mm -hmm. such crazy things. It's really, it's a nice, it's a nice break in between, like to me going from reading uh the professor and like waiting on the sheet mm -hmm. to come it was the perfect nice book to read and it's it's got again when you have to explore such dark things as you would in a, in a jerry graham book and all those sorts of things it's not that there weren't you know things that wahoo obviously didn't have to overcome but it's not mm -hmm. again it it does it was a nice break in between some heavier books to me i think it's it's one of those ones i, I would yeah. you know suggest people kind of like cleansing so easy Cleansing the palate with a little ginger or something like that, so you can absolutely face the That's, next dish. That know? is absolutely the case. Yes, Horn and I would read a Dr. Yeah. Gary Graham book if somebody wrote it. I would read it. Uh, you know, it, it, sure. It, even if it was dark and stuff like that, I, it'd probably be a rough read just having known him. And I, mm -hmm. I know with several other people who probably feel the same way. Um, and. Uh, you know, and I'm unapologetic in loving all his chaos. I mean, he's like Godzilla. He was in, he was a force of nature, an <laughs> alcoholic force of nature. You know, I, yeah. I, I on Facebook, Davey O'Hannon was going on about what an alcoholic bum he was, and I just retorted right back to him, "No, he's an alcoholic force of nature." You know, and, and God bless Jerry Gray, he got in there and says, "Right on, Kurt." <laughs> yeah. You know, Hornbaker. Oh, I got to reach out to him, see what's going on. After the Buddy Rogers book, the next project was going to be the Ric Flair biography. Oh, dear. Yeah. I'm actually very curious <laughs> what he's... Uh, That'll be very interesting. <laughs> yes. I think His complexity could that... probably take up several volumes. You know yeah. what, too? <laughs> that first book that he put out, the one that it was him and Mark Madden who like jumped in, I think, because Keith Elliott Greenberg wasn't capturing Flair's voice... In a lot of ways, that book is kind of like the end of Flair having grace from all the fans. It was like after that, that I don't yeah. know. I was the biggest Ric Flair fan for so many years, but for the last 20 years, it's just every year I, I like him a little less and I like that him. book. I like him less I grew and less up since loving that book. Flair. Yeah, me too. I grew up loving Flair. That was the book. Mm -hmm. Honest to God, reading that, I should have never read it. It's like one of those things where it's like, and obviously I would have found out about stuff later on, but it's like, I my lost my father at 12. I had a lot of, you know, family things. And it's like one thing I always wanted was like, a, you know, can we can things just be normal and calm and not sit here with like mm. not being able to afford the light bill and stuff. And it's like 
the stories of like she gets home from the store, got the babies in her arms, and he's Terry Funk's on the lawn, and it's just like, huh, you know, I'm Ric Flair. And it's like that's how it's been throughout your whole life. And I mm-hmm. just yeah, and every bad thing that's happened, and I don't want to rehash it, but I just I look at all of them and I go. Uh, damn, you know, and I can't, you're, I can't well celebrate said. you the way you want to be celebrated. I, I'll never be able to do that. In fact, I'm kind of sickened. <laughs> <laughs> and that's wrestling. No, well, not, that's well said. You know, and it's not like I, again, it is what it is. You know, that's also why you don't, you know, put people on pedestals that you, you know. But it, with that yeah. said, it was stuff in that book where it was just like, ah. You know, there is more to life in wrestling, and I know this whole thing's a put on, and mm-hmm. you're the best in my eyes at putting it on throughout the years, but I could never say this. I could never admit to this. I could never – I would never want to be that kind of man. I'd rather be a man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and the domestic house cat, and I don't want to change. I really – you know, uh, and I – you know, I, I think the – you know, the problem is we're told to look up to these people as human beings all overall. I, I think that's still being yeah. done. And, and I, <laughs> I, I'd never had, yeah, you know, I'd never had kids, but I have two godsons. And the thing I kept telling them is like, I know you love this guy, but appreciate what he does. But you know, if you, I, I let's put it this way. Tackle and I, who was a big, you know, grew up at the Olympic auditorium. You know, and watched around the same time I was watching. You're talking about the people we idolize, and there's a handful of them where we think back on their work and thought it was really great, but there definitely is an asterisk next to it now. And it kind of hurts, but that's how it should be. You know, shouldn't be putting people on like these total pedestals. Hey, Kurt, hey, Kurt, your your phone's getting a little low, Kurt. I don't know if you're... Uh... Oh, I'm so sorry. There I'm we go. I'm so sorry. Maybe it's the way I'm holding it. Okay. Sorry about that. But yeah, we, sh- we should be... If we're putting their work on a pedestal, that's one thing. And if they repulsive, uh, repulsive, uh, repulsive yeah. enough where we can't watch their work, that's okay, too, because art is a subjective thing. If I mean, yeah. I heard John Wayne Gacy well, the, painted good paintings, but I'm I'm not gonna <laughs> appreciate them. Did, I, mm-hmm. Fuck on. Did you? But and did conversely, about, oh sorry, what were you gonna say, Scott? Did you hear about? Did you hear about John Hankley? Yeah, he's about to do a concert. I just saw an article in the Daily yeah. News about yeah, that. He, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, yeah, <laughs> unlike Dennis Stamp, he's actually booked to do it. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's going to do a folk concert, you know. Oh, I, said, I was scared he was going to do Beatlemania or something. <laughs> I said, let, let me guess who's going to be on the guest list. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, oh, man. Mark David Chapman. Uh, oh, Jody God. Foster. It'll just be Jody Foster <laughs> on the guest <laughs> list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. But for Jody Foster. Flair, just the thing about Flair is, and that's rarely discussed, is that, is this, this, Peter Pan thing that goes on in wrestling where, and very few guys talk about it. Scott Hall with all his problems actually talked about it. He said, you know, it's a business, a good business to get into if you don't want to grow up. Um, And not saying that everybody does that, but flair isn't very different. It's very sad now that he, he looks old and he can't wrestle and he's having, you know, all these run-ins and these problems and things, but he's, pretty much the same guy he was when you loved him. 
uh, <laughs> so I don't, I, you know, he doesn't get a, he doesn't get a pass for that, but you know, well, you know what it's made me was- do is people that I do find out, even if they have never made the level of Ric Flair that you find out what kind of person they actually are. <laughs> and then maybe yeah. you didn't like their work, but you like them. And, you know, again, every, nobody is perfect, but, you know, I start looking at, you know, some of the people that, you know, have been able to navigate and been, you know, again, there, there's a, a lot of, you know, again, we don't know everybody, but there are mm-hmm. people that you find their stories out in the, the well-adjusted ones, the hillbilly gyms of the world that were able to actually carve out a niche and do what they wanted to do outside of the business. And they're just normal human beings. And just the more you, you again, you hear of the good of people, you know, because yeah. again, Mick Foley gets all of that attention as if he is the only one sometimes, you know, <laughs> as the, and, and, and yeah. he is the perfect goodwill ambassador for wrestling in, in that way. But, you know, just again, ask you, him. You know, again, it makes you appreciate those others that much more, you know, because again, and it's, I guess it's like any sport or anything where people are this driven and are, are like, again, for some of them, it is hard to turn off and they are just, they can tend to be assholes. And I think power, celebrity and money can do is a, it's almost like a dangerous place you can yeah i think i think people can get carried away with it all and um certainly the bad people in fact i think it was the book of the comedians that scott you were talking about earlier where a lot of people said when buddy hackett got into comedy he was a pretty lovable guy and after some success he actually turned into a monster i can't remember details but yeah uh, yeah i i I would say everybody's different, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing about flair. You, you don't want to see that guy that was so cool and, you know, that you admired so much, and, you know, and, you know, when, when the, when the party stops for everybody else or they grow up and move along and he's still there hanging at the bar, making a scene and, you know, doing the helicopter or God knows what, you know, <laughs> right. it, no, it, it, it's not. It's not funny at all, you know. I mean, yeah. uh, it just because it's um, as simple as say, you don't have a family. Time. You know, it's all about you're yeah. so selfish that you force your you want to yeah. be loved so bad. Somebody's got you got to marry somebody so they can can be Mrs. Flair. When the reality is, is you're just it's uh, again, you know, it, it's it, it, it yeah. is what it is with Flair. <laughs> but there, but there is yeah, there is that thing where where you know, put it all on him, but. These women are attracted to him for the same reason that they have to get get away from him later, you know? <laughs> yeah. And again, fame, money, celebrity, one of the strongest aphrodisiacs in the world, you know? Charm can be a dangerous thing. <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> I wouldn't either. <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> yeah, I remember Elaine and I were talking like like – like if one of us got rich and famous, do you think we'd bang around on each other? And we said, "Well, it's a silly question because we're never going to know that. <laughs> we're never going to be there. So, and I don't think you know how you'll handle it unless you're living it." You know that? You know that joke about the the, the couple that share their uh their free pass with each other. The couple's talking no. in bed, and the couple's talking in bed, 
and the woman and the guy says, uh, or they're having a discussion about who's your free pass. And the woman says, Oh, Denzel Washington. Um, he says, he's so handsome. I hope you don't, that doesn't hurt you. It doesn't shock you. He goes, no, it doesn't at all. He's strong, confident, well-spoken, probably got a lot of money, very talented. And, uh, she says, so what about you? He goes, oh, I can't say. And she says, well, no, no, come on. You can tell me. I told you about Denzel. Who's your free pass? And uh, he says, I like that Rosemarie across the street. I that one. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I believe we're going to begin to start wrapping up. Wrapping up. I can't even speak English anymore. We're going to begin to start wrapping up here at well. You have been having some serious problems on these shows. I have been a babbling fucking idiot for a little while now. <laughs> yeah. You still I, I'm sound hope, more coherent than I usually do. I'm so hoping, you're, good, you're good. Once I get a little bit of sleep, I'm hoping that things uh, kind of go back to uh, normal speech patterns. Otherwise, I'm going to have to talk to Kurt's wife to see if she can help me talk normally again. Uh, but, <laughs> guys, as we begin to wrap things up, Lou, I don't think we've asked you anything about baseball. So, Lou, who's Who's going to win the World yeah. Series? And also, how you feeling about your Giants, Gabe Kapler's Giants this year? Yeah, the Giants so far have a, you know, it's not like they've wheeled dealed very much. We got Carlos Rodon uh, from the White Sox, our new number two starter. He uh, started today against the Marlins, did pretty well. So, but I mean, we still got the young guys. We got Logan Webb as the ace. And yeah, Jock Peterson, for what it's worth, uh, as our 17th outfielder. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think anybody expects him to win another 107 games. But uh, hopefully they'll be continue to be the ones to be the... Uh, the pain in the Dodgers' ass, and 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 maybe overachieve beyond that. Uh, as for as for the rest of the the league and who wins the World Series, I don't know. The lockout just uh, sort of soured me on you know once again on on the game of baseball. So I mean, it was the first three months of the year here was. It was a complete stasis, you know, nobody signed, nobody traded, nothing. So, uh, I don't know, perhaps, uh, perhaps some good karma points for the Cleveland guardians <laughs> for finally changing their team name. You know, maybe they can uh, win it all this year for Tito, who, I saw a profile on Terry Francona in the New York Times, and it just he it sounds like he's at this point he's about eighty five percent pins and bolts and duct tape, just from all of his various maladies. Wow. So maybe maybe he can go out on top this year. Um, What's the legacy going to be for you as a Giants fan of Buster Posey? And do you think Buster Posey goes to the Hall of Fame? Oh, 
I know. And, and from here, I have to try to uh, take my Homer heart out of my That's body. That's right. That's right. You do. <laughs> for about 10 <laughs> seconds and try to be objective on it. Buster Posey was from, from the jump. He's a cornerstone of the team. Even when he, he came up in 2010 and they shipped out uh, Benji Molina, he was there. He, you know, rookie of the year, NL MVP, uh, uh, the man who, the man who invented what they call the buster hug, which is anytime something really fucking fantastic happens, Buster Posey is out there on the mound uh, hugging somebody be it Tim Lincecum for one of his two no-hitters or Matt Kane for his perfect game or whatever. He's just a really solid dude. And in, a, in some ways, it didn't surprise me at all that he decided to hang it up because he, he forewent the uh, 2020 season because uh, he and his wife adopted uh, twins to go with uh, the twins they already had. So, you know, he could have gotten paid, but he wanted to be at home and be there for an important time uh, with his family Wait, and hold on. His, his new kids. Lou, they adopted twins and they already have twins? That's right. Wow, that's a lot of work. Wow. Yeah. No wonder he's yeah. staying home. No wonder he retired. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. And... You know, he was just a, a really solid dude. I, because, you know, I don't, I don't know his career stats off the top of my head, but I would hope it would be at least a borderline case for getting him into the hall. He's definitely at least a borderline. I, I mean, he's someone that people have to think about. He's not like someone like, oh, give me a break. Um, and also they right. changed baseball for him. They literally changed the rules of baseball they changed because of the, Buster yeah. Posey. Exactly. I mean, yeah, they didn't. They didn't change the rules for Ray Fossey in 1970. No, they celebrated Pete Rose <laughs> knocking him out of his career. <laughs> I know, poor Foss. Although he, he, he was on the world champion Oakland A's, people forget that. Yeah, and then and he had to break up a fight between in the clubhouse uh, between. Reggie Jackson and Bill North. Billy Martin. And, yeah. <laughs> and he, uh, well, Ray Fossey busted his neck just from trying to ah, try to break up one of the 95 clubhouse fights <laughs> from like, from like the 73 or 74 season. That A's but, book is still amazing. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yo, you want to read yeah. an amazing book? Read the Billy Martin book by Bill Pennington. That book is out mm. of control. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's funny. Bo James, our friend, the king of Kingsport, he's a big Cubs fan. And on opening day, he went on Twitter and said, wow, it's just so weird to see the Cubs and to see those core guys like Rizzo and Bryant and uh, whoever else, uh, you know, having opening days playing for other teams. 
And I replied, I said, okay, now you know what it feels like to be an A's fan on every opening day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for God's sakes, they stripped him and sold him for parts again. They trade so. guys like minutes before the first pitch. I felt like the A's oh, unloaded yeah. guys like just the last week before the oh, season it, started. Exactly. Did they One do that in the state sale? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you would think so. Yeah, one of the last days of the Cactus League, uh, they fucking traded Sean Manaya to the Padres, and the A's were facing the Padres in, in one of the last exhibition games, and Manaya was supposed to start for the A's, and instead started for the Padres. You see what he did yesterday? It, no, I didn't. Seven no-hit innings, left with a no-hitter. Oh, of course, <laughs> of course. Already had a no-no for the A's a couple of years ago. Hey, he's a good pitcher. Yeah, yeah. I I know. And now that he's on the Padres and Bob Melvin is the manager there, I'm like, okay, fuck. Come on, Giants, you, you cut them a break or something in the <laughs> NL West. But yeah, uh, at least at least I'm only a, a nominal A's fan. I live and die by the Giants. But the A's, yeah, good luck. Of course, for those of you listening, I'm very sorry that Lou is disparaging the Montreal A's, as we will get to know them in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize on behalf of the show. <laughs> I don't know. It's even money's on Vegas at this point. That's but, what we said earlier. Yeah, Vegas and Nashville. Those are the more more than likely the next two places. Yeah. Yeah, though they were talking about like buying up the spot where the Tropicana Hotel and Casino is at on uh, the south end of the Strip, but I think they uh, Bally's just bought up the Tropicana, so that's going to be sticking around. And besides, I'm not sure if you know Vegas wants you know uh, another discard from Oakland, but. Well, well at least you only have to sell eight games there. It's just, I think they said earlier in the show, the Golden Knights, it's like when you suck and you need to sell 41 games, how do you yeah. do it? And I, and that's where that, that might be the template before they put yeah. a team there. Well, I know. Well, well, they got completely spoiled by having, having them in their inaugural year go to the Stanley Cup finals. So... You know, anything from, you know, from there on out is uh, going to be uh, unsavory. Uh, before we move on, Lou, once again, who's going to win the World Series? I don't think you predicted anyone. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, uh, uh, the Homer heart is back in my chest. Giants. All right. That's fair enough. I mean, some people pick their favorite team as opposed to the team more than likely to win it. Like let's say the Mets, but we will accept the giants. <laughs> right on daddy. Right uh, on. Kurt, well, as we begin, you actually too, because like right? there are people that are picking the giants over San Diego. And I wonder, I look at that just on the surface, like when they just like, you know, have their little graphs there, but I've seen people do that in, in them making a, the wild card. And it's like, are you doing that to be different or are you doing that really thinking that San Diego is not going to be able to get their shit together again, collapse at the end, and then San Francisco is somehow going to make it in? I just, it seems difficult. Yeah. 
And I mean, boy, every few years, the Padres load up or have some, you know, uh, young guys who look like world beaters. And then they just find a way to just trip over their own dick, <laughs> you know, and with uh, Tatis and Machado, I mean, uh, those guys are freaking scary, but you know, I don't, I don't know. Will it be Bob Melvin who, uh, kind of gets them in line and, uh, you know, eyes on the prize. Right on. Vandal Drummond, <laughs> any final words this opening day Star Wars? And who do you think will win the World Series? I already know. Oh what he's man, say. I I I, I, I can tell you exactly. I am wearing I am wearing my shirt. I am wearing it in observation of the six oh five opening day. We all know that the New York Mets, thanks to their channeling the Tuba City Cuttlefish through Ayurvedic <laughs> cleansing and through uh, a little praise of uh, bringing Yolanka, Lord Krishna, and Jesus Christ together to just kind of do a nice little foxtrot on and off. And with a little bit of Quan Yin, the goddess of compassion, they are going to take it this year. And I'm telling you. Tiger Woods looked really good the last couple of days. He's going to take his baseball no, club he when he goes up there for the Met. And, uh, well, you know, that's what they tell you, man, you know. So he's going to take his baseball club, and, man, he's going to he's gonna knock it out for a field goal when he plays for the Mets in a few days. But most importantly is don't, don't get too hyped up because baseball has never been the same since Tim Lintz comes. When Tim Lintz comes, cut his hair. You know, I mean, he brought the uh, uh, stoner hippie into baseball in a beautiful way, got busted for pot the same year he won the most valuable player uh, championship, you know, and uh, I'm sure he still has the belt up on his uh, um, up on his mantle unless he sold it at the pawn shop like Pedro Morales did with the WWWF belt way back when. Um, but the Mets. Thanks to the, you know, thanks to the channeling of the cuttlefish and uh, uh, also the spirit of Cthulhu, you know, uh, Cthulhu <laughs> is going to come out and say that, hey, Lovecraft, Lovecraft gave me a bad rap, man. I'm actually, uh, you know, I have tentacles of love, man, and I'm going to embrace the New York Mets. Plus, Elena grew up going to Mets games with her papa uh, back in New York. So, oh, good. Mets all the way. Mets, baby. All right, I was afraid where you're going to go a few times there, but you came up with the right answer. The Mets. Absolutely, yes. Scott Cornish, who's going to win the World Series? Oh, my goodness. I'm, gl I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I, I don't dislike baseball. I actually like it, but I don't follow it. So I'm not going to insult you. I, I just have a... Uh, it's the Mets because um, because my friends like the Mets and and <laughs> I, I, the last the last major league game I saw was the Mets um, and and it's as simple as that I like that song you know <laughs> what what else can I tell you it makes my friends happy when they win except my friend Paul who likes the uh, the Oakland A's um, oh, that poor bastard. I know, I know. My my mother used to like the Yankees, and she's gotten tired of that. She can't sit up and watch a Yankees game <laughs> anymore and enjoy it. Aww. So she's she's gotten off her her Yankees uh, excitement. But I was, you know, when she was watching and my dad was watching, they liked the Yankees. It was fun to see the Yankees win, and just because it made them happy. Uh, there's something I like about the Mets, so I'm going to say the Mets. 
for no other intelligent reason. But I, I do have something else I wanted to, to mention. Um, yeah. Have any of you seen this clip uh, that I'm, I, I take no offense, Lou, but during your, your, your talk about baseball, I've been watching silently this clip over and over where Lou Albano <laughs> Is managing the Moon Dogs, and his, yes, his yes. shirt is on fire. Saw that today. I saw what? that. Where is oh that? My Lord. I did oh not my see Krishna. that. Oh my Krishna. Yeah, Brian, and then, have you seen that? I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm right now going to Twitter to see if there's something it's, there. Yeah, it's yeah, from. Under, I don't know under, if it's. Look under the account Louis Albano. Yeah, and then look for the clip. <laughs> Lou Al, Albano's shirt is on fire. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's like Allentown or Hamburg. And just how nonchalant he is about the whole thing, too. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and, he, and, and even the announcers. Oh, even McMahon the, is like that, that, that goofy that Albano goofball. walking around his shirt. Yeah. The, yeah, his shirt is on. Oh, my God. I'm watching this now. <laughs> <laughs> he just takes it off. Wow, how did I never hear about this before? Right, right, right. That's right. Is that beautiful or what? <laughs> yeah, look at him. Look at him. Good. Hold on, though. Here's the bigger question. Yeah. There was no pyro. There was... What lit his shirt on fire? Is it his cigar? His cigar. He put Probably a polyester shirt. He had a Dr. Jerry Graham moment. Yeah, exactly. He gave himself a super destroyer. What a constant gift. Oh, I'm watching it again. He just takes the shirt off and throws it. It's great. It's great. off. Still got the cigars, man. Absolutely. Hey, guys, I got to scram real quick here. But, guys, Brian and all you guys, thank you. I, I can't tell you how much fun I had tonight. You guys are awesome. And I, I just had a blast. Good to talk to you, man. Oh, great to talk to, to you, talk to We'll you. do this again all soon. Right. Sounds great. Love you guys. Take care. There he goes, Vandal Drummond himself, Rockin' Jerry Brown, Kurt Brown, leaving the show. I'm now watching Lou Albano in a loop. Because <laughs> he takes the shirt off. Down this, this might be my new favorite timeline. It really is. He throws the shirt like in disgust, like, God damn you. Yeah. How dare, how dare you. I know. There, yeah, there are some some prime Lou Albano moments through those old TV tapings. Like, have you ever seen Moondog oh. King is watching the whole thing happen. Yeah. <laughs> no reaction. So, like, do you ever see there was one clip where Albano's stalking around ringside, and for like once in his life, his his shirt is buttoned up, and there's some some guy with an open shirt, his belly hanging out, like you usually would expect Lou to to, to be, and this drunk guy just starts <laughs> starts, you know almost hauling off to, to hit him. Yeah. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Only Albano would, you know, get involved yeah. with that stuff. Mm. Well, there's one thing that it, the... go ahead, go ahead. Now you got me looking through this Albano timeline. Now, if you listen to it with the sound on where, where Vince and, uh, and uh, Pat Patterson are doing the commentary. Um, the very they cut off the very end of the clip. <laughs> like man, the the other it's Rick McGraw. Against, it's the Moon Dogs against Rick McGraw and Steve and King. Steve King, yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, Rex tags King in and uh, McGraw tags Steve King in. And Vince actually says, tag has been made and now we're going to see what Steve King can do with and that's where it cuts off. I assume he says, we're going to see what Steve King can do with King. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's where Vince wanted to change everybody who had the same name. (laughs) You're now Lance Cade. Enjoy it. (laughs) And that's, and that's only, and that's so nonchalantly said only a second after Lou Albano takes his flaming shirt off. (laughs) Yeah. incredible (laughs) well mike uh you'll be the final person to say goodbye to everyone here this week any final words uh any what's up with mid-atlantic wrestling well it's still the best pressing promotion of all time that's first (laughs) and foremost but i've had a show done for like two weeks but you know i have uh, some other you know non you know Arcadian Vanguard things that I have to do that unfortunately have been taking up some time, much like yours over the last week. <laughs> but there is a show done that will be up on the site. I actually was able to start the Patreon where I'm starting to post up a lot of different things. And I'm really looking for feedback on that too to see what exactly people would like. Do you want programming magazine scans? I've done a lot of that sort of thing that are up there, old newsletters uh, from all over the place. But do you want extra shows? Do you want video? What are you looking for? That's what I'm kind of looking to get feedback on because I'd like to find out, you know, so I can get some people on the Patreon thing as well. And, you know, people are doing great with social media, and that's for sure. The Twitter is at MidAtlanticPod, where I just love to be a wrestling fan, which is all I ever really wanted to be. But damned, it's funny how things happen. And I get to relive my youth by posting up lots of things from the dusty era of JCP from 83, you know, 80, uh, really from 83 to 88. You know, there's a lot of that there. Uh you know, certainly, you know, later on and also before that as well, too, lots of different factoids and things like that. I love doing that timeline, have a Facebook, have the Instagram and all that sort of stuff as well, too. But Twitter is where we're most active. And again, it's just my passion. I love to do it. Uh, I have a couple of specials that are planned. I'm working on a couple of different things at once. I got a special thing with Wahoo McDaniel in 1984 that I've been working on a lot as well as some other Mm -hmm. things. So, you know, we're going to do 1983 in order like we did 1982. But I'd like to also get out a couple of uh, of side projects, too, because I haven't done too many uh, special episodes in a while. And I have, a like I said, a couple of things ready to go that I'm really looking forward to doing so you know just the more people that come on and listen and, and continue to jump on the twitter and enjoy all that sort of stuff you know the more the merrier so i think i'll have to shell out money just to get that footage of you at boogie's wrestling camp <laughs> oh wow did you see any hangman bruce oh. poban's merch there <laughs> <laughs> No, but if it was, would it have been in the outhouse uh, that that he's actually got? He's actually got an outhouse filled with merch and pictures. It's absolutely amazing. And what what a nice guy. And I, you know, yeah, I'll be in his even in his advanced age. He's still lucid, you know, just like a guy that would be in his 70s. You know, he can't he can't keep going on for for too long before he's got to take a, you know, a big breath and rest for a bit. But damned if he doesn't turn it on, he cannot turn it on at the drop of a hat. He is 
He is certainly an amazing figure. He's another guy that I wish somebody else would write the book because I think there's a whole lot more to Jimmy Valiant and some stories that I I can guarantee that probably aren't being told. But just he goes back to the 50s and it's just a it really yeah. was a cool experience. It's It was so fun. Really, really fun. And you- again, really lucid. Where did you talk about your your visit? Was that uh, on your podcast or or uh, somewhere else or or on this I, show before I got on? <laughs> I no, I haven't even really talked about it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I just I, I had a chance to uh, to get up with uh, it was actually Kevin Gill who uh, does a lot of uh, independent yeah. announcing and he he was born in New York, so he was a big fan of Jimmy Valiant his entire life and always wanted to meet him and always said, if I'm ever around there, I'm going to go there. And when GCW ran Atlanta and he was doing some things in North Carolina, he had gotten in contact with Angel and with Jimmy and Jimmy was going to be at the same local show he was going to be at. So they were going to hang out with each other on Sunday and then get together on that Monday. And he was going to take him on a private tour. And I had always told Kevin, look, if you go, you know, let me know. And wow. with a couple of days notice, he goes, I'm going. My wife said to do this. I got to do this. And I said, well, I got to do it, too, because I don't know when I'm going to have this chance again. And it was a beautiful day. I didn't get caught in any too much of the bullshit on the Capitol Beltway with these moron fucking truckers. And I actually, you know, <laughs> it was a great drive. It was a beautiful day from from where I'm at in Delaware, seven hours and about ten trillion dollars in gas. But it was completely wow. worth it because it was again, it's so beautiful where he's at the home that's right off the hill. It, it's just it was an amazing piece of property and also, too, makes you think. And I always think about this when I'm riding around Virginia and I ride down into Carolina where I think about some of these roads that these guys ran in the wintertime. And I just, I, you know, it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Things weren't worse. And it's amazing. Guys even got from any point to any point at all. It was, it's just, it was wow. an amazing time. And I suggest anybody, I don't know how much he does. And I know he's doing tours, you know, fairly regularly, but I would suggest anybody, if you get a chance, you're in that area, it is completely worth going to. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. Let me just ask you, if you don't mind asking, if this isn't too personal a question, how much merch did you have to buy? <laughs> well, that thing, he, I, because I was hooked up with, with Kevin and, and whatever he had going oh. on. As far as his private thing, did I, I did uh, give him a handshake at the end, and I was very, very appreciative. And when I did that, he actually gave me some stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like one of the things is like a lot of guys, I'm not saying everything's for sale, but you know, if you have enough, like, and you don't have a copy of the book, you know, it's there if you want to pay for it. Yeah. One of the things I would love to get from him is, you know, I think, and Brian, you talked about this with Cornette on the show about the Andre, the giant posters, he's got one and it's actually covered up with lots of other pictures, but the things he has from Bob Luce, the things he has from, you know, posters from Queens and just all this sort of stuff. It's like, you know, if I did have unlimited income, I would have been walking out of there. Probably. I can't say for sure, but I have a good bet. I would have been Charlie Brown from out of town. Yeah. You could have just <laughs> bought the actual Charlie Brown from out of town. and have him come live with you. That's- <laughs> That's right. When I bought his book, when I bought his book directly from him, he also sent me a listing to buy his house. <laughs> it's all for sale, buddy. It's all for sale. 
<laughs> Ain't no lie. How much now? How much did you pay at that time for the book? Oh, geez. I bought it on eBay. And I said, you know, it's more expensive than most books, but I have to get it. Then I realized it was also a ton of pages, but I think I paid, I want to say 40. Maybe I'm wrong. Somewhere in that range, 30, 40. I got to go ahead and look and see what it is now. I think the last one on eBay, it was in the, they, they ratcheted up into the hundreds. No, now. get out you'll, of here. Oh, yeah. So you'll be pulling back on this. <laughs> wow. So I guess it's now. The Gary Hart book, the Rocky Johnson book, and that book. And Boogie. And Boogie. God bless. God. Yeah. The, Scott, the record yeah. that Big Mama yeah. the record that Big Mama kept promising that she would uh that she would sell to me and then later reneged because I asked her <laughs> nicely <laughs> if she was if she was still going to sell it to me, then she told me I didn't deserve it. Um, <laughs> then I then I later saw it amongst all the stuff that Jimmy and Angel put up on eBay, and I think they wanted fifty um, for the single. So that was that was enough <laughs> of that. I think uh, that's nothing compared to Austin Idol, where where I bought a couple of copies of his single from um, who's the guy that did it, Billy C. Wirtz. Or oh oh no it's whoever not, whoever yeah it's not Billy C. Idolaters. I'm forgetting the guy's name from yeah. the Idolaters now. I know the guy too. Uh, I talked to him on Austin Idol show, and I can't remember his name. Shit. But uh, but I bought yeah I bought it from him, and he was still selling amongst all his other CDs and stuff like that for uh, for like five dollars. <laughs> the next time I saw it advertised was on Idol's site. Autographed copy with a picture sleeve, five hundred dollars. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> well, if you still want it, I'm pretty sure it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I still have one copy. I traded one with Cornette, but uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, I yeah, traded it. Yeah. I traded it for a Jimmy Hart record. What were you going to say, Luke? Yeah, if you buy two two singles from Idol, uh, you get a, a free hour at his wrestling academy. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> oh, I like Austin Idol. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> thank you for listening to the Sorry Excuse for a Podcast. Opening day, opening week, Star Wars. <laughs> As usual, the Star Wars a little more unprofessional, a little less editing than the average show, but we hope you enjoyed it. Lots of baseball, book, and wrestling talk. We'll be back at you soon with more of the 605 Super Podcast, actually actively working on that right now. Uh, stay tuned for more information. But for all of our guests, thank you for listening. Stay in touch on Twitter and everywhere else. If you don't know how to get in touch, just figure it out. I'm on the mood. It's late. But for all of our guests, <laughs> it's opening day. Thank you for listening. Let's go, Mets. Tally-ho!